Okay, all flight controllers, go no go for landing. Retro. Go. Fido. Go. Guidance. Go. Control. Go. Telcom. Go. GNC. Go. Econ. Surgeon. Go. Capcom, we're go for landing. Eagle, Houston, you're go for landing. Over. Roger, understand. Go for landing. 3,000 feet. You're listening to the David Feldman Radio Program, you sad, pathetic hump. Well, I finally got him. Pablo Guterres joins us. He's an investigative journalist who I met outside a detention facility in Elizabeth, New Jersey. I've been trying to get you on the show for, I don't know, about five months. Welcome, Pablo Guterres. Hi, David. How are you? So, just so my listeners know, I showed up at a shut down the camps rally i guess it was back in july of 2019 there was a detention center an ice detention center housing i think about 200 undocumented americans and we were protesting to to shut it down you were covering it and i got your number and over past couple of months i've been trying to get you on the show but you've been very busy and it is uh an honor to have you on the show Uh, cards up front on this show we talk about abolishing ice and shutting down these camps you're an investigative journalist you have to remain objective i'm not going to get you into my politics there (laughs) is an outbreak of the virus at that detention facility in elizabeth new jersey where we met is that correct Yes, um, so uh, according to the latest information that we have, uh, there is a case um, that uh, surfaced in Elizabeth, New Jersey. Now, um, this facility uh, is owned by uh, CoreCivic, which is a private prison company. Um, you mentioned the number of inmates uh, that they have there, and um, as of the last information that I have, they have about uh, close to 200 people there, but I know that they have a capacity of about 300 um, uh, detainees. Uh, Now, this is just one of many facilities in New Jersey uh, where there's been um, uh, cases of COVID-19, the coronavirus. Another facility uh, that has a case uh, is uh, Bergen County. Uh, Bergen County uh, Jail, operated by, um, obviously, the county in Bergen County here in New Jersey. Uh, also, Hudson County um, Jail has uh, cases of coronavirus. And, um, you know, uh, some of the inmates there have, uh, have gone on a hunger strike. Uh, they are demanding to be released. Uh, these people were arrested by ICE for civil immigration violations. And um, right now they're, they're afraid for their lives. They're, they're in real danger. Right, right. Before the coronavirus outbreak, we were getting stories of the flu breaking out in these detention centers. Mm-hmm. Uh, the flu, and uh, I actually uh, broke a story in Bergen County of a mumps outbreak uh, that that happened there. And, uh, 
Uh, we contacted Bergen County. I uh, called the governor's office. Uh, and um, the day that we were going on air with the story, um, just uh, you know, a few minutes before we went on air, uh, Bergen County called an, an emergency uh, press conference uh, it just to you know, put the information out there because we were going on there. I've been speaking with inmates, David, inside these prisons, um, and they tell me of the conditions um, that are there. Uh, and it's it's just appalling. I mean, it's they're basically, you know, on top of each other. They, they tell me of a situation where somebody was taken um, out of their um, um, the holding cell. Um, they were uh, taken to an area to be tested for corona. Uh, the coronavirus, and then they were placed back into the general population. Um, uh, the lack of soap, the lack of uh, sanitizers, the lack of every conceivable uh, sanitary measure that you can think of. Uh, it's happening in these jails. Uh, uh, you were talking about China and, and you know, the, the, um, the, the, um, um, the, the way the virus spread in the prisons in China, and this is something that I urge your listeners to look into, um, it's really, really scary. Um, and uh, we have a potential here in the United States of America for uh, this, um, this uh, uh, virus to basically overtake uh, um, and, and um, get a lot of people that are in lockup right now uh, very, very sick. Um, we already see that situation happening in Rikers Island. Um, you know, Harvey uh, Weinstein. Harvey so Weinstein. How did he get so. the test? Like that was one of the things, the first thing, this top down system that we have, multimillionaire Harvey Weinstein tests positive for the coronavirus. How did he right. get the test? Why did he get tested before uh, the other inmates, do we know? Um, no, no, uh, we don't know yet. I mean, it's, uh, you know, he's, he's considered a VIP. So, um, you know, uh, there's a lot of uh, unanswered questions right there. Yeah, let, let's peel this back and start from the beginning, because a lot of my listeners are overwhelmed by all the news that's coming their way. Back in July... MSNBC, CNN, they all decided there was a crisis in the detention camps. And we were calling these concentration camps. And there was a big debate whether or not they should be called concentration camps. And Congress, Beto O'Rourke, went to the camps along the border. And then Mike Pence and Lindsey Graham went to the camps. And we saw horrific conditions that were in controvertible there are pictures of lindsey graham and mike pence almost unable to breathe from the smell and mm -hmm. men and women in cages children in cages and we had reporters crying and this was the story this was the story and then the story disappeared it's almost like it's almost like migrant workers are seasonal workers. It's almost as though this story is seasonal. When we need it, it comes back. But the story has remained the same. The conditions in the camps haven't changed, haven't gotten better. They've gotten worse. We're just 
not paying attention to them. Is that a fair statement? Oh, that's absolutely correct. I mean, um, you know, we look back at um, some of the things that uh, a report that was issued by the Department of Homeland Security, the Inspector General, um, and uh, they found, and, and, and I'm going to quote because I'm reading it from uh, reading from it right now. It says, uh, uh, "Dangerously overcrowded, lacking adequate hygiene and medical attention." Um, and then on January 29th. Um, Doctors Without Borders also reported that uh, uh, just a few steps from the U.S. border in Matamoros, there are thousands of asylum seekers now living in makeshift camps with limited access to shelter and basic health care. So, um, you know, these are, you know, substandard um, conditions uh, where these migrant uh Asylum seekers are 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 in right now, and uh, and nothing has changed. And the situation is far more dangerous now because we see the threat of the coronavirus and how it's already um, inside some of these jails. I mean, we see it here in New Jersey. So, so what uh, happens, like, Pablo? Let me let me. We're talking with yeah. investigative journalist Pablo Gutierrez. And, and there's so much to understand. Let, let's start with ICE and these mm-hmm. for-profit detention centers. I'd like to understand the, the the bureaucracy that we're up against. As I understand it, ICE is an invention that came out of the development of Homeland Security. They consolidated all these government agencies after 9-11, and ICE is a new police force is that fair to say that's right it's um you know came out of uh, uh 9-11 okay. uh, right after 2001 yes right and ice it is the job of ice to enforce immigration laws throughout the country in other words the job of ice is to round up to find any undocumented american and send them home put them through the immigration courts. Is that correct? That is correct. Uh, uh, enforcement in the interior. That's correct. Uh, I'm sorry, say that again, please. That, that basically is uh, they're enforcing immigration laws uh, within the interior of the United States. That's um, something that perhaps was not as... Um, uh, it, it wasn't uh, so much... Uh, it didn't happen so much prior to 9-11. Right, right. And so they have to go through the immigration courts, which means that they have to be, I'm talking they being the undocumented Americans, they have to be housed somewhere before they have their time before a magistrate. So they're placed in these detention centers. Do we know if there are any government-run detention centers or are all detention centers run by private companies? Well, you have a combination. You have, as I mentioned before, the Elizabeth uh, Immigration Center. That's basically a private prison. Um, and then when you talk about government-run centers, um, now the Department of Homeland Security um, and ICE, uh, they basically outsource um, their, um, their need for jails. So... Uh, we have a lot of county governments that are hungry for federal dollars. Um, Hudson County, 
Um, this is a Democrat-run uh, county, uh, Bergen County. These are New Jersey. Uh, these are did, did, these are New Jersey counties, yes. but this yeah. happens throughout the United States. Right. So basically, what ICE uh, they enter into contracts with uh, the counties, and they said, okay, we need two thousand beds. Um, and uh, so uh, the county says, okay, we're going to charge you um, in. I I don't have the exact number, but just the ballpark number. We're mm-hmm. going to charge the federal government $150 a night for immigrant here, right? And that's money that's going directly to our counties. In New Jersey, you have many uh, counties, many counties uh, where you have uh, Democrats um, in in these counties. And this is not a, a partisan issue. I, and I'm making a point to say that it's a Democrat uh, um, um, government uh, just to illustrate that, you know, in either side of the aisle, you can see these interests. Um, so, um, you know, these counties are getting money directly from the federal government, from ICE, to keep inmates uh, or people or immigrants that have been detained by ICE uh, so so it's fair to say we learned through the Justice Department that the city of Ferguson, Missouri, was a shakedown operation. They were arresting African-Americans. And this is what Eric Holder's Justice Department said, uh, that that African-Americans in Ferguson, Missouri, were being shaken down by the police. They were put into a permanent cycle of debt. And that funded city operations. That is what the Justice Department said. Is it fair to say that a lot of cities are paying their bills by charging the federal government somewhere in the neighborhood of $150 a night per per, uh, uh, undocumented American that they're housing? In other words, each bed, they charge $150. That's more expensive than, uh, you know, I can get a... A three-star hotel. Seriously? <laughs> yeah, no, no. I mean, this is this money is um, being used to, you know, for our parks. It's uh, being used uh, for uh, the salaries of uh, uh, police officers. Uh, so it's and, not uh, being used in Bergen County. Yeah. So Bergen it's County. There was a report that I think um, uh, I, I want to say seventy or eighty percent of the revenue that the sheriff's department um, depended off was coming from this contract, this federal contract. Now, I pulled the numbers right now as, as, as you were asking this question, and Hudson County, and I want to tell you this, received more than $27 million to house ICE detainees in 2018. Wow. $27 million. $27 million. And so... It's important for my listeners to understand the the politicians will say $150 uh, per bed that goes towards the the inmates towards the people we're keeping but it's not so like a private prison they're trying to turn a profit they're trying to spend as little as they possibly can on those there that are being detained so that they can fund other parts of the government because nobody wants to pay taxes. Uh, Correct. Would you it's say a business. it's a business? 
it's a it's it's a business. So do we? There's a part of me that still prefers local municipalities running the jails than private enterprise. What have you observed? Uh, I guess it's a case by case, jail by jail basis. But how much transparency do local city jails have and offer you versus the the privately run detention centers? What are you allowed to see? Well, you know, it's um, that's a really interesting question because um, when you look at a county jail, uh, you're going to have people that are in there because they committed uh, criminal um, um, violations, and then you're going to have the um, immigrants who've been detained by ICE. Um, So when you're trying to get information uh, on immigrants detained by ICE, um, the county is housing them, but you know, they are, uh, you know, by all purposes, uh, under the custody of the federal government. Um, so uh, as a reporter, you have a, a few more hurdles um, when you're trying to get information, when you're trying to, let's say, do a in-house uh, uh, interview with them. Um, there, there are more uh, barriers than what you would have um, with somebody that's housed there because of a criminal violation. So in other um, words, they can pass so, the buck. So so the local sheriff or the police chief can say, that's not for me to say, that's for ICE to say, or that's for Homeland Security to say. They can create various hurdles for you to jump over. You, you, they can. They can do that. And, and um, But overall, the running of the jail does fall within the county. So, you know, it's, uh, um, you know, ultimately it is their responsibility because it, it is their jail. So, um, so, so you can, you know, you can ask about that. Uh, so, so, you know, if you want to say which, you know, if you, if the question is, is, is a private prison ran, uh, is it being run better than a, um, and then a, um, county jail, um, you know, you just look at some of the, uh, some of the reports that are coming from people that work directly with these, uh, with this population. And, and you can see, um, that, you know, there, there's, um, uh, there are serious problems, uh, within the private prison model and within the, um, county prison model for housing immigration detainees. Now, the bigger question is not, um, should we keep them in jail? I mean, should, you know, what, why are we housing them? Why are we jailing people for civil violations? Yeah, let me let me get to that in a second. That is the biggest question. I'm going to ask that in a second. I just want my listeners to understand the structure in place before we actually find out who these people are. Now, with the private detention facilities, where I met you, we were outside one in Elizabeth, New Jersey, I suspect that it's impossible to for you, I don't know, I'm asking you, to speak to anybody who runs that place to get a tour of it. You know, you can, as a, a member of the media, the reporters, 
are entitled to go inside prisoners to examine conditions. Are you able to get access, visual access to the private detention centers? I would assume it's harder. It is. It is harder. And, uh, you know, we've had situations, uh, not only is it harder for us reporters to get in there. I mean, you've seen, you know, U.S. senators and, and members of Congress trying to go into that detention center. And, uh, it, it's difficult. It's, it's difficult for them. Um, so, um, so yes, there's the, um. I'm not trying to be glib here, Pablo. No. You know, they have ag gag rules that are enforced in some states and the justification for an ag gag rule, what, what, what the, the slaughterhouses claim, uh, in, in preventing anybody from bringing a camera into a slaughterhouse is trade secrets. You're violating mm-hmm. trade secrets. And some courts have upheld that. I can imagine some of these private detention facilities claiming that allowing people to videotape inside of here violates our trade secrets. It, it does. And, and, you know, looking back at, you know, what happened in 2018 and, um, you look at, uh, some of these housing facilities that were in the border with Mexico and after months, months, months of pressure, um, they finally, um, accepted or allowed, uh, uh, journalists to go in there without cameras and, uh, uh, video or still, or still pictures, um, you know, so the, the uh, images that we first saw. And these are privately the, run detention facilities. Privately run, and I think government run as well. Right. Um, don't quote me on that. Okay. I have to, I have to really look that up. Right, right. Um, but it's just to illustrate the access or the, the, the lack thereof. Um, and then when we look back and we see the first images that, um, the world saw of kids in, you know, tinfoil blankets and uh, sleeping on concrete slabs, you know, that came from the government. Mm-hmm. That came from ICE. That came from Homeland Security. So um, it's, um, it's it, it just illustrates that it's not as easy. You know, for us to say, hey, I want to go into the Elizabeth Detention Center and I want to see what you guys are doing. It's, it's, it's going to be very difficult for us, um, to do that. And, uh, and, and most of the information that we have, most of the, um, the details about the conditions are, that we get, uh, we get them from activists, uh, we get them from attorneys that are going in there to see their clients, and we get them from immigrants that are housed there, um, that, uh, you know, one way or the other, um, communicate with us and tell us what exactly is happening inside. Okay. Who are these people? Who are the people inside these detention facilities? Uh, you have a large number of immigrants um, that are there because of immigration violations. So I'm talking about, um, you know, parents. I'm talking about brothers, sisters um, that were detained because they overstayed their visa, they overstayed their permit here in the United States, or they crossed the border um, as undocumented immigrants seeking a better life for, for themselves. Uh, uh, 
you do also have, and to be fair, have people that have committed crimes and are undocumented. Uh, but those, uh, um, you know, uh, let's go back to the Obama administration uh, when, when, uh, when that was happening, and we know that Obama deported the largest number of uh, undocumented immigrants in, that this country uh, has ever seen. And uh, um, but uh, they were focusing mainly on people that have broken the law. And what we see now is that you have a large number of people that are being detained uh, that are called collaterals. These are the so-called collaterals um, that are basically in the wrong place at the wrong time when I got to a location and then they were detained. You know, moms, parents, you know, um, people... You know, seeking a better life. I've had the opportunity to meet many of them um, and to do stories about their cases, and some of them have been released. Um, and uh, it's just just sad, you know. Do, uh, do we know if more people are being detained under the Trump um, administration than they were in the Obama administration? Detained, not deported, but detained. Um, so, so there's been a search in arrest. I can tell you that, for instance, in New York City, the number of arrests outside of uh, courthouses has skyrocketed. Um, this is a practice that was not very popular, if you want to call it that, um, in, in previous administrations. Uh, so uh, that, uh, that's a metric that basically tells you, yeah, this is, this is happening uh, a lot more. Um, so, so even, you know, during the corona, the initial uh, outbreak here in New York City, you know, uh, we obtained pictures and videos of some, some ICE operations here. So I'm just um, wondering so, if so it's happening. I'm just as, wa- as, yeah, I'm wondering there's, there's a financial benefit to detaining these people indefinitely as opposed to sending them to wherever they came from. Well, and that is one of the scariest things um, that could happen. Uh, we already see the uh, Justice Department um, basically uh, asking to have the authority to detain people for as long as they wish um, without um, going before a judge. That's uh, that's that's a threat to the democracy. Um, and, uh, you know, those gears are in motion right now, David. Right. So that would be under the umbrella of enforcing coronavirus social distancing for the safety of the community. We can suspend habeas corpus, which we've done before, and people can be held indefinitely without ever seeing a judge. And that's what we're doing to undocumented Americans. We're, they don't have habeas corpus. They can be held indefinitely. The immigration courts are clogged. I would assume they're getting worse. How we, they are. Yeah. Yeah. And, and so, uh, the, the question always gets back to the children. I would assume that children, are not being kept in county jails? Is that uh, 
you know, the children, so, so the, um, the children are placed in, um, they're placed in, um, shelters, if you want to call them that way. Um, these are facilities, um, that are privately owned and they're privately ran. And, uh, we've already seen cases of COVID-19 in two of those facilities here in New York. Um, and, um, yeah, there, there, these are kids that were, you know, you remember the uproar and what we were seeing back in 2018 with kids being separated, uh, from their parents and unaccompanied minors. Uh, these, uh, a lot of the kids that are still there, um, have not been reunited with their parents either because their parents were deported, uh, and they're, they haven't been able to locate them. Uh, or for any, for other reasons. So these are kids that are still there and there's been two cases that we know, uh, where staffers tested positive for the coronavirus and, uh, they might have come into contact with these children. Last question, Pablo, and thank you for mm-hmm. doing this. Sure. ICE. I've tried to contact ICE. Do they have a press office? Do they have anybody who will answer questions? You know, the State Department holds press conferences. There's a spokesperson for I, for the, the State Department. There are- right. No, no. Uh, we, we can we can reach out to them, and they they usually send us uh, statements via email. Um, and uh, uh, for instance, um, regarding the Elizabeth situation, um, they sent uh, an email uh, regarding that uh, after we uh, contacted them. Uh, after we receive you know, complaints from people. So it's not going to be, you know, a voluntary thing. They're not going to put out a press release and say, hey, guys, we got, you know, 19 cases of coronavirus out in uh, Hudson uh, County. Um, basically, we we have to take this information. Um, and, uh, and well, I mean, the State Department, Pablo, they will tell us where all the embassies are and where all the council, consuls are. Uh, do we... Have this kind of transparency with ICE? Will they tell us where exactly? They will tell tell us if we ask. Um, And and a lot of times, you know, you you um, you ask, and uh, they might deny that um, uh, that request, and uh, then you have to FOIA the information. So we don't even know the official number of ICE detention camps. Um, I, I don't have a number for you. Right. Right. Yeah. Okay. Interesting. I, I can tell you, and, and this is just, you know, one, one point, uh, and, 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 and I think it's very important because, um, you know, there's been a massive, uh, call, uh, for these inmates, this, uh, ICE inmates to be released. And mm-hmm. uh, just this Saturday, uh, there was a um, lawsuit filed against the federal government, um, and it was filed in the uh, um, uh, um, district court of uh, of the District of Columbia um, on behalf of um, immigration attorneys uh, in Texas, New York, and I think Pennsylvania. And, uh, so this, this lawsuit basically is seeking, um, the, uh, the release of, uh, uh, inmates who 
are at risk uh, of contract of of of, of you know getting the, the uh, COVID nineteen. Um, and um, there's a paragraph there in, in the suit that says detained mothers, fathers, and children are forced to live and sleep in close quarters and required to congregate, and as a result cannot achieve the social distancing needed to effectively prevent the spread of COVID-19. Um, so they, they also go and they mention there that a lot of the times, you know, they, they, it is the inmates who are cleaning um, they get paid a dollar a day to work there, and they get and extra they, soup, right? This is this. I read. A, <laughs> you're, did you just laugh? It's yeah, yeah. Well, it's just you know, uh, it's like something out of uh, Nazi Germany. I, I this is what I read back in the summer that they're offered extra soup if they do extra work, and I'm thinking this is something out of. Nazi. And there's been lawsuits. There's been lawsuits against some of these private prisons for paying prisoners. Uh, and I don't want to call them prisoners because it's such a, I think it's such a terrible term. Right. You know, these are immigrants who are detained. That's uh, that's who they are. You know, let's not forget about that. And when we talk about immigration and we talk about COVID nineteen, and this is just my last point on this, um, let's just kind of open our eyes and see. Right now, uh, we're asked to work from home. We, and, and some of us can do that. Uh, we are asked to keep our social distance. But let's open our eyes and see who are the people that are delivering our food right now. Right. Who are the guys that are working still in some of these restaurants that are closed and you know, uh, being able to cook and, and so, so we can get some to go food, um, on our ways, you know, to work or, or whatever. Uh, you know, they're, they're immigrants. You know, they're, they're the guys that are delivering the groceries right now. Right. You know? Right. And then we, we talk about, you know, protecting the employees and the federal government comes out with the, all of these relief and financial packages. And where are the immigrants? You know, they pay taxes, too. A lot of them have an IT number. You know, this is the um, the number that the um, um, Treasury Department gives out or, you know, people apply and, and they get it. So They, they can, pay into Social Security. Exactly. So they can pay that in. But they, can they yeah. collect Social Security? No, they can't. Can, can they collect right now and, or will they be able to collect, you know, the thousand or, you know, whatever some of money the, the federal government will be um, so you know, Pablo, to U.S. citizens. So yeah. ICE has announced, I think, that they're slowing down the apprehensions. Is that, yes, they have. Is that because Amazon is hiring 100,000 people right now that we actually need the undocumented? Yeah, I mean, I don't know if, if you know, there's, there's a direct line between those two. Um, situations, but I know that um, finally they said, okay, we're only going to go after criminals. Right. Um, and, uh, you know, it, it, it was, it, I mean, it, 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 you, you can't be going out there and detaining people and arresting people um, the way they've been doing. You know, in, in some of these communities that have been devastated uh, by the coronavirus, 
um, it's it's basically immoral, you know. Um, the other thing, ICE um, also did put out, uh, out a request for 45,000 uh, respirators and surgical masks. Right. Um, and and uh, they want this for ERO, which is uh, enforcement and removal operations. Um, so so they they want to have protection, um, you know. But the front lines are somewhere else. They're in our hospitals. Yes, that, yes. that's where the front line is right now. All right, thank you. We've been talking with investigative journalist Pablo Gutierrez. We're overwhelmed by information and. What I suggest to my listeners is pay attention to how we treat the least among us. If you want to know how this country is doing, visit the homeless shelters, visit the prisons, visit the the county hospitals. That will give you an indication of how we're doing as a country. And I can't think of a uh, a, a, a more significant moral compass than these detention centers and how we treat the people who who came to America uh, to seek a better life. This is the barometer. This is the measure of who we are and how we treat the people in these detention centers. I always say this coming to a theater near you. It's a dress rehearsal for something far worse because there's money to be made in housing people you know there's money to be made in housing people and those beds have to be filled so what advice can you give my listeners to to stay on top of this story because they everybody right now is only thinking about themselves it's very convenient right now we're terrified of the virus we're terrified of the economy collapsing, everybody is thinking, and rightfully so to some degree, I've got my own problems. Why should I worry about ICE and these detention facilities? Well, it is your problem. So how do we stay on top of this and not get overwhelmed? What do you recommend in terms of our our media diet? Where should we go? What should we pay attention to? To both yeah. help, to both help these people and be good citizens. How do we, you know, we're overwhelmed right now. How 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 can we be good citizens? How can we stay informed? Well, um, you know, there's there's two things that that I always um, you know tell people because even you know when when times are good, you know, we we forget about you know the most vulnerable. Um, in, in, in our society, and uh, uh, one of the things that I always say is that um, don't think of these immigrants as people that are here, um, you know, taking somebody's job, people that are here um, basically taking advantage of this country. Um, at the end of the day, we're all immigrants, and uh we have to think about them as human beings, mm-hmm. human beings that are here uh, seeking uh, a better life. And think about them, uh, look for reliable sources that will give you the information that's happening um, in relation to this. And those reliable um, sources would be? Well, the, I, and I'll tell you uh, um 
Political does a great job uh, covering this. ProPublica has yes. been amazing. Yes. Uh, NPR um, has also done a, a fantastic job. Um, if you want to know more about them, this is who you should uh, look for information. Uh, also, um, there's a lot of great um, uh, nonprofits in the United States that are helping immigrants. And uh, they're also a great source. Names? Um, Names? Um, so, so you have, uh, I will tell you, American, um, uh, I think, AILA, which is uh, Immigration Lawyers of America, um, they have fantastic information uh, um, regarding this. Um, in uh, New York City, for instance, you have NILAG, um, and uh, you have, um, God, I'm thinking about this, hold on. Uh, let me tell you who just filed a lawsuit here. Well, there's the ACLU, of course. There's obviously the ACLU. Uh, you have RAICES, um, which is Refugee and Immigrant Center for e uh, Education and Legal Services. You have the Rapid Defense Network. That's who I was thinking of here in New York City. Uh, and, um, uh, there's two fantastic attorneys that, you know, I'm honored to, to, to know Gregory Copeland and Sarah Gilman. They, they fought for, uh, Pablo Villavicencio. Uh, for him to be released. This is the uh, pizza delivery worker that was uh, detained back in 2018. Um, and uh, you have Aldea uh, in, uh, in, uh, in Pennsylvania um, in uh, the People's Justice Center. So, um, you know, I just, uh, you know, I do a radio show. Do you have three minutes, three more minutes? You yeah, just, get, you just gave course. me a great idea. So I wanted to yeah. thank you. For, let me repeat. Let me repeat what you just said. For information, Politico, and I agree with you about Politico, they can be problematic at times. There's a, for me, they have a bit of a right wing slant, but they, they have great reporting. Politico, uh, NPR, you say, and ProPublica, everybody should go to ProPublica. This is a clearinghouse for investigative journalism. They, they start off at ProPublica. It's a nonprofit. And then their stories are syndicated to other news outlets. ProPublica has been on top of this. You're absolutely right. The ACLU, in terms of organizations that are, that are helping the undocumented Americans, it's the ACLU. The, did you say the American Immigration Lawyers of America? What? AA? Um, it's, um, AILA, and I'm looking at my computer right now. It's American Immigration Lawyers Association. Right. The ACLU, and then you said the Rapid Defense Network? What Network. Give, yes. me, give me that. Uh, Rapid Defense Network. The Rapid Defense Network. And RAICES, spell RAICES, please. RAICES is R-A-I-C-S and Charlie E-S. Okay. And Na Na what was it? Na Aldea. It's A L D E A. And what is that? It's Aldea, the People's Justice Center. So this is um uh, this is a um uh lawyers organization out of Reading, uh Pennsylvania. Okay. How do people contact you? Um so the best way to reach me is via Twitter. And, um, you know, you have me as, uh, one of your followers 
or we follow each other there. And my Twitter account is Pablo, and then G, T as in Tom, Z as in Zebra, and then T47. Right. That's um, that's my um, my handle on Twitter. Right. I, I you know I do a radio show with Ralph Nader, America's greatest citizen. No question. No question. He's America's greatest citizen. This could be an inflection point for Americans. We're, we're home. We're not working. We have time. Until they pull the kill switch on the Internet, I'm joking about that, we can use this time. Time is a luxury. Time is the ultimate luxury. And the only people who have time are very rich people or old people. And that's why old people and the rich control our government well you now have the luxury of time my fellow citizens and the best use of your time is to be a citizen become a citizen of this country you've got 24 hours left to your own devices and which devices are you going to use netflix hulu or are you going to go online, find out who your Congress people are, your assembly people, your state senators, your mayors? Do they have a contract with ICE? Does your city have a contract with ICE? How do you find out, Pablo, if your city is contracted with ICE? Um, well, there's um, there's been a lot of reporting done on this. And, uh, you know, one of the easiest ways is uh, just go go on Google. You know, go on Google and type uh, the name of your county and, uh, um, you know, uh, and, and just ask, you know, there if, if they have a contract with ICE. Call. And, and call, sure your, they, call your council person. Call, yeah. Call, call, they answer their phones. Yeah, but, you know, if you, if you, if you don't want to call, <laughs> just, just type on Google, you know, the name of your county and ICE contract. And, um, I'm sure you're going to, if they have one, I'm sure it's going to pop up. Great. You're going to see it. We've been talking with Pablo Gutierrez. I've been trying to get you to do this for months. One more time, give your Twitter handle, please. Sure. My Twitter handle is Pablo G T Z as in zebra T 47. Great. Can you stand the line for one second? Thank you. We're very generous with your time. Thank you. Thank you. You're listening to The David Feldman Show, you happy, self-actualized hump. Let us now go to Western Massachusetts, where Dr. Harriet Fraud is standing by. She is a mental health counselor and hypnotherapist who lives and works in New York City. She is a, a Marxist and a founding member of the feminist movement and is the host of Capitalism Hits Home. That's a weekly podcast. Welcome, Dr. Harriet Fraud. Hi, I'm glad to be here. People should go to HarrietFraud.com to sign up for your newsletter and read your blog. Right now, through the prism of Marxism, how would you recommend that people 
experience the government shutting down industry. What is a good way for people to stay sane, not panic? Well, I think it's very important to understand this. And of course, when you say that I understand it through the prism of Marxism, like with everything else, there's many Marxisms. And my Marxism doesn't think the economy determines everything or anything determines everything, but everything shapes each other. And I look at how personal life is shapes and is shaped by political and economic life. But the way I understand what is happening is that in our country, in which we currently have a vulture capitalism that favors the wealthy at every turn, and we have a president who unabashedly looks for his own profit and those of his allies over everything and sees every painful crisis of America as a PR opportunity that he can take or not. Mm-hmm. So um, I think the way to look at it and the failure of the United States, because our leaders knew and Trump knew as of January that this coronavirus was deadly, was increasing, was everywhere, and they chose to do nothing because it would make it harder for Trump, since, of course, he had no interest in getting prepared, and also it might depress the stock market, and his claim to electoral fame was the stock market is high, I produce the economy, and vote for me. Mm Mm-hmm which just parenthetically, the market has gone down to below its levels when um, Trump took over. However, what we have here is a failure of capitalism to cope with the national crisis in the United States. In American... Explain, go, go ahead, I'm sorry. I should explain, explain that capitalism is an economic system which favors the wealthy and is governed by the wealthy and in our country they buy their positions in our government and control what happens there are mitigating factors of course it's not nothing is pure in human life but that's the overwhelming reality which is why we have the greatest inequality in the western world right now In 1970, America was the most egalitarian nation of all the Western industrialized nations. Now it is the least of all. And as the social programs have been eliminated and as wealth has accumulated by companies who went overseas, abandoned American workers, and came back and bought up the system. And so we have... A capitalism now that has a crisis. COVID-19 is spreading. They did not prepare because they're capitalists. So they didn't buy tens of thousands of hundreds of thousands of respirators and really sealable masks and gowns because having even having everyone from a drugstore to the government emergency fund, buy up healing supplies 
to keep in a warehouse in case they're needed. There's no profit in that. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. so they're not interested in it. Just as the masks went off the uh, shelves in the drugstore. Why a mass masks? Just because there might be an outbreak when your storage space is valuable. That's capitalist logic. Why, you know, and the CDC, the Centers for Disease Control, had a task force on pandemics. Trump disbanded it because he doesn't want, he doesn't believe that government should do anything but subsidize capitalism and bail them out. And so he dismissed that. He also got off the UN Commission on Pandemics and withdrew American money, have more money to give out with his tax break for the wealthy. And so we're utterly unprepared. In addition, we're unprepared because he will not intervene so that none of the proposals they're making to give mass bailouts, for example, to the airline industry to get people to Trump's resorts and golf courses, none of them include the provision that they cannot lay off any workers or protection for the flight attendants or the people who clean the planes or the people who prepare the food for the planes or the people who service the planes. Yeah, It's just for the owners who gave out $45 billion in the last five years to their stockholders right? because they did so well. You're talking about the airlines. And also, that's the airlines, yeah. just yeah. one example. A big priority of his to bail out. He also will not force companies. There, There is the Defense Act that allows our government, in case of a crisis, to command that people make masks, that people make respirators. There's a, another one that commands that the government buy in bulk and reduce the price of all these things. So people, so in New York, Governor Cuomo complains that the state has to pay $7 for a mask that before the virus cost 85 cents because Trump will not interfere with capitalism. And he will not buy all the supplies on a national level and make them lower the price. This is all about capitalism. Now, what is fascism? Fascism comes in, as it did in Germany, when capitalism breaks down. And the choices are to go to socialism, where the government ensures the welfare of all at the same time as capitalist corporations are allowed to function, or communism, which has never really been tried, but or state capitalism, as in the former Soviet Union, where the state is the biggest employer and decides everything, and the bureaucrats of the state have that power. Well, fascism is where capitalism breaks down. Think of it as a barrel. The barrel is capitalism. When it starts to break apart and can't hold water, fascism is the iron bands that hold that barrel together. The government ensuring profit. Whereas socialism is that the barrel is abandoned, a different barrel is built in which there's room for capitalists to be regulated. One of the reasons that China, which is in many ways a state capitalism with a strong government, could get rid of the coronavirus is 
In Wuhan alone, they built 10 hospitals within the first few weeks. They allocated supplies. They are working on a vaccine. They bought the German vaccine, which is the most, the German test kit, I'm sorry, which is the most effective test kit. The United States wouldn't. The United States wanted the business for American capitalists who would then owe Trump. So we are unprotected on every level. And so what is happening is, as capitalism falls apart because there's a crisis that doesn't interest them all that much of the coronavirus, but a bigger crisis for them, which is the stock market and their businesses are falling apart, none of the solutions demand what FDR did at the height of the depression. FDR hired 11 million workers at good salaries to rebuild this, this country. And he taxed the rich at 96.8% in order to do that. Mm-hmm. Jeff Bezos is sitting on $150 billion, for example. Why shouldn't he be left with maybe a half a million and the rest go to the treasury? Why shouldn't... Half a million or half a billion? Half a billion, oh, yes. even. That would be very generous yeah. out of $150 billion. Yeah. The same with, uh, you know... <laughs> the... <laughs> We're not savages. Certainly we could allow no, them out to keep right, half a billion. Right. <laughs> right. The same with our former mayor of New York, who spent... I think it was half a billion on his own campaign. It's closer now. Reports are coming out now that it's closer to a billion that he spent. Right. But he wouldn't uh, allow taxes on his billions to be used for the welfare of all. Also, people even like Romney, who said that he paid 13% in taxes because most of his money is offshore. The Canary Islands are not as strong as the United States. They could commandeer all that money, Mm -hmm. as well as all the money hidden in Panama and everywhere else. But they don't. Because they're not operating for the mass health and safety of all. They're operating for capitalism. And now capitalism is in crisis. And there are choices to be made. You have the president, who is the defender of capitalism and their emblem, giving that tax, the tax breaks to the top corporations, while the inequality of the United States is boosted ever higher. And 60% of our nation doesn't have $400 in case of a dire emergency, and we have one. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. The unemployment rates went up by a third just within a week as people are laid off. Small businesses and big businesses, small businesses are failing and going out of business. Big businesses are holding on to their money while the Republicans and the capitalists that support them are suggesting tax cuts. There's an awful lot of people who don't pay taxes because they're too poor and for whom aid is important now, not the thousand dollars which wouldn't even pay rent for their apartment, no less their food and their rent for a month. 
So has, has this country, I, I think you've answered this, but the country reached an inflection point. We got disconnected. We were talking with Dr. Harriet Fraud. She's the host of Capitalism Hits Home. Go to HarrietFraud.com. Sign up for her newsletter. She is a mental health counselor who practices in New York City. We reached an inflection point when in America, and this is the inflection point is not an economic inflection point, but almost a moral inflection point in that when the crisis hits now, the first thing we worry about is calming the markets and the Fed <laughs> has to save the banks and Steve Mnuchin wants $500 billion for discretionary spending so he can pick which companies need to be saved. The President of the United States, nobody, we don't have a Democratic Party, who talks about the least among us. We have to protect the families, the workers. Nobody talks about the most desperate among us. Was there a time when this country focused first and foremost on the desperate among us? Shouldn't that be? When did we go from bottom well, I, up to top down, or did we ever worry about the bottom? I think during the New Deal with FDR, he rose to the occasion, and the top had to give up their money. Well, they still had plenty, but they had to give up all the enormity of their money and be taxed by 96 point eight percent in order to fund the programs that FDR started in the height of the depression that's why that we can't afford anything now is ridiculous because that's when we got social security that's when we got unemployment insurance that when that's when we got an equivalent now to 22 million people being hired at well-paying jobs because money was taken for the, from the rich and distributed to those who needed it. That's why you had the Works Progress Administration building bridges and redoing our whole infrastructure. Right. And so That's, everything is a free market solution in America now, even though there's no such thing as free markets. Well, there is some re regulation, but it's very weak and can be overwhelmed. As soon as people, through enormous effort, pass something, they have they take their money and buy their way into reestablishing it. It's like what happened when they freed the slaves in the West Indies, and they compensated each slave owner for the slave property that he gave up. And now the power structure is the same, but mm -hmm. through money. Right. You have to change who has the ability to buy other people. And in our Constitution, which had a wonderful set of checks and balances, there was no check and balance on wealth buying the rest. And that's probably because we had many slave owners and very wealthy people signing that Constitution, including Jefferson and including Washington. But you need an economic check and balance to have a decent society. And we don't. And this is what I think happened, which makes a lot of sense, which is in by the mid-70s, highly efficient multinational communication systems were developed. Computers 
were developed. Robots were developed. All of these inventions allowed U.S. manufacturing and other corporations to relocate and hire the poorest people of the world. So if they could go to Pakistan, where they'd have to pay less than a dollar an hour in many industries. They could go to China, who has the highest wages in the region, $3.26 an hour. Okay, they could amass greater and greater wealth. And with that, in our pay-to-play electoral system, they could come back and buy our legislators and our presidents. And they did. They were working ever since the New Deal was passed. They were hiring people to figure out, and they even studied a great Marxist theorist called Gramsci, who tried to figure out how to culturally as well as economically win a people. They tried to work out a way to to reamass their wealth and keep everyone else working for them as semi-slaves. And one of the ways they did that was through constant propaganda. They floated the idea that the problem was not big companies, big capitalists who deserted them, but the problem was big government with their regulations, even though it was big government that saved the mass of people in the New Deal. And that has saved the Germans, big government, saved the Chinese, big government that coordinated mass relief for COVID. You need a centralized government with some responsibility for the mass of people, which we don't have. And they attacked, these capitalists attacked the three forces that made the New Deal possible. So if you're you're a, you're a psychotherapist, if you're in an abusive, if you're in an abusive relationship, if you're part of a family with an abusive father, he will tell you what is happening and what you're ser- what you're saying, what you're experiencing, and what you're feeling. Is that a fair statement? That that, that, that a tyrant, an abusive father, says, "This is what happened. This is what you saw. This is the right way to feel, and this is the wrong way to feel." That's right, and that there are prohibitions. You cannot understand what's going on in any other way but the one advocated, which we have the best family, this is the way the world is. And you cannot, you can't let yourself go there, and you certainly can't talk about that. You cannot, yes. Because those are against the rules of this family. You cannot talk about what goes on in our family with other people. Right. Or with the family itself. And the neighbors are far worse. Everybody... All, you think this is bad? Go live with somebody else, and well, and 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 you demonize the people across the street. You 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 scare, uh, you you scare Child. your children by telling them how horrible everybody else is. That comes naturally to people, isn't that a? That's not. I would assume nothing if you're, comes naturally to people. I'm sorry. The thing is, people. Nothing comes naturally to people. We are not instinctual creatures. When, our, when we are born, our brains are the size of a small fist or a small apple. 
by the time we die, even a not very bright person has a brain the size of a Nerf football, about four times bigger, because our we are social animals, we're herd animals. And so that, you know, because look, let's face it, human beings aren't the swiftest, they're not, they, we don't have the best eyesight, we don't have the greatest strength, what we have is the ability to socially connect and make a difference. Well, so we but, could work together to bring down a big animal and then share the the meat in our earliest history. Okay, let, let me. Let, I'm going to interrupt you. Social, I, let no. me. Let me interrupt you. I apologize. Sure. It's, it seems to me, and this is probably because I'm a victim of abuse. I'm an American citizen. We're all traumatized by yeah, some kind of are. by some kind of abuse. I am convinced that it is human nature to have somebody in charge, either a father, a mother, a boss, who uses fear as a cudgel to keep you in line, to keep you off balance and frightened and not to challenge you because then you lose your authority. And I am convinced, having worked for so long in the system, that's how it's done because that's human nature. You're saying this isn't human nature? That isn't the earliest societies. Anthropologists will tell you, and there's even a book called The Dawn of Sex, or Sex at Dawn, something like that, about the earliest peoples and how they arranged marriages and how they arranged sexual connections. But every anthropological study of early people shows that early people would not have been able to survive if they hadn't worked cooperatively. Mm -hmm. That just wouldn't have happened because we are not superior in anything else except possible intellect and the ability to cooperate to make something happen. And the earliest societies were communist societies where right. people shared equally. You couldn't hunt animals alone. You couldn't grow enough grain alone. The women went out and created the basic diet of nuts and berries and grains. And the men did hunting and, you know, everyone shared. Right. We wouldn't have survived if they hadn't. And as it evolved into a society that owned things, that created herds that needed to be watched, and men and women were separated because women had children and needed to be more local for the children to breastfeed and so on, hierarchies were developed. But our natural instinct is not anything. We are what we're brought up to be. And there are lots of influences on us, psychological, physical, environmental. And one of the things that's happening now is people are afraid and their fears have been roiled up by Fox News and, and the right wing into thinking they should be afraid of their neighbor, refugees their neighbor and rape their neighbor, black people, uppity women and um, that the people destroying their lives are not the capitalists who took their livelihoods. They're the refugee, the foreigner, the brown person. Okay, last question. The, the, last, the woman. Yeah, last question. We have to wrap this up, and I'm begging you to come back all the time. I mean, of course. okay, this is the last question. Uh, paranoia and critical thinking. I, I fancy myself a paranoid, and I okay. fancy myself 
uh, pseudo-critical thinker, and some things have occurred to me locked in my home that in 2001 we had 9-11 and we were terrified into invading Iraq and passing the Patriot Act and giving up all our civil liberties. And then, mm-hmm. then a different crisis happens at the end of the Bush administration. There's the financial crisis. And we're terrified that capitalism is going to be destroyed and we all have to pass TARP and we got panicked into the consolidation of our banks. Now we have something new. It's almost a Hegelian dialectic. <laughs> it's almost, it's, it's the synthesis of uh, terrorism, the fear of, you know, the virus is terrorism and, uh, and, uh, and they shut down capitalism. So they've combined, they combined the financial crisis of 2008 with the attacks of 9-11 and have now come up with our current crisis. It's almost too perfect. Does that happen? So when, when you have somebody who's pretending to have critical thinking like me and who suffers from paranoia, does something like this happen naturally where the next crisis combines the previous two into one? Does that happen naturally through the flow of history or is... No, it doesn't have to. Like there don't have to be recessions every eight years or so. That's capitalism that over extends itself and it blows up with its debt and so on as it did in 2008. That's not inevitable. Not at all. And what... But the perfection, I'm sorry, Dr. Fraud, this is, this is what I'm asking about. How perfect it is that... Yes, I get it. But I don't think there's any plot. I think this is the dynamics of capitalism that cause these crises. Now, I don't know why COVID formed. I really don't. Nobody does, actually. And Mm -hmm. people, and Trump is trying to blame it on an ethnic group, as usual, to get us to hate them. But I know that there are real reasons to be frightened that are being exploited, and those are planet extinction, mm-hmm. climate change, the next recession, right. capitalist appropriation of your wealth. All of those are big, frightening things, unemployment, family disintegration. And those things are being hidden under hatred of another group like they were under Hitler. Because where you have terrified people who are brought up in authoritarian households, when they're really scared, many of them want to just be, I'll be good, I'll obey whatever the authority right. says. Right. There's also some, some people who went the other way. There's 20% on either side. The fascistic authority, Uber Alice, over everything. And about 20% know we need democratic interaction, and 60% in between. Right. And that's what Fox News cultivates, that 60% to feel that human nature is greedy, grab it before it all disappears, and grab it before us. And there's a very good story around the coronavirus about that, which is in Germany, they were, there's a company that's going to soon develop a vaccine. They had vice presidents, three presidents actually, 
one in Boston and two in, in Germany. The one in Boston was negotiating with Pence and Trump, who offered a billion dollars, much more than that company was worth, and presented it to the other two, who fired that CEO, and the other two said, we are developing a vaccine for the entire world to use. Capitalism has limits. Fantastic. And Not fantastic. So what you're telling me is... We've been talking with Dr. Harriet Fraud. Please go to HarrietFraud.com. That's F-R-A-A-D. Listen to her podcast, Capitalism Hits Home. Sign up for her newsletter. She is a mental health counselor and hypnotherapist practicing in New York City. And uh, thank you for helping us see what we see and not see what we're told to see. And I hope I can get you back next week. I'm keeping somebody waiting. Can I? Oh, I'm sorry. No, no, no. I, I'm, I'm so honored very to happy have... to talk to you again. And we will talk again. Thank you so much, doctor. Thank you. Thank you. Bye bye. Bye bye. Pablo. Hi, David. How are you? Good, good. I'm sorry to keep you waiting. Were you able to hear the doctor? I was. I was very interesting. Um, you know, some of the things that she's saying, and uh, we can see already. Is, uh, well, well we ha I haven't know. started recording yet, so hang on okay. for one second. Okay. You're listening to the David Feldman Radio Program, you sad, pathetic hump. Let's go to Beijing, where Timothy Ulrich is standing by. He is a writer for China Global Television Network. Opinions expressed by Timothy Ulrich do not reflect those of China Global Television or the David Feldman Show. Welcome, Timothy Ulrich. Hi, David. Thanks for having me again. Thank you for doing this. We appreciate it. Wuhan, where the coronavirus outbreak supposedly started, I, I suspect it really did, has begun to allow people out of their homes. There's been a two-month lockdown that is easing, and we're getting reports that Wuhan is coming back to life. Can you speak to what the future looks like? Because Wuhan is where this virus started and where it ends. So are we seeing a return to normalcy in Wuhan yet? In Wuhan, it'll be a bit slower. Definitely here in Beijing, it's it's coming back to life. Actually, um, went out hiking the other day because uh, this mountain opened back up and there was just a, a huge crowd of people uh out there hiking which was you know people are getting out now they're a bit more confident in uh the situation and yeah yeah i mean it's, it's the perfect time too the the birds are chirping spring's coming out so it, yeah and and what are the rumors that have been spread and the misinformation and disinformation is rampant Coming out of China, unfortunately, it's also coming out of the United States because Donald Trump 
stands on the podium every day and spews lies. So he can't be trusted. Here in America, we're relying on Gavin Newsom, the governor of California, Andrew Cuomo, the governor of New York, Bill de Blasio, the mayor of New York, and uh, Fauci, uh, Dr. Fauci. But there is state misinformation being spread by Donald Trump. When we talk about Wuhan and when I start saying, well, the numbers did come down, my American counterparts say, yeah, but you can't really trust China to give accurate information. And I say, well, you can't really trust the United States to give accurate <laughs> information. How I know you work for China Global Television, you're an American citizen, but. Do you trust these numbers coming out of Wuhan? I mean, we're being told that. There are almost zero new cases being reported in Wuhan. Well, just look at it this way. OK, so. Well, answer my question. Uh, excuse the, me for one second. Is it true that uh, about a couple of days ago, I read that the only new cases coming out of Wuhan, the epicenter, were people who mm -hmm. had come to Wuhan? Uh, right, right. Um, imported cases right. all across China. Um, and so those are, those are the reported numbers, whether or not they're accurate really depends on have all the cases been detected. There could be asymptomatic cases still around, um, that just haven't been detected and, uh, there haven't been tests ran on them as for as for the numbers at face value i honestly don't see why not i i don't think anything i don't think china would have anything to gain by deceiving people with those numbers i mean this is a this is a public health crisis that could only worsen if those numbers were uh you know um faked mm-hmm but I think the the important thing to look at is the um, is the fact of the matter on the ground there. So during this outbreak, they opened up 16 makeshift hospitals. Uh, these were either you know prefab hospitals or old uh, university dorms, hotels that were converted into into hospitals, isolation um, areas for, for patients. And those have now all shut down. And uh, the, the medical workers who were coming from all across the country to help are now going home. Now going so home. Was there a shortage of ventilators? Was there a shortage of hospital gowns and masks? There were, yeah. Yeah, and it, it was actually um, a massive show of national unity that all of these... All of these companies uh, dedicated their facilities to retrofit themselves to make masks or gowns. Or there was even a um, <clears throat> uh, it made uh, uh, it, how do I say this? Garments, female garments, and it, it retrofitted itself to make alcohol pads. Right. So I mean, there was a there was a major a major um, public push to respond to this crisis. Now, did this come from the top down or the bottom up? Well, a little bit of both. So there there was a lot of push from the national government. Um, but of course, you know, there there were 
um, there were factories that were available that had facilities ready to go that just said, hey, you know, we we can make uh, we can make masks. We're um, we're a textile factory. We can retrofit this. I, I, I don't actually have the percentage of those who volunteered versus the national. But um, to be honest, I, I think that it was actually more from the top down. From the top down. Which contrasts. Exactly. Was Beijing shut down? Did they just say, do not leave your house? Yes. Yes, in a way. Um, so what happened with Beijing, most of the population here come from outside of Beijing. They're uh, from other cities. So they were telling people who were about to come home from uh, celebrating Spring Festival with their friends, uh, with their family back home. Just don't come back to Beijing. Uh, so New York then, City, New York City, which many people think is the new epicenter, is a ghost town. You walk mm-hmm. outside, they've shut down all the restaurants, only essential services. Is that what Beijing looked like, say, a month ago? Yes. Yeah, it was. It was a ghost. Uh, town. They shut, nice the, they shut the no entire traffic. They shut the entire economy down in Beijing. Yes. And uh, what was considered yeah, was, what is uh, considered essential services in Beijing? It was the hospitals, supermarkets, pharmacies. Those were pretty much the only things open up until just a few weeks ago. How was that enforced? Starting- How was that enforced? <clears throat> Did you have police? Did you have military on the street? Were people being arrested? for violating the curfew? I mean, what they say in the United States is, of course, it's dying in Wuhan because China is an authoritarian regime. It's very easy for them to lock down the entire region. And I say, well, you you know, the United States has more prisoners per capita than China. Uh, (laughs) You know, we can do a pretty good job. We're, we're We're an authoritarian state, too. So I don't mean to be glib or but we we. We can shut the valve, as Governor Cuomo says. I mean, we can shut the bridges and tunnels. Uh, Was this enforced by the police, the military? Who was making sure that people stayed inside? Um, Well, people stayed inside at their own volition because they knew how big this was. And there really wasn't anything to do. People would go out to the park and get some exercise. But aside from that, you know, grocery shopping, that was kind of the only limited activity. And how do people get their comfort information? When I say comfort information, when there's a crisis in America, somebody emerges. Rudy Giuliani, believe it or not, after 9-11 became America's mayor. He was the person everybody turned to because George W. Bush was a buffoon. Well, we have another buffoon in the Oval Office. So people are getting their comfort information from people like Andrew Cuomo, de Blasio, uh, I guess throughout. And that's what's happening uh, on the East Coast. Where do the Chinese get their comfort news from? Who tells them what to do? Is there somebody who goes on television and calms them? And who would that be? Well, so um, in China, there's this weird belief in a thing. um, Okay, I'm going to have to pronounce this correctly. Skyance? Is it Skyance? Is that how you pronounce that? 
S-C-I-E-N-C-E, science? Oh, oh science. It? Yes, it's this thing that, yeah, we used to, it's, <laughs> it's like a law, it's like Latin. It's a dead language, but go ahead. Oh, yeah. okay, so instead of putting Mike Pence, who believes that dinosaurs were a, a, a conspiracy from the devil, they put in charge an epidemiologist in charge of the task force, and he does routine press conferences um, aired on state media, and uh, that trickles out to the various other outlets, non-state media, um, across social media, and, um, you know, that's how how that information is disseminated. Right. The big information to come out comes from a scientist. Okay. You're you're Uh, being funny. A real-life... Yeah. <laughs> I'm okay. sorry. Uh, you know, like, so just think about if Anthony Fauci was in charge of this and he actually had power to, because he goes in front of Congress and says, like, yeah, that our testing system is failing. What if he actually had power to, to change that? Right. Right. All right. So people are congregating in Beijing. The restaurants have reopened, correct? Slowly but surely, yes. Um, I think that there are still some tourist attractions shut down um, in, in some restaurants, but for the most part, things are opening back up. But there's there's certain rules in place, like um, at this one kind of popular spot for foreigners, it's called Stanley Twin. You go there and you have to sit a meter apart from each other. Only what is a meter? This is the United States. What, what's a meter? Oh, uh, a yard. That would be three feet. One yard. Yes. yes. Yep. Mm-hmm. First responders in New York City are the food delivery people. Were the food delivery people in Beijing considered first responders? How did you treat them? I mean, people couldn't have um, stayed inside without them. They were they were instrumental. And I've said <clears throat> I've said this on Twitter, but there should be a national day for not just the the first responders, the medical, um, the medical, the 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 the, um, the people in the hospitals, everybody on the front lines, but also people like uh, the, the grocery store workers, the, the delivery men. I mean, they were just fantastic. And, you know, every time I got a delivery, I made sure to tell them, because tipping isn't a thing here, but I made sure to tell them. Wait, wait, uh, wait, 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 wait. I thought tipping was a city in China. Tipping. That's an old joke, people say it. Remember, tipping is not a city in China. Tip your waitress. I think that's an actual joke that comedians. Is it? I think the MC at comedy clubs Ooh. years ago used to say. Who said that? I, I think I've heard MCs at comedy clubs go, how about a half of the waitresses? And remember, tipping is not a city in China. It's not a city in China. So that's an accurate the, the, joke. the least among us are being neglected. Here in the United States, we we hear about bailing out yeah. Boeing. We don't hear anything about uh, food banks and homeless shelters. What do you see in Beijing uh, with regards to the the least among you, the poorest, the uh, the hospitals, the prisons, 
Is it is it spreading in prisons? Is it spreading throughout the detention centers? There was an outbreak in a prison in Shandong, which was very worrying. Um, and I, you know, you said it that America is more of a carceral state than America. The difference is here that people who were um, unable to pay through insurance or their insurance was not enough for treatment and testing, they received all of that for free. Mm-hmm. So I, I am very concerned about the, the, the most disenfranchised economically in America compared to here. It's, it's incredibly worrying to think about that the most affected by this are the most disaffected in America. Have you tested? I have not, no. Could you test if you wanted to? Because we're being told that the secret to fighting off the coronavirus is testing, testing, testing. I'm not so sure that's... Well, I'm going to reserve judgment on that. Did Beijing undergo a, a massive testing of its citizens? There really wasn't, because I think at the peak there was about, uh, don't quote me on this, under a 1,000 cases. Um, But, you know, if I did have the symptoms and I I had the certain type of structure inside of my lungs viewed through a CT scan, then they would put me through a test. Yes. And it was easy to get tests. Yeah, absolutely. Right. Okay. Before you go, we've been talking with Timothy Ulrich. He is a writer for China Global Television Network. Opinions expressed by Timothy do not reflect those of his employer. Please tell me what the citizens of Beijing were told regarding staying safe. What were you instructed to do to stay safe, to to stay away from the virus? What is the official edict when it comes to staying safe from the virus the um there was a lot of information about um hygiene washing your hands wearing a mask when you go outside we're told masks by the american cdc i'm sorry we're we're told not to wear a mask that it doesn't make a difference (laughs) yeah yeah and there is a uh, there's an interesting I tried to hit on this last time, but there's an interesting piece in Time magazine comparing the culture of masks in Asia versus America. Um, you know, if you have a cold or something, you wear a mask here so that you don't spread it. OK, and I kind of brought this up last time that it helps um, it helps prevent it. It's not 100 percent because obviously, it, you know, I have to wear a mask everywhere I go and I'm. I'm terrible at it. I'm always like itching my face and uh, removing it so that I can take a sip of water or something. But it does help. It really it does. And and actually, right as we speak, I'm about to send some masks to my parents just because, you know, I, I would rather have them wear it than nothing at all. Kind of think of it like a like a prophylactic. You know, it's not 100 percent, but it certainly helps. We've been told that. If you have the virus, you should wear the mask, but you don't wear the mask to keep from getting from the virus. Is that what they believe in Beijing? Uh, well, the, yeah, the, the, the way of thinking is that you don't want to dispel the water droplets. 
Right. But if if you're thinking that the the mask will keep you from getting the virus, then you're mistaken. Uh, I believe so. But still, you have um, people in the hospitals, med- uh, medical workers wearing the mask to prevent it. But they have actual training. So what? So the official edict is wear a mask Wash your hands. What else are you being told to do in Beijing? (laughs) So you you almost just hit every point of like the most common propaganda poster out right now, which is wear a mask, wash your hands, trust in the science. Trust in the science. Yeah. They they literally say trust in the science? uh, That's that's a good way to... Uh, that's kind of my translation of it is trust in the science, but it's probably more like have faith that science will um, bring calm, I guess. Yeah. Speak to to this for a second, because I I know we're all anti-organized religion on this show. So we have various conversations about religious nuts who are saying this is the wrath of God visited upon the the demons in our country, all that stuff, and the insanity of religion over science. Uh, China is still run by the Communist Party. The Communist Party at one time outlawed religion. But I didn't know that they've eased restrictions on religion in China, they are pushing science. I mean, that becomes something that's manifest. You can you can hear that in in government doctrine where they're saying trust science. They're they're literally saying trust science. Don't believe in the quackery that's out there, medical quack, quackery and religious quackery. Is that what they're saying? Well, so you have to understand that China is a very scientifically oriented society. Uh, A vast majority of people believe in things like evolution and global warming, uh, very alien concepts to Americans. Um, And a lot of the the bureaucrats, the, the people in the government are from STEM backgrounds. Even um, I believe Xi Jinping studied chemical engineering when he was in college and he's the chairman of the communist he's the chairman of the communist party correct yeah the president of china he's the leader okay and and trump's best friend yes last question civil liberties did you Uh feel you lost any civil liberties during this crisis I mean, not really, because that would be selfish, right? For me to be all like, oh, I, I I, can't go and sit down in this Starbucks. What hath God wrought? Where are my civil liberties? Okay. I, I just don't get that argument. I would be I would be infringing on somebody else's civil, civil liberties if I if I forwent those certain restrictions. But are being are people being sent to prison for violating curfews? Yeah, I. I really haven't heard of any. Okay. Um, you know, I have a friend in, in uh, Zhejiang province, which is just kind of near Shanghai, and they had a they had a major outbreak. One of the things that happened was 
that you could only leave one person from each apartment could only leave like once or twice every two days. Um, and, and the biggest thing is, is like, um, you know, your, your building manager, the person in charge of your community um, has a say in that, you know, that you show them a card in some instances to go in, get, get back out. Um, I mean, there wasn't really any police involvement in that. It was more uh, up to that community official. Okay. Do they believe that the virus came from the United States or do they believe it came from Wuhan? This is, um, okay. So the, the, uh, and the reason I asked this I question, the reason about. I, the reason I asked this question is a yeah. lot of Americans are talking about a virus, a flu like cold that we, all contracted in December, around the same time that the Wuhan virus, the Wuhan, the, the coronavirus came out of Wuhan, around the same time that they were reporting this virus in China, I had something, a lot of people had something, and a lot of people are wondering if that was in fact the coronavirus or something similar. You're not a scientist. This is speculation. I'm just curious what they're saying yep. in China. Do they believe, because I've heard that certain Chinese leaders have said that the coronavirus came from the United States. What is yeah. being said in Beijing? So this is this is really funny and um there's there's mixed answers on this so the epidemiologist in charge of this entire uh investigation it, taking hold of everything to do with this outbreak he says that there's indications that it may have not have started in wuhan and you know he, he kind of left us on a cliffhanger there was there wasn't really much follow-up to that there was a report published by NPR that said that Italian doctors were noticing strange pneumonia type cases as early as November. And then you have the spokesperson for the foreign ministry, um, uh, Zhao, Zhao Jian, who said that this was actually brought over by American troops during the military games that took place in Wuhan. Um, there were American troops. Really, in, there were American troops in Wuhan. Yeah, so so there were military games that took place late last year in Wuhan, where um, uh, mi uh, militaries from all around the world were competing, kind of like the military Olympics, in a way. I didn't know that um, there was such a so, thing as the military Olympics. Me neither until we started covering it. <laughs> it was very. I'm going to look that up yeah, right so, now. The military you know, Olympics. Wuhan military Games. The Oh my God. Military World Games 2019 in Wuhan. The Military World yeah. Games is a multi sport event for military sports people organized by the International Military Sports Council. Wow. And it took place in Wuhan. Yep. 
Very Which is the same place that this outbreak took place, right? Um, a lot of people like connecting dots. Um, uh, you have uh, Tom Cotton. Is that the one who went yeah. on Fox News and said that it, it was a bioweapon that Ch- China released from its um, its its special uh, uh, what is it called infectious disease lab? Mm. Well, there is talk just, that there's a that there is a weapons lab in Wuhan, and that the virus may have been weaponized as an experiment, and then uh, got accidentally right, released. Which, have you heard this? Well, I, mean, I don't want to go there. Yeah, gonna, you have no, heard that. Right. And the WHO has actually ruled out that this was an engineered virus. Right. Uh, so, <laughs> who are you going to go with? Um, and yeah, yeah. So there's a lot of a lot of dots like that that people like to connect because this is like the the highest level security for um, uh, biological agents and infectious diseases. There's one in Omaha, Nebraska, right? Um, okay. So and- we're, yeah, we're 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 going into territory. Let's wrap up with this. According to NCOV. 2019.live. This is where we've been told to go to get the latest updates on casualties and all that. In the United States, uh, so far we have 35,581 confirmed cases of the coronavirus. It's going up because we're beginning to test. I'm sorry? That's scary. Yeah, but we're beginning. Yeah, we're beginning to test. In China, there are 81,093 confirmed cases out of, what, 1.2, 1.3 billion people? Over 1.4. 1.4 billion. You'll get it someday. You'll get it someday. I'll get it someday. You'll recite it after 1.4. Right. 466 Americans have died from the coronavirus so far. In China, 3,000. 270 have died from it. Uh, On uh, Sunday, nine people died in China from the virus. Uh, And uh, 39 new cases have been reported. So it's definitely going down in China and definitely going up Mm -hmm. in the United States. It took about three months in China to get this under control. And now... Are they planning for the second wave? There's going to be the aftershock that could end up being far worse, right? Um, I haven't heard talks about that outside of your show. Um, obviously, I'm sure that there's that there's concerns about it just because people are going back to work. Migrants are <clears throat> migrant workers are going back to the cities that they work in. So, I mean, that. If plus the imported cases, the influx of people coming back to China. I mean, yeah, it's it's pretty concerning. Okay, we have been talking with Timothy Ulrich. He is a writer for China Global Television Network. He's an American citizen working in Beijing. Opinions expressed by Timothy do not reflect those of China Global Television Network. Thank you. Great job. Stay well. Can you stay on the line, sir? How do people follow you on Twitter, please? Uh, yeah, I'm at Tall Tim Too Tall, T 
Tall Tim the number two call. That's a, that's a hard Twitter handle. Can you email me that? Whenever we're posting the show, it takes <laughs> yeah. time to find your Twitter handle. Thank you, Timothy. Stay on the line for uh, one second. Me. Thank you. Stay well. Tip, tip your delivery drivers, everybody. Yeah. Yeah. Cash. Seriously. Pay them cash. cash money. Yep. Cash. Yes. Do it. Or Bitcoin. Well, we'll discuss that later. Hang on. You're listening to the David Feldman Radio Program. You sad, pathetic hump. Let's go to Los Angeles, where the great Alan Minsky is standing by. He is executive director of Progressive Democrats of America, PDAAmerica.org. How are you feeling, sir? Well, I'm okay. Uh, today I'm feeling okay. This is a very unique circumstance to adjust to. There's nothing like it any of us, I'm sure, have ever gone through. Um, I've had the peculiar um, experience of having this hit uh, part of the world that I'm very close to a little earlier than most Americans. I, uh, My family actually has an apartment in the city of Bergamo in Lombardy in Italy, which if people have been following the news from over there, that city is the single worst city hit in all of Europe. Uh, and we have friends who are sick there, so that's been very troubling. Um, tragically, I think I, all that means is I'm just a couple weeks in front of where everybody else is going to be. Fortunately, no one who is dear to us that we know of has died there, but we do have three friends who are quite sick still. Quite sick. What did Italy, what do you understand the the problem with Italy to be? Because they're, I, I don't mean to be glib here, but if we can trust the numbers coming out of Wuhan, Italy seems to be surpassing China in terms of deaths. You know, oddly, um, my mom and sister were in Italy. My mom is 91 at the time. However, they were not in Bergamo. They were in Florence and then Rome. In fact, we tend to um, rent out our apartment in Bergamo in the months other than the summer, which is usually when my mom is there. So it was odd that she was in, in Italy at the time. But the problem was in the north. And they got down to Rome when the problem really kicked in, and then they closed everything down. Now, the problem with the way the Italians responded is they didn't close the north down fast enough. In fact, it looks like they left many large businesses, including factories, open in the north. So, you know, apparently the, the virus was introduced by a tourist who had come from China. Who knows if there'll be more details about that coming forward. But there are a few things to understand about northern Italy, including Bergamo. The population density is like New York City. In other words, it's unlike anything else we have in the United States, because New York is obviously a complete outlier in terms of population density when it comes to the United States. Italy is incredibly densely populated. The region is. Um, and then the city of Bergamo itself is a town which is a tourist attraction, and every weekend people from around the region flood into it in a very packed old medieval town where there's always something going on in the streets and people are just socializing very closely, a very old population, a lot of smokers in Italy, and yeah. all of these intriguing factors. Yeah. But the fact that they didn't shut it down fast enough is why you have such a split between the South and the North and why it's so bad in the North. 
And during the debate between Biden and Bernie, one of the things Biden said was, well, Italy has socialized medicine. And Ber- and Bernie didn't respond to that. Do you know what kind of medicine, what kind of, do they have socialized medicine? What kind of medical care do they have in Italy? In Italy, when you go in and you need treatment, uh, if you need emergency treatment, it's completely free. Um, the cost of doctors is incredibly low or negligible. I'm not entirely sure what their system is. You know, there are all sorts of hybrid systems over there in Italy, but it's one of these countries where there's complete universal coverage that extends, by the way, to tourists who are there. Uh, and, uh, and it is, um, half the cost, uh, per person that it is in the United States. And it's considered to have an, an excellent healthcare system. I mean, the problem here is again with the, the notion of flattening the curve that we've all learned about in terms of the strategy that's being adopted by pretty much all the governments around the world now. Uh, Northern Italy didn't go into the kind of quarantine that was necessary to achieve that. So in the region, and in particularly tragically in the city, I know as well as I know Los Angeles, um, it, it just, uh, the hospitals were completely overwhelmed. And, you know, you can find the footage online of the hospital emergency rooms. It looks like it was, people really have to have a strong constitution to look at those videos. Yeah, there was a piece in Bloomberg last week about how they report the coronaviruses in Italy alongside the comorbidities. That there is a possibility, and again, I don't mean to trivialize what's going on, but there is a possibility in this Bloomberg piece that something like 99% of the fatalities from the coronavirus in Italy had a comorbidity. In other words, it either was a very old person, somebody with leukemia, somebody with advanced stages of emphysema. Have you heard anything about the way they're reporting the deaths? Yeah, um, I, yeah, no, I think I think that this was um, something also that came up in as we're speaking uh, today on Monday in today's press conference with the Trump people. Uh, but here, here's the thing is, that, again, I think what happened, again, in a particular town and, and even very specific to Bergamo, there even was a nearby town where they closed things off and it had, it had half the death rate that they had for Bergamo. Right. And that's for a stretch of days. So what happened here is the, the hospital wards were overwhelmed there. It's the one instance we know of in the world so far. And again, unfortunately, it looks like there are going to be more coming soon. But we'll see how all these curves look in the next few days. Um, and hopefully, if there's any truth to the idea that, that the um, the, the people who were afflicted, uh, or if there's any over-reporting, by all measure, let's hope there was over-reporting because we don't want to have what happened there to happen right. here right. or anywhere else. So I check in with a correspondent from Global Chinese Television Network, Timothy Ulrich. He's an American citizen working over there. He says the numbers coming out of the, the Chinese government are to be respected. Everybody here says, no, the Chinese government lies. Meanwhile, I got Donald Trump on my TV in the background, and people are saying you can't trust the Chinese government. Do you trust the story coming out of Wuhan that it's now being contained? I don't know. I hope so. Again, I mean, I I just, uh, like anybody else, and as you know, I have a journalism background, and uh, obviously in America with social media and everything, there's always 
conspiracy theories, misinformation. Then there's the question as to whether you can get honest information out of a society like China with the government that controls the information flow so 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 thoroughly. Um, I certainly hope so. I, I don't know. Um, and I pretty much have watched a number of reports from Wuhan, and it does seem like they released a lot of health workers from there, and they were claiming that there are have been no new uh, deaths there recently. There have been some in other parts of China, but that they had contained it there. Now, you know, even with that level of containment and how they proceeded by, um, you know, the quarantining and isolation strategies that they did, which were, you know, achieved through very strict measures, the um, the question is then what happens to that population when uh, the virus, uh, when people get re-exposed to the virus. I mean, these things come in different waves. So we're going to learn all this kind of thing and, you know, how fast the, the immunities, I suppose the new term we're going to, Learn more about is called herd immunity. Uh, you know how many, how how significant portion of of the population is going to uh, have built up immunities to it. And of course, the only way you achieve that without a vaccine is through some contact um, with with the virus. I mean, just to to round off, I'm no specialist in this stuff, but the kind of thing I'm learning about is, you know, they're they're scrambling around. There are all these different um, non-vaccine approaches that are being spoken about. Obviously, the Malaria drug that Trump has made famous and now that it's been a rush on, uh, in, you know, in pharmacies across the United States. You know, something like that is that if we do this, the isolation, the quarantine, and we survive the first wave, hopefully there'll be ways to treat this that will be effective that, um, you know, the science will very rapidly, um, recognize and, and then they'll be mass produced and they'll help out in that regard. Yeah. Cheat Hare over at The Nation magazine, who we've had on this show. And by the way, you have written for The Nation. You produce one of their podcasts. Cheat Hare talks about therapeutic nihilism. It comes to us from Austria in the late 19th century. Did you read about this? No, but it's, it's the kind of thing I normally love when I'm in a mood for loving things, which I'm not necessarily, necessarily in these days. But do, do please tell me about that. Well, you'll like this because it combines everything we're experiencing from Trump's podium. Therapeutic nihilism, according to Jeet here, came to us from <laughs> Austria in the late twenty, late 19th century, and it was a belief that... David, David, what, what didn't come to us uh, from Austria in the late 19th century? That's what I asked. Uh, you're right. <laughs> yeah, I don't know, Freud, then later Hitler, who knows? Go ahead. <laughs> so... Medicine was so bad in the late 19th century that it became a sort of received wisdom that first do no harm, that it's better to just let the disease take its course and the patient will be better off. I mean, George Washington was bled to death, you know, with, so the, the feeling was let the, let the patient rely on its own body to cure it. And from that, Hayek, who's also from uh, Australia, he took... See what I mean? I'm sorry? See what I mean? What didn't come from? So free market capitalism, Hitler, Freud, Wittgenstein, what didn't come from 19th century Austria? Right. And so Hayek adopted therapeutic nihilism from the medical community and transposed it into economics, where you just leave the economy alone and it will fix itself. And we're seeing that 
from Trump's podium. He's saying we can't let the cure be worse than the disease. And uh, they want a smaller stimulus package. So I just thought I'd share that with you. Let's turn to economics, which you know something about. Nancy Mm -hmm. Pelosi has introduced Mm -hmm. a $2.5 trillion stimulus package. There's nothing coming out of D.C. right now. There's no stimulus package. Has she picked up the ball? A lot of people thought last week she dropped the ball. Are you happy with Nancy Pelosi? um, I'd rather just just pass on that. I don't think that's so much the issue as, as um, uh, you know, exactly the way this, this was played out. Um, the ball was in the Senate's court, but it seems like Pelosi has been in coordination with Schumer as they have pushed back on and basically blocked the Senate, the Republicans bill from the Senate. And, and so now there's, the way it was going to work is that if a bill got passed that was approved by the Democrats in the Senate, the House was not even going to return back to Washington. They were going to just have a consensus from the Democratic caucus, the majority caucus, to let it go through. And there wouldn't be a bill from the House. There wouldn't be reconciliation. Now that's all in question, and the House has introduced a uh, what is what is a stimulus package that is has a lot in it that is that is much more agreeable to progressives than, than anything we're ever going to see out of the Senate. So the issue right now, at the moment we're speaking, is is this just actually an extra bargaining chip for Schumer to utilize to get what he wants uh, so that the Republicans don't have to go into reconciliation with the bill that's introduced in the House? I'm actually guessing that that's the case. So I'm not quite sure if this House stimulus bill will ever play the conventional role of now having to go into reconciliation, which would produce a lot of very good progressive results if it did, much better than anything we get out of the Senate. But I'm, I'm imagining what's going to happen now is Schumer's going to have a stronger hand of bargaining. They'll come together with something, and then this House bill will will have not will not be part of what's presented going forward. I think that's the case. I could be proven wrong by tomorrow. Right. $500 billion in loans to small businesses. Unemployment compensation of $600 per week for workers who have been put out of work specifically by the coronavirus. Good luck figuring out who hasn't been impacted. We'd each get $1,500, $7,500 for a family of five. This is Nancy Pelosi's $2.5 trillion bill. It would provide $150 billion to hospitals and community health centers to buy... uh, you know, ventilators and, and stuff. Ten ten thousand dollars of student debt relief. There's a, there's a lot in there. Yeah, um, that, that's very uh, appealing compared to what's been bandied about in the Senate. But you know, it, it just I know we don't have that much time. And and what's also phenomenal right now is what the Fed is proposing to do in terms of buying up corporate debt, something that never occurred during the two thousand eight two thousand nine uh, crisis at the height of that, but to utilize a sort of a, parallel or analogous operations similar to what they did in terms of uh, the banks. Um, but to do it now for not just banks, but for major corporations and corporate, I mean, whatever. Maybe not yeah, explain how this works, because the, the biggest debt right now is corporate debt. 
Everybody thinks right. the stock market's doing well, so corporations are doing well. But corporations have racked up record debt, meaning they've issued bonds. Disney yesterday issued five right. billion dollars in emergency bonds. People buy then. I think they're paying like three percent. That would be a corporate debt, right? Right, and that is what that is what the Fed is basically saying they're going to do. I don't even think it's a matter of. You know, I don't think that there's a. They, they say they said in what they released today, what Powell released today, um, that there was an aspect of looking for the Congress to do something to free them up to do more. So you'd have to go back and look at what specifically uh, Powell said today. But this is a huge deal when you look at the way that the American economy survived, uh, as best if you want to use that word, the 2008-2009 crisis. But for all of the things that happened with Nancy Pelosi and, uh, you remember, uh, what was the name of the guy, Paulson and Pelosi. Paulson was on his knees to Nancy Pelosi at one point. George W. Bush is still president at this point. You know, McCain was resistant to it. Obama favored it. Obviously, Obama got elected and it continued from there. All of that drama that played out, uh, you know, in the halls of Congress. The Fed, of course, really was the operation that saved the financial system and even the global financial system. So what's going on away from Congress and the operations of the Fed is very, 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 very significant. It can't be overstated and may even be the larger part of how uh, American governmental institutions uh, navigate what's coming out in front of us. And by all measure, David, I mean, of course, the first order to recognize is this is, you know, astronomical. And, of course, the, the level in which it's astronomical, it's not around what happened in 2008, 2009 with so many people's uh, housing properties just absolutely tanking, uh, the mortgages, you know, forcing waves and waves of foreclosures. That's the way it immediately impacts people. Here, as we all know, this is about unemployment, uh, no money coming into everybody's, uh, every household's, uh, individual household's coffers, uh, the incapacity to be uh, consumers anywhere near the level of what we were previously. Obviously, there's some frontline industries related to travel and tourism that are in more danger initially. And, of course, Trump is oversensitive to those things. So let, let, let me just, let, let's just understand something yeah. here, because yeah. corporate debt is, uh, you know, in excess of about $10 trillion. Student loan debt is about $1.3 trillion. I don't have it in front of me. No, one point one point six or $7 trillion. $1.6 or $7 trillion. Mm -hmm. And they're going to bail out corporate America by buying those bonds and retiring those bonds. So if you bought that Disney bond that pays 3% and you own it, you what happens? You get a check from the Federal Reserve? You get money? Um, no, I, I don't know that the, they're, first, I don't know that they're retiring. And I apologize. I brought up a subject and I should know the details of it better. We really, it, all I'm saying right now is people should go and read the details and understand as best they can. Just Google uh, the Federal Reserve and Powell. This was a proposal that was floated um, on Wednesday or Thursday, and when it's floated by the people I'm about to say floated it, you'll see it was more than just a matter of floating it. It was Ben Bernanke and Janet Yellen, and they wrote an op-ed that I saw in the Financial Times, I think it was originally published in the Wall Street Journal, that these exceptional measures should be taken. Right. And now my understanding is, is that it's a little bit analogous to um, TARP in that 
the money that the Fed would use, right, generating funds in the way the Fed does to purchase the debt, that um, much like the way the TARP money came back, the money would come back ultimately from corporations. I mean, what we are faced with here, and this is why this is on the table, is that all these companies, which were uh, like individual households, operating and paying their bills, balancing their books, or not, because they were running up massive debt, because that's the way they, they, they Excuse operate. Excuse me, I'm trying to understand, when, when, when they buy, this, and this is the Federal Reserve, so you can tell yeah. me anything and I'll believe it, when yeah. they buy bonds, mm-hmm. then... Who is, yeah, is that's, the, that's the debt that they're buying up. They're and, bu- and again, the way that the way the term debt works in you know double entry bookkeeping can be itself a little bit counterintuitive to the way that we normally speak. So the, you know, what's a debt? What's an asset? Um, the corporations, though, are basically facing obviously very quick term bankruptcy. They, like any other household right now, are in an analogous situation where they're simply not going to be generating any money. And so they need to be bailed out or we're going to wake up whenever this is over six months from now and they'll be these corporations will be non-functional. And in all so, fairness, not that anything's fair, right. these corporations, uh, they, I mean, the, the $10 trillion of corporate debt is pretty bad. I think it's about half the economy, actually, that debt. Right. But, but they didn't shut down the economy. The government did to save everybody's um, lives. Well, there's that. And, um, you know, again, though, this is a, this is exactly the type of thing in which strings should be attached in all of these ways. And, you know, when, gov- when governments buy and save these companies, and it's not quite analogous to the banking situation because, yes, these companies are being killed by the virus, not by their own malfeasance, as was the case with the banking industry in uh, 08 and 09. Still, the way a government can structure this kind of relationship is, for instance, um, and I think this, there was a good article written about it this, just today somewhere, and you have to look up Warren Buffett's relationship to Goldman Sachs, because Buffett apparently played a role of insulating Goldman Sachs from bankruptcy, and the way that he did it in 08 and 09 meant that he got a great return. Mm-hmm. Now, the, the Treasury then, right, and or the Fed, should get a great rate of return. In other words, we should be a privileged owner of these organizations, all of us collectively, when we bail them out, right? And that's something that you didn't see from the Bush and Obama administrations or the Bernanke Fed. So this time around, we should insist on that. But this brings us back to the political dynamics of Washington and the broader political dynamics in the country where big money basically owns the political system. How likely are we to have the leverage to demand that the people of the United States get a return from the, as the companies, you know, start making, making profits, their stock prices go back up? Who's going to be the beneficiary? If we bail them out, we should be the beneficiary. I mean, that's the, that was the cardinal sin of 08 and 09. And that's very much what we are staring into right now is the same replication of that companies are going to be bailed out by us, the taxpayers. We're going to end up with a greater burden because of that, and we're not going to see any benefit. There's ways of structuring these responses where we are able to co-benefit moving forward along with the uh, otherwise benefiting corporate 
uh, you know, very powerful, massive, wealthy corporations. Well, I think when Fed Chair Powell runs for re-election, voters should put his feet to the fire. <laughs> yeah, that's the thing, isn't it? <laughs> and then that, that, that brings us back to uh, Joe Biden, Bernie Sanders, and, and Fed Chair Powell. To be continued, Alan Minsky is executive director of Progressive Democrats of America, PDA.org. PD, what, what is your website, please? PD America. PD America. And and how do we follow the organization on Twitter? Oh, you find us by PD America on Facebook and PD America on Twitter. Uh, We're easier to find on Facebook for some reason as Progressive Democrats of America, but on Twitter our tag is PD America. And you also have a great piece over at Down with Tyranny, Howie Klein's blog. Love Howie. Yep, Mm -hmm. yep. Last question. It's Biden, Mm -hmm. right? That nothing happens, right, Bernie? It's over with Bernie? Right. Oh, I don't know. I mean, this is a very dynamic situation right now. If anybody has been paying attention, uh, look, look, we have, this is a whole thing I wrote an article about and we haven't spoken about it. And I know you only got a minute left, but, uh, you know, there are reasons that the establishment, the American political establishment was hell bent on making sure that Bernie Sanders didn't, uh, get the nomination. And they pulled out all the stops and played their cards effectively and achieved the end they felt they needed to achieve by blocking Bernie Sanders. And, giving the um, nomination and the clear path of nomination to a moderate and non-Bernie Sanders candidate. Well, the one they settled on is Joe up for the job. I mean, if you look at his appearance today and look at what he's done since this crisis is hit and compare it versus Bernie Sanders, yeah, you just pretty much are deluding yourself, just flatly lying to yourself if you think that Bernie Sanders is not up for this job and that Joe Biden is because the exact opposite is true. It couldn't be more clear. And not only that, but that Sanders... The very signature positions that he has foregrounded uh, throughout his these, these two presidential campaigns that he's run clearly are responsive to the needs of the historic moment that we're in right now, and they're ever more necessary because of the crisis we're in now. And yet he will be blocked because of money and politics and all those things that I mean we're, we're we have you know what what do we need to do and what can we do right now is the question we should be asking to make sure that the response to the coronavirus is such that the people of the United States come out with a deal not only better than 08 and 09, but a more just economy moving forward. Second question is then, yeah, what can we do to get Bernie Sanders to be a Democratic nominee for president at this late hour? Because it sure would be good for the world. Stay well, sir. Thank you so much, David. Okay. You too. Bye-bye. Bye. Have you called in your backup becomes now? See if we can get some more brain power in this We thing. got one here. Roger. Fly it in, go. Go ahead and call. Uh, he's, never mind, he's. Up a little bit. Okay. Okay. Now let's everybody keep cool. We got the limb still attached. The limb spacecraft's good. So if we need uh, to get back home, we got a limb to do a good portion of it with. Okay. Let's make sure that we don't do anything that's going to blow our CSM electrical power with the batteries, or that will cause us to lose the main or the uh, fuel cell number two. Okay, we want to keep the O2 and that kind of stuff working. We'd like to have RCS, but we got the command module system, so we're in good shape if we need to get home. Let's solve the problem, but let's not make it any worse by guessing.
You're listening to the David Feldman Radio Program. You sad, pathetic hump. You say that to all your guests. I know, I know. No, I don't. Let's go to Green Bay, Wisconsin, where Professor Harvey J.K. is standing by. His latest book is Take Hold of Our History, Make America Radical Again. Something to read while you're cooped up inside. Hello, Professor. Hello, hello. David, how you feeling? I, I, I'd uh, complain, but... Uh, you know, I, I got a uh, my back. I'm worried about. I'm just gonna start complaining <laughs> about everything. I mean. <laughs> I'm coughing a little bit, but this cough goes back before the virus. Okay, I, I'm just to make sure I'm washing my hands. Here's what I'm resenting: young people calling to see how I'm doing. Back off! I resent that. <laughs> I'm fine. Well, that's you know what you know. What? I was talking to a colleague of mine on the phone today, and. Uh, I was saying to him, you know, it's, it's, it's kind of selfish of me, but at 70, I can't really go out and be too active in crowds. But apparently people under 19, I, people under 19 can do that kind of stuff. So maybe it's time for a new civilian conservation corps or a civilian preservation corps, you know, something along the lines of young people sort of, you know, since they're not in high school anyhow, most of the schools are closed, they get involved in sort of, you know, collective activities to, to help out people who, who can't help themselves. And then we definitely do give them free public higher education. Yeah, yeah. Well, I wanted to ask you about how this country has handled crises like this in the past. I am an eternal optimist. I cannot help it. I'm a Pollyanna. I always see things as a gift. It has to be that way. Crisis is opportunity. That came to us from China, along with the coronavirus. But they do say <laughs> crisis is opportunity. So yes. let's start off on a positive note. What would Franklin Roosevelt say? Well, he was okay. a sunny, wasn't he a sunny optimist? Yeah, yeah. As a matter of fact, um, yeah, you know, it, what's interesting is, you know, I've been thinking a lot about this. I'll just point out this book I brought out, Take Hold of Our History, um, that in many ways it was directed at the already existing crisis we faced, um, which was the fact that for 45 years we've been subject to this class war from above by the right and the rich, the corporate rich, and neoliberals. And Donald Trump is the consequence of that crisis. So in many ways I thought to myself, well, this is surely the opportunity for Americans to remember who they are and and not only seek to expel Donald Trump and the Republicans from Washington, D.C., but also perhaps to do what needs doing. And I, and I say that because Roosevelt, and we go back to Lincoln, we go back to the, to the likes of the Revolution, that R Roosevelt had this tremendous confidence in his fellow citizens, and he had a, a remarkable sense of history. And I think I've said this before on the show, he actually uh, came to be called by, by various historians the history teacher-in-chief, and that is that even as, as a candidate and then as president, he always wrapped his, his arguments, his reflections, his proclamations in his own sense of history, which he believed he shared with most Americans. And what that meant is that he looked back, he looked back to the time of the Civil War, he looked back to the time of the Revolution, and he seemed to appreciate what most of us have for too long forgotten, and that is that, that in many ways, America is a revolution. 
And the biggest danger that faces the United States is that for too long we might be governed by conservatives. In other words, he had no, under, no problem understanding how conservatives might govern, and they might govern for an awfully long time. And, but the danger, as far as he was concerned, is that they might govern for too long a time. And in those cases, they're always presented as of the possibility of either of, of some kind of revolution of an un-American sort, you might say. Mm-hmm. A revolution that, in his case, he might have thought of either as fascist, that as took place in Germany and in Italy and other uh, Euro- Central European countries, or perhaps communist, and, and result in something like the Soviet Union, an authoritarian, or some social scientists put it, totalitarian kind of political and economic order. And he thought that at those kinds of moments where, where a, an authoritarian revolution might threaten, that was the time that Americans themselves needed to make America fairly radical, I mean, indeed, radical for a generation. That is, carry out significant transformations. And what he meant by that is address inequalities, address injustices, empower American citizens to sustain the American revolution. That's really interesting. You know why? Because we have Dr. Harriet Fraud on the show today, and she is a Uh Marxist psychotherapist, and she was talking about the tensions that arise from a crisis like this, and there are two pl- there are two directions you can go. You can turn to fascism, or you can turn to communism. And what you're saying is so interesting that Roosevelt. I'm just reiterating what yeah, you sure. just said because it's, mm-hmm. it it bears repeating over and over again. And it's the genius of Franklin Delano Roosevelt. He saw Hitler and he saw Stalin. Neither was appealing to him. And you're saying that he he understood yeah, I, something that there was an alternative. Yeah, very, yeah. yeah, as a matter of fact, I can I just I just grabbed hold of the quote itself. I keep it not too far away from where I'm sitting. In in nineteen thirty he told his friend John Kingsbury, and I have to admit I don't remember who John Kingsbury himself was. Uh, he told them that that there and I'm quoting now, there is no question in my mind, Roosevelt said that it is time for the country to become fairly radical for a generation. History shows that where this occurs, nations are saved from revolution. Mm. Okay? Because he did fear what might happen if, if conservatives continued to prevail in America, that it might result in something that had happened, something like that which had happened in fascist Italy or Nazi Germany or, for that matter, uh, communist Russia. I mean, he really did believe that it was imperative... That, that, that we carry out what turned out to be a revolution in many ways, but especially radical changes were necessary. And, and keep in mind that when he first started speaking in these kinds of terms, was actually when he was rather young, but especially, say, in the 1920s, when he was suffering from polio. I mean, he would always suffer from the consequences of polio, but, but at this point in the 20s, he had to confront the reality itself of polio, whereas as time went on, he, he sort of um, transcended the affliction in order to become a very, very vibrant leading kind of figure in America and then eventually president. So in the 1920s, he gave a talk at uh, the Milton Academy, which is up in the Boston area, and he told these, these were teenagers he was talking to, you know, sort of high schoolers, and he actually told them how, imp- how change was a good and that when conservatives rule for too long, 
it's dangerous. So already he's thinking about the imperative. This is before the, the, the Depression hits. This is like 1925-1926. And then when the Depression hits, he sees it as a consequence of conservative rule, that the, the crash and depression of the late 20s into 30s, that was due to the fact that conservatives had governed too long. And in the, and the course of governing, they had essentially disempowered Americans, that the corporate rich had gotten all the more powerful, and that in many ways this had been going on for all too long because he was thinking of the period, say, 1880s, 1890s, what we call the Gilded Age uh, using Mark Twain's, the novel by Mark Twain as, as, uh, as the reference point. And he got to this point, he, he really did worry, and he, in fact, it was always in his mind that if somehow Americans themselves didn't advance that radicalism during the course of the 30s, that the danger would be that conservative Republicans might not only return to power, but might open the door to fascism or possibly some kind of communist reaction. So, yeah, he had this on his mind a lot. Now, what did that mean for him? It meant that when he spoke of a new deal, as he did in 1932 when he was running for president, he didn't mean, oh, good, the, we, we Democrats will get back in power and we can divvy up the proceeds and we can restore things to uh, some kind of uh, golden era of the past. No, what it actually meant for him was this would give this would give Americans the opportunity to address, first of all, the Depression, to, to, to lift the nation themselves out of the Depression. But to do that, he didn't think it was just a matter of priming the pump. You know that expression, priming the pump? You know, hand out a lot of money. Right. You know, give businesses a lot of money. What it meant for him was that you were going to pursue initiatives that would actually radically transform America. So that included not only placing business under far more regulation, supervision and regulation by democratic government than had ever existed in the past, but also it meant that you were going to recruit young people, young men in particular, into the Civilian Conservation Corps, not only for their sake, okay, to give them jobs and give them health care, provide them with a better education while they were in the Corps, but, but also in order to fight soil erosion. And they planted millions, hundreds of millions, if not you know, billions of little saplings, seedlings and saplings, to fight soil erosion. That it would also mean they could then create parks, that they could uh, lay down sidewalks. And this was also true all the more for the, for the Works Progress Administration. The idea was that you empower people in the course of fighting the Depression. And in the course of doing so, it would also involve, as it did both in 1933 when he signed the National Industrial Recovery Act, but then all the more aggressively and assertively in 35 when he signed the Wagner Act, the National Labor Relations Act. I mean, Roosevelt, Roosevelt understood not only what was essential to fighting the Depression, but in many ways what was essential to being an American. Right. In the fight for the four freedoms, what made America's... Uh, what, what made, made FDR, FDR the greatest generation? Yeah. yeah, what made FDR and the greatest generation truly great? I think you wrote, I think it's been a mm -hmm. while that he was not a big reader. That Roosevelt was a man of action. You know, yeah, that's not me. No, okay. that that's not me. No, what I did say, this is what it was, is that he, he admired he admired Teddy Roosevelt, his right. cousin, 
and Woodrow Wilson, in whose administration he served as Assistant Secretary of the Navy. And he not only admired them, but he also wanted to emulate them. He wanted to be president. From a, as a young man, there was no question he wanted to be president. So he, you know, he had, he, in many ways, he sort of mimicked Teddy Roosevelt. In, in certain ways, he sought to copy Woodrow Wilson. But he really did find his own way, except in one sense, he failed, which is trivial compared to the other stuff he accomplished. Both Teddy Roosevelt and Woodrow Wilson were authors. Okay, mm-hmm. Roosevelt, you know, Teddy T.R. wrote a lot of books. Woodrow Wilson may not have written a lot of books, but the books he wrote were significant in size, and they became sort of reference, you know, textbooks uh, of their day. And Roosevelt, Franklin, that is, FDR, realized after the war, after the Democrats lost the White House, that when he returned uh, to, to the homestead, you know, to Hyde Park, that he would need to emulate them, that he would now have the time to write American history. So he, he, he actually read quite a bit in a significant library. He also had a, an amazing stamp collection. And this, in many ways, that might have been his primary, uh, not calling, what's it called, you know, his primary hobby and avocation. So what he did is he set himself to the idea of writing a new history of the United States. He said that all the histories he had looked at so far just didn't get at how dynamic America was from the very start. And he set himself to do it, but he couldn't get beyond, I think it was like one or maybe two chapters. He just didn't, he didn't find that he had that kind of discipline, what you, know, you might say a writer's discipline, an authorial discipline. So he pushes it aside. But to go back to what I was saying earlier, he actually becomes far more significant a historian, you might say, than either Teddy Roosevelt or Woodrow Wilson, because his speeches became this sort of transformational story of America, where Americans, as they pursued the New Deal, could also see how they themselves were not only improving their own lives and improving the economy, that they were making history as Americans are supposed to make history, by improving America, not by just enjoying the benefits of the nation. Let me ask you about Nancy Pelosi's bill and what, what Roosevelt would have imagined as opposed to Nancy Pelosi. So there's a coronavirus stimulus bill that's being held up in the Senate, in the House, and Nancy Pelosi late last night proposed her own $2.5 trillion coronavirus stimulus bill. And yeah. it's different from what the Republicans want to pass. They're pushing uh, safeguards to make sure that corporations are spending the money on their workers and not stock buybacks. And oh, yeah. it's a massive. As they did the last time around. Yeah. I'm sorry? Which they've done before when handed monies from the federal government. Right. They bought back stock, yeah. The name of the bill, this is proposed by the Democratic Party. Mm-hmm. The name of the new bill, it's a $2.5 trillion stimulus bill. It's called Take Responsibility for Workers and Families Act. Uh, how, does that, how, does that, how does that take responsibility for, for workers. workers and Families Act. And when I saw the name of the bill, I could hear... Oh, holy cow. What? What did you say? Oh, I want to say worse, but holy cow. These people have no imagination when it comes to messaging, that's for sure. <laughs> well, I thought, because I heard your voice, 
yeah. earlier when I read that. I went, oh, I got to ask, Professor, because the F word came to mind. Like it has the words responsibility in it, yeah. workers and yeah. families straight I, out of the, you know, Frank Luntz school of messaging. <laughs> Would Roosevelt at the height of the Great Depression start talking about the plight of workers and families? What? Well, of course, absolutely. But but what should we but, really but he would, be focused on? But he would have on? known better than to name it something that's that that hard to remember. Okay, he might hey he maybe he would have called it a new deal. Oh my God! But that right. would have been too much, right? Right. Or or maybe he would have called it a workers and family act. Right. But what, yeah. I mean, but here's the problem I have with taking. Okay. Sorry. I, yeah. I, yeah. I mean. The, the the problem I have with Take Responsibility for Workers and Families Act is baked into that is if you're working, you're entitled to some sort of assistance. If you have a family, you're entitled to some sort of assistance from the federal government. Responsibility, if you're responsible, you're entitled to some sort of bailout from the government. What about the people who are on the streets, who don't have families, don't have jobs, and quite frankly, have no responsibilities because they're isolated alone and just getting by. We just oh, let them... Well, yeah, I did, I, if, if that's what you're asking about, then I can tell you that even if, even if those same priorities might have governed in key initiatives in the Roosevelt administration, his, his, his idea for rapid action, first and foremost, was to make sure that people who did not have jobs had wherewithal, okay? You mean food, and, you mean food and shelter. And shelter, you bet, food and shelter, and soon enough, although right now everything needs to be worked out, I suppose, jobs. Right. Because he knew full well that Americans did not like handouts, and, and that probably still remains the case. But when in, in this kind of crisis, I mean, this is this crisis is of course somewhat different from when he took office because the United States had already been in the recession for, for a period of time, and the Republicans had utterly screwed up any means of actually trying to overcome the Great Depression. So in many ways, we're facing look. In many ways, we're facing a, a crisis that is unprecedented. But in other ways, this has been a crisis in the making. So can, can I change the question a little bit, yeah, David? Yeah. Okay. And the reason I say that is, I bet, I don't, know, I don't know if people have the time, and they probably don't, but if they do have the time, since so many of us are at home, they might want to go back and look at the archive of the shows you've got on the, online, okay, in various places they can go. Um, and, and they ought to have a look at your cover, our conversation. Okay, the ones we've had, mm -hmm. which are often Monday nights and sometimes on the, uh, you know, and posted on Tuesdays, sometimes Thursday, posted Friday. And I could, and I swear to you, it's only within two or three weeks ago that I was telling you how outraged I was by the Democrats' capacity. I say the Democrats because all of the people in the debates, other than Bernie Sanders, did what I'm about to say. They went before the American people on national television and said, we cannot afford Medicare for all. Did we say that? Mm -hmm. We did say that, right? Yeah. And people said, but that would be 
too expensive. It would, you know, basically break the bank or smash the budget or you're going to talk about a trillion dollar, whatever the hell it was. And, and Bernie m might well have been thinking to himself, you people just don't get it. And he could have done a better job replying to all of them and he, and he didn't. And what's the old expression? It's, you know, water under the bridge. Mm -hmm. But it is the case that that whole crew of Democrats, the hardcore neoliberals like Biden, the pseudo uh, progressives like uh, Buttigieg, um, and, uh, and uh, I don't even remember the other names, it doesn't even matter right now. But the point is they all basically said unaffordable, right? Unaffordable. And now here's Nancy Pelosi, who's rising to the occasion, right, and proposing, what did you say, a $2.5 trillion yes. initiative? Yes. By the way, I'm not saying we shouldn't do it. What I'm saying is, how come when Bernie Sanders wants to address a health care crisis in America, a, a crisis both moral and political, okay, they were convinced it was unacceptable. That's the thing I cannot get over about this. And, and then today, I don't know if you saw it, I, I tweeted in response to it, Hillary Clinton tweeted something to the effect of Franklin Roosevelt, you know, would not do this, you know, basically Franklin Roosevelt would not do what the Republicans want to do. And I thought to myself, holy cow, hmm. right? I'm saying cow because I don't know Thank if you, you want me to use the F word, okay? You said Clinton, <laughs> I can only handle one obscenity at a time. Thank you. Well, <laughs> perfect. And I thought, is she kidding me? She had the audacity to do everything in her power to take Bernie Sanders out at the knees, that loser of a politician, to take him out at the knees, saying nobody liked him, saying that she, he treated her unfairly. She might as well have said that you know, he abused her in some way, it seems. Mm -hmm. And now all of a sudden, the one candidate, the one candidate who wanted to redeem the legacy of Franklin Roosevelt in The Greatest Generation... Bernie Sanders, who basically, who she's gone after, who she's crapped all over, and now she's talking about Franklin Roosevelt. How, you know, how dare she, right? I mean, uh, so they place us in this position, of course, $2.5 trillion, but then they come up with these crazy kinds of names. They want to they wanna frame it so that it's acceptable to, to the old folk, the old-fashioned the old Republicans who really don't want to give anything away to people who don't already, who already are without. I mean, come on. I mean, we are living through this strange and bizarre and perverse moment. And just think, if this were three weeks ago, and I can tell you, I have, you know my complaints with Bernie, and my complaint with Bernie goes even further that, uh, than, than I said quite often, even though I voted for him and I, and I give him money, the fact is that three weeks ago, if this crisis were hitting, there was only one person that we would all be talking about as having the wherewithal within him intellectually and, intellect and, and morally and politically to address this crisis, and that was Bernie Sanders, okay? Boy, oh boy. We, don't, really have, we don't have a party to address this crisis. I mean, Biden is the presumptive nominee. He's holding these talks from a bunker somewhere he's addled i mean it, it's yeah, he gave a talk you know the biggest talk he gave the other day was to was in a fundraiser by video chat or whatever the hell it was you know meanwhile bernie is doing national youtube events trying to encourage americans and trying to raise money to address the needs of those who are in the worst shape you know money for meals on wheels and things like that go ahead sorry okay so i, I don't want you to horse race a pandemic but three weeks ago was Super Tuesday, and uh, 
you know, we kind of saw the writing on the wall once Obama put the thumb on the scale. And yes. after South Carolina, we knew Bernie was going to have a rough time in on Super Tuesday three weeks ago. We didn't know how bad it was going to be for Bernie. Things happened very quickly. Three weeks ago, we had an economy and we didn't have hospitals being flooded. I mean, now right. we're going to. Well, we knew it, but but people knew it was coming. And that's the don't we shouldn't forget that. We shouldn't forget that, that, that meanwhile, the conservatives and the Trump president's presidential administration and the neoliberals, they all should have, they were all aware of what was coming. They could, they knew a pandemic was coming and they were talking about no Medicare for all, but I keep cutting you off. Go right ahead. Well, I'm just saying, what do you see, A, do you see any hope for Bernie's candidacy? B, do you see any hope for our economy in the, the not-too-distant future. Do you see any hope for our hospitals? That should have been my first question. That should be, A, do you see any hope for the American people and, and our health infrastructure? And do you see any chance, and I guess this is the first question I want to ask you, have we ever suspended elections during the Civil War? Did we suspend Yeah, you brought that up last time. No, we don't suspend elections, basically. We don't do that. Uh, primaries are are not national elections by right. the way so there you know you can move those around if you have to in the light of an emergency but no you don't you don't suspend an election and the, and i and god forbid or you know whoever's capable of forbidding it should never allow this administration to start talking about postponing an election because next thing you'll know we'll have a president for life so uh but there are ways of setting it up. I mean, how many times have we talked about the possibility of online voting, if you know you know what I mean? Yeah, but this is not the government that can do anything. Yeah, this is a government that, right. You know, and that's something, you know, you know I can't believe I'm going to fall back on the cliche again. It's like timing is everything, right? Right. So three weeks ago, we might have seen a Bernie Sanders emerge from all of this as the champion of decency and and social democracy winning a presidential election in November. Um, now, what have we got? Well, we've got an administration which is utterly incompetent. We have a president who is literally saying things in his news conferences that lead to deaths. Mm -hmm. Okay, when he talks, did you hear what he said? To, did you hear what he said? He said, you know, basically he, he said that he has a feeling that this miracle cure, whatever, this hydro, right. or, not hydro, you know, yeah. that, that, that this might be more effective than the, than the scientists realize that he just has a feeling and he's been right on a lot of things my god if you can I, what the fuck is going on in washington dc what has he been that, right about what, what was he what ever he, right about what has he been right about it's a good very good question okay and right now i mean right now surely this would be is it, is it the 25th amendment that, it, that mm -hmm. empowers certain folks to remove him yeah i mean he is he is a clear and present danger and by the way so is so is pence I mean, we are living in an age, I mean, who would have believed this being possible? This is the kind of thing that, that really not only makes you yearn for the likes of Obama, it almost, it, it almost, makes, it almost makes you want, want Obama to be on television every night. Yeah, I know. Just simply to answer, just what I'm saying is, just put, somebody needs to reply to every one of this, man, this man's idiocies. Yeah, yeah. I, I said that earlier, that I have a lot of problems with Obama. But, so do uh, I. but at least when the crisis hit, John McCain took out the tired, shop-worn trope 
The fundamentals of the economy are still sound. That was back in 2008 when the bottom fell out of the market. And Barack Obama said, no, they're not. And he was smart enough to grasp the gravity of the financial crisis. And unfortunately, he surrounded... Unfortunately, one, he didn't spend enough money doing it. Number two, he didn't empower working people. Number three, he let the bankers get away with it. Number four, he didn't address... The true housing crisis is people were being foreclosed. You know what yeah, I mean? Yeah, yeah. What good? And it was a very lethargic recovery. Yeah. A very, and and when people talked about how uh, how um, Trump has been able to take advantage of an Obama recovery, we shouldn't forget that that was a very very slow and lethargic recovery. What good comes from this? Because in two thousand and eight, when capitalism collapsed under the weight of George W. Bush. I remember thinking, okay, there's going to be a lot of pain, but this is the lesson that Hoover taught, and that is don't trust the Republicans, don't trust supply-side yeah. economics, and we'll finally learn that lesson. We didn't learn the lesson. And, you know, they go back now. Amity Shales, the historian. Schles, yeah. Schles, yeah. Schles, whatever. Yeah. She has rewritten history. She took hold of our history. Yep, she, she did. And she kind of says it was, you know, Hoover, had he been reelected, would have done a better job saving. Yep, that's what she says. That's so, what she says. But, of course, she's the president of the Calvin Coolidge fan club. Right. So we don't, I mean, we're not going to, we don't learn our lessons, do we? Well, we... We might better learn our lessons, and this is where Bernie right now has a key role to play, a very key role to play, even if he can't win the nomination. You need, it isn't like millions upon millions upon millions of people instinctively, I mean, instinctively they know something's wrong, but the lessons they draw from what they see as wrong can vary given predispositions, Okay. What I think is Bernie's role right now is he does these shows, right, these YouTube shows. If somehow we could, and they won't do it, they could have one more debate, right, insisting upon it. Some opportunity in which Bernie, in a really national television setting, and I'm telling you he's not going to do it, but I, this is what I think is crucial, is he, he needs to remind Americans of, call them lessons or whatever else, but I think it's a matter of him reminding Americans that in the face of overwhelming crises, and we didn't even talk about the revolution or the Civil War, but in the face of overwhelming crises, the way in which we've transcended the crisis is not by, stop, is by uh, what you would call suspending who we are, but remembering who we are and actually taking hold of them, not just our history, but taking hold of America and radically transforming it. Okay, so for example, if now we're talking about, you know, $2.5 trillion initiatives, which presumably will cover some kind of at least temporary national health care, I would, or arrangement, we ought to be talking about making it permanent. In other words, make health care permanent. Medicare for all within the, make it permanent by the end of the year, okay? How about regarding public higher education? How about saying, look, the, the debts are overwhelming, and what we need to do is not only 
provide for those in need, but we need to wipe out debts that are literally driving people into needy situations. You know, it's interesting today, um, Biden, I think, issued some new little video, um, just a, a YouTube type video. And I swear to you, he started, he started grabbing hold of some of Bernie's ammunition. Mm-hmm. So, for example, I believe he actually talked about student debt as a, as a critical question. In other words, we need to start addressing these kinds of things. So I'm not telling you that Biden is going to be some kind of progressive figure. I think it's the case that Bernie has this incredible capacity to not only have pulled the Democratic Party somewhat to the left, but he should be speaking to the nation as a whole, and somehow we need to empower him to do so, so he can remind Americans of what it means to confront a crisis, defeat our enemies, and transcend the crisis by not waiting to make radical change possible, but by but by pursuing radical change as the answer to the crisis. That's what I would love. That's the message. I mean, nobody's... Look, my book sells in who knows how many numbers. They're not significant enough to to make a major dent. Uh, Not even MSNBC is going to have me on for a book titled Take Hold of Our History, Make America Radical Again. Mm -hmm. But if Bernie could talk like that, that would make a tremendous difference, encouraging people, enabling people to realize what needs doing and why they have it in themselves to start acting like Americans. When Biden evokes Bernie, when Hillary evokes FDR, it's tantamount to handing the American people a pile of cow dung and saying, here, try the caviar. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. That's what they're doing. I mean, and we saw yeah, it with no, Medicare yeah, no, for no, All. They, right. Everybody yeah. was for Medicare for All until you looked at their plan. And you're, you're not. You're, yeah, well, right. We're keeping it short this week because of, uh, well, for obvious reasons. Import, because of important other things, which not, I fully appreciate. Well, we're honored to have you on. Harvey J.K., oh, Professor Harvey J.K., is author of Take Hold of Our History, Make America Radical Again. And you should also pick up the fight for the four freedoms. What made FDR and the greatest generation truly great? These are actually not just readable, but fun. And, and it'll, it'll encourage you to see beyond what CNN and MSNBC is peddling as both news and history. Yeah, right. Right. Thank you, David. Thank you. Don't watch TV, right? Do do not get your news from CNN or MSNBC. What are you turning to to get your information? Okay. In the morning, I look at some of the videos from Hill TV Live with uh, Crystal Ball. Mm -hmm. Um, Midday, I actually turn to Majority Report for a while over lunch. Right. Um, I, I also pick up BBC News. I In the evening, I watch. I'm a member of the Young Turks network um late at night i listen to the likes of david feldman's show i listen to uh john fugelsang's uh tell me everything podcast and, and his radio show i mean and I alex jones you love alex jones right <laughs> oh maybe <laughs> is he a football player who's that guy i don't know alex jones he's the i know who he is oh, i'm just kidding oh, okay. i know you know yeah Harvey, J- Harvey J.K. is your Twitter handle, Harvey J.K. Right, thank you. Follow this man into the gates of hell. 
Although I think we're I think we're there already. Can you stay on the the line for one second? You bet. Love you, David. I love you too. Thank you. (laughs) Stay on the line for one quick second. We believe in democracy, not oligarchy. (laughs) Today we say to the private health insurance companies. Whether you like it or not, the United States will join every other major country on earth and guarantee health care to all people as a right. a human right, not a privilege, and together we will pass a Medicare for all single-payer program. You're listening to the David Feldman Radio Program, you sad, pathetic hump. Let us now go to Los Angeles, where Howie Klein is standing by. He is the founder and treasurer of the Blue America PAC. They raise money for progressives and socialist candidates around America. Required reading, Down with Tyranny. Read him over at Down with Tyranny. How are you holding up in isolation, sir? Uh, Well, I'm usually in isolation anyway. Uh, (laughs) So it's not big of of a thing. One thing, though, that has changed, uh, and for the better, for the much for the better, in a big way, uh, is that I um, I used to be a chef a long time ago, and, and I and I stopped doing that, um, and you know, really basically, you know, cook once in a blue moon. Right. You wrote about and, this in at Down with but, Tyranny. You wrote about this over the weekend. Yes. So now I cook every all my meals. Uh, and I'm going back to my old chef days where I'm spending hours on cooking great food. And so it's much, much healthier than re- restaurant food, of course, way healthier and more delicious and nutritious. So I am literally feeling healthier than I, than I did just a few weeks ago. So, so that's, that's a great thing. I'm really, really enjoying it. Plus I, I had sort of lapsed a little bit on my walking routine. Uh, in the hills back in Los Feliz, and now I'm doing that again, and that's feeling great as well. So, so this is working out pretty well for me. <laughs> so, should I tell you what I'm what I'm cooking now for dinner? Yeah, absolutely. Okay, so the main course is a uh, a mung bean um, loaf. So it could be a lentil loaf, but it, but it, it, as it turns out, it's a mung bean loaf because I I had a bunch of mung beans that I found. So it's it, it you know and it's. When I say beans, I'm not talking about something that comes out of a can. In fact, it was interesting. I went to a grocery store the other day, and I noticed that all the canned stuff, all the stuff that comes in boxes, was pretty much sold out. The shelves were bare. 
but there were lots and lots and lots of vegetables and, and fruits, but tons of vegetables, fresh ones. Mm-hmm. And I was thinking that's because people don't know what to do with a fresh vegetable. They know how to open a can, but they don't know how to prepare a fresh vegetable. In fact, <clears throat> I think I, I, I might have told you this last week. I said I could have made, cracked a little joke to the cashier saying, soon nothing's going to be left in this store but daikon. And he looked at me and said, yeah, what's daikon? As he was checking me out with like a big giant thing of daikon. But um, What is daikon? <laughs> is that to kill cockroaches or something? No. Daikon is a, it's, it's a, sort of in the radish family. It's really a delicious, sweet Japanese vegetable. And you can make it a soup out of it or you could use it. It sort of looks like a white carrot. It doesn't taste like a white carrot, but it looks like a white carrot. So delicious. You know, you could, you could eat it in a salad, so you could eat it raw if you want, or you could um, saute it, uh, and it goes really well with some other things, including carrots. And it's, it's, it's one of the most delicious and nutritious vegetables. So, I'm, I'm just, you know, I'm rediscovering these things that I haven't worked with in a long time, celery root. I mean, when's the last time, well, you probably never, but when's the last time I picked up a celery root and, and cleaned it and uh, cut it and cooked it? And, you know, my, my friend Roland, who eats here every night, uh, is just, you know, marveling at this food, he's, which he's never had before and, and loving it. So that's encouraging me to do it. Well, so it's a reset. Yeah, I, I'm finding that, I, you know, I've always been, not always, but I've been a vegetarian for two decades, close to two decades, but I've had trouble being a vegan and by staying home and ordering my groceries, I'm just, I'm using this as an opportunity to have only vegan meals. And I agree with you. I feel better not having dairy in my system. So, you know, you have to find the good. It's a reset for everybody. It's it's a, it's a it's an extended Sabbath. That's what I'm calling this. It has to be an exp- I hear you cooking. I hear you cooking. Yes. And the other the other dish besides the uh the uh, loaf it's like a meatloaf, but it's, instead of meat, you, I'm using mung beans. But the other dish, the, the side dish, is something I used to make all the time in Amsterdam when, when I was a chef, which is um, the, the main thing is uh, cabbage, white cabbage, but it, it, there's also carrots, green apple, and onions in it. And it's just so good. It's just incredibly good. And, I, I, like, you know, like a wonderful, tasty side dish to go along with the uh, – Non-meat meatloaf. Great. All right. I'm hearkening back to 2008 when the financial crisis took hold, and that's where Barack Obama shone, shined. You know, John McCain said the, the, the fundamentals of the economy are sound, and Barack Obama said, no, they're not. And he showed true leadership, and he became president. And whether or not we... We don't really like the way he rebuilt our economy, but at least there was some leadership, somebody calming the nation. The current occupant of the Oval Office is not calming the nation, but there's a shadow government, and that would be Joe Biden. You're joking. Well, that's what makes this so terrifying. Right, he's not a shadow government at all. He's 
in fact, he's, I think he's disappeared off the face of the earth. Uh, you said you didn't read my blog today, and, and, and uh, one, of the, one of the posts I wrote today was about that, about how Biden has disappeared. And, you know, he, I guess his handlers figure he's got this thing. He, they figure he can't lose the primary and he can't lose the general election, and all they have to do is keep him away from people so people don't figure out that he, he's hollow and there's nothing there. Uh, so they're not letting him do anything. And he's just, you know, it's, it's, it's a real tragedy. Well, the, the, the idea behind Joe Biden is you, you want somebody like him in times of crisis. Well, who do you want? I want Bernie right now. I don't want Joe Biden. Of course. Of course. Well, I don't know why anyone would want Joe Biden in times of anything. I mean, you know, Joe, Bi- Joe Biden is, what is Joe Biden? I mean, he's just some old guy who, who's you know, lost his mind. Seriously lost his mind. I mean, it's horrible. It's, 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 it's depressing. And, uh, you know, I'd rather think about the coronavirus than think about Joe Biden <laughs> becoming president. I'm joking. I'm not joking. I, yeah. I'm serious. Uh, are you seeing any good leadership? Andrew Cuomo. I made the mistake of praising Andrew Cuomo on the show. Right. You made a mistake. That's right. That was a mistake. Same with Gavin Newsom. These people, you know, they're going in the right direction. So they, they do need to be praised for that. They're leading in the right direction. But it does, it's not about direction. You have to do you have, it has to be everything. It has to be complete. You have to have the guts to do it all. Trump is a coward and he never will. But I don't see, you know, the, the, the guys who are doing the good job, the governors are doing the good, who are doing a good job, which would be Ned Lamont, Andrew Cuomo, uh, Gavin Newsom, uh, what's his name, DeWine, Mike DeWine in, uh, in Ohio. They're on the right path, but, you know, it, it doesn't do any good unless you get all the way there. You know, like you leave the door a little bit open. And the, uh, you know, the virus still gets in. If you, if you have it all the way open, I guess more virus gets in. I don't know. But, uh, you know, these guys are, you know, I heard Newsom being interviewed on the radio the other day and, and I kind of understood what he was saying. I don't agree, but I understood that his, his point of view was that people have to change their behavior and it's not going to happen overnight. And yet you, you have to take it, you have to take it slow. So they're doing, you know, the, 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 the loopholes in California are more than the closures. I mean, the, the, it's like everything is a loophole. So, you, you know, I mean, at, at some point, they're gonna, everything's going to have to be mandatory. Everything's going to have to be enforced. If there's somebody out in the street without a mask, they have to be, I don't believe in fines, but they have to, they have to, I don't know, be arrested. Uh, anyone who's out without a mask is endangering everyone else. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, the corollary to that, of course, is masks have to be free and have to be handed out for, to everybody. I was so happy today to see my, my postman come in uh, or, or come to the door with a mask and gloves. And I asked him, you know, uh, how he got them. He said the post office gave them the gloves and they had to buy their own masks. Same in the grocery stores now around here. They're finally the the people who work there. Although I was in two different grocery stores, in the health food grocery store, there were four cashiers, three had masks on and one didn't. And when I talked to the cashier, he was bitching that uh, that they the the, um, 
they had to pay for their own masks. And he was angry about that. The, th the, the thing is, is that at one time, the, the stores were discouraging people from wearing masks because they didn't want them to fright, frighten the, the customers. Mm -hmm. And in the other grocery store I went, that's still the case. There were none of the people who worked there were wearing masks, not one. And about, I'd say, now it looks like more than half the customers are now wearing masks. So if half the customers are now wearing masks, I think that they're probably not that pleased about the staff. Uh, I mean, if half the customers are wearing masks, they're probably not that pleased about the staff not wearing masks because uh, it's dangerous and it, and, and it exposes everybody. So, uh, you know, anyway, what, what the governors are doing in some of the states is moving it along. At some point, it's the president, uh, whoever that's going to be, is going to have to say everything is shut down. There's no exceptions. It's all shut down. You know, I mean, it's got to be, I shouldn't say there's no exception. It's always going to have to be an exception for grocery stores and pharmacies, hospitals. But, uh, you know, I mean, I was driving along Melrose the other day, uh, coming back from a grocery store, and there was a, a furniture store open. <laughs> and the woman who was right. working in it have a mask on. And I'm thinking, what the hell? Why isn't someone coming in and arresting her? Right, right. People take this that seriously. They don't realize what this means and that they're putting people, not only their own lives, but that's up to them, but they're putting other people's lives at risk, and they don't get that. And I can only imagine what a, a nightmare it must be like in places like Mississippi now and Wyoming where they're having Corona beer parties and think it's a big old laugh and that, you know, the, the, they're, they're making fun of the liberals. You over at Down with Cheering this weekend uh, went through the polls to show that the Republicans don't believe this is real and that the virus may weed out. Uh, how should I put it? Yeah, I, I want to put it. Thin out is a better way to put it. Weed out is kind of kind of cruel. Yeah. I want to be delicate here, but we saw with then with Rand Paul on Monday. I'm thinking how he's right. I mean, look at how Rand Paul treated a, a a positive test result. We knew, we knew, we know he denies it, but we know he went swimming after he got the positive test result, right? In well, I don't know that is he decide, is he uh, denying it? He's certainly not denying that he was in the Senate gym. He was in the Senate gym and he tested positive. Right. He took a test. Then he went to the to the gym and worked out. Other senators were there also. And then he, and then his his results came back and he was positive. So, you know, that's not good behavior. And chances are he gave it to some other senators. What some of the senators who were in the gym with him have now quarantined themselves. And the funny part about that is that they couldn't vote on McConnell's bill, uh, which didn't pass. So, yeah, <laughs> uh, it's not really that funny, but it's somewhat funny. Well, there's some. Uh, well, yeah, we, we have to be careful here. But the president is talking about opening up our economy again. And, you know, once the 15 day quarantine is over. And is it is the economy closed? I didn't notice. Yeah, that's what they say. It I, is our economy. Well, I mean, it's in a few states, but it's not closed nationally. 
I mean, is it, I mean, I, I kind of gathered that most of the red states, other than Ohio and Alaska, they're, they were just open and no change. Or am I wrong there? No, I guess, I guess there's some change everywhere. I so, shouldn't say that. So, but, but there's not enough change anywhere. I mean, even in the best of states, they're not doing it right. So until they do, you know, it, it supposedly, it's not 15 days, by the way, supposedly it's eight weeks after complete shutdown that the, the curve flattens enough to start, start tepidly getting back to work again. And but it they is, haven't even gotten where you start counting the eight, the eight weeks. Right, right. It is hitting uh, the way they said it was going to hit. I was hoping we would dodge a bullet and get lucky. Yeah, when, but uh, No, I mean, you, you listen to this guy, Anthony Fauci, uh, who's leading, heading up the White House uh, COVID-19 task force, and he makes a lot of sense. And, you know, it's, it's, it's hard to imagine that something intelligent is coming out of this White House. But then you realize that there is a, um, a counter group in the White House led by the, you know, world's foremost uh, epidemiologist, Jared Kushner. Yes. And he's the exact opposite. Yeah. So, you know, that's, you know, that's why we're screwed. If you were watching this as a movie... And that's the problem. I think a lot of us are at home watching this as a movie and uh, deep down and, uh, you know, there's a part of us that, well, I want to be careful what I say. But if this were a movie, uh, we know how this would go, don't we? Hello? The hero rec uh, rescues the damsel in distress. Well, I think, well, I, I, I don't want anybody. Uh, not Are you talking about extinction? I, well, or a certain, a certain type of thinking goes extinct. Oh, conservatives. Oh, yeah, that's what my post was about. I know, I know, I know. Are we capable of learning our lessons? I don't think we are. I don't think we learned anything from the financial bailouts of 2008 and 2009. The stimulus package is still tied up in in the in the senate it's one big giveaway to lobbyists well that that, that big giveaway to lobbyists isn't passing because uh, there are enough democrats to keep it from passing and and because you know so they, they're going to have to uh, compromise and and put put in a bill that's going to actually help working people uh and uh, and give less to the lobbyists and less to uh, you know the uh, donor class no, I, I have two sisters who are around my age. They're both younger than me, but, you know, we're, we're all two years apart from each other. And one of them, the youngest, uh, is a, um, is, you know, she's a liberal-ish Democrat. And, and the other one is a conservative Trump-supporting Republican. And the liberal is doing everything by the book, everything that you, you're supposed to do, she's doing uh, you know, where she doesn't go out without a mask, she doesn't go out much, she has gloves, she's, you know, very, very, very careful. And, uh, you know, taking uh, vitamins and supplements and stocked up on food and all that kind of stuff. The other sister, the, the conservative one, is absolutely fanatically opposed to wearing a mask. She will not have a mask and her husband is worse than she is by the way mm -hmm. and 
and they will do, they're, they're just going about their lives. They were going to go on a cruise, uh, last week and they were, had every intention of going and then the cruise ship canceled it. Um, they were going to see, uh, some, 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 con- oh, uh, Michael Buble in Atlantic City and they had every intention of going and Atlantic City canceled it or the venue canceled it. Right. So, you know, what you were saying, I mean, you know, I don't wish harm on my sister and brother-in-law. And, you know, but when you, what you're talking about, when you're talking about, we, you know, weeding out or thinning of the herd, I think that the sister that I have who's sitting in her house with a mask on and learning a foreign language in her spare time now is probably has a better chance than the other sister who absolutely just is trying to go about her life as normal without any uh, indication that anything has changed. I mean, to me, I'm thinking she's she's suicidal. Right. Well, the Republican Party is an apocalyptic death cult. They, they yes, they are. They think. You did you read by the way, uh, or or, uh, or hear about ABC TV's report about how the um, so-called very fine people on both sides that love Trump so much? Are now telling, are now very actively promoting the idea. If you get COVID, uh, share it with a Jew. No, I shouldn't just. I shouldn't say just share it with a Jew. Share it with a Jew, or if you can't find a Jew because you live in a place where they don't have Jews, share it with a cop. Share it <laughs> with a literally cop. A cop. Yeah, they hate police. They hate any. You know, they really hate police because police arrest them when they kill Jews. <laughs> oh my God. Uh, let me just read you some numbers here, and then I want to ask you about the elections, Bernie's chances, Biden's chances, and the chances. Hey, we're talking about COVID. Why go to something so that depressing? <laughs> well, you may get lucky. There may not be an election in November. So looking, at, I'm just looking at NCOV2019.live. Many people think this is the definitive website to go to. Uh, there's a 17-year-old kid who is scraping information from the CDC and the World Health Organization. And so this is what the site says as of Monday night when we're recording. China, China. 3,270. Their, their numbers are, are useless and inaccurate and not even worth talking about. I mean, they're, not, they're giving fake numbers, purposely giving fake numbers. So, so why talk about China? It's, China's a joke now. Okay. They will never report. They will never again, no matter how many people die, report more than forty people dying in a day. Okay. Italy, six thousand. Uh, yes. Let's go to Italy. Let's go to any other country in the world but China, where you know uh, the one thing I like about China though is they're now calling it the, the Trump virus. Well, yeah, and so Italy uh, has had six thousand. And 77 people die from the coronavirus. However, there was an 8% increase in cases yesterday, as opposed to the United States, which had a 26% increase. So, well, at least two weeks ahead of the U.S. So it does plateau. I mean, I'm not trying to be a Pollyanna here, but uh, an 8% increase in new cases in Italy. Versus America. Yeah, but Italy closed down. I'm sorry? They, they shut down the whole country. You're not allowed to go from one town to another in Italy. 
and then they and you get a hefty fine if you're out, out on the street without a mask or if you're out on the street, you know, not, not on your way to a pharmacy or a grocery store. I mean, Italy is, uh, is it, you know, it took them too long, unfortunately, and a lot of people had to die because of it, but they have done what has to be done, and, and Trump will not do it. Trump wants to go in the other direction. He just wants, you know, uh, let everything go back to normal, because I will it. Right. Right. So you don't yeah, see... Don't be a- because you know it, 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 it's just going to make people uh, think this thing is not as serious as it is. Don't be. It, it's very, very serious, and uh, you know more people are dying. This, our, I, I suspect that our country is going to be the worst hit of any country because of our leadership or lack of leadership. And what happens? How do we come out of this? Well, people ask me, how do we come out of it? I've been asked that a lot. And I say, if God is watching over us, he will take Trump uh, wherever he's going. And uh, and because there is no other president, whether it be Pence or Pelosi, who neither of whom I like very much, but neither, but either one of them would do the things that are necessary to stop this thing. It's just Trump who, who's keeping it from happening. But as long as he's president, I can't see us getting out of this. I think I just see it getting worse and worse. I assume that once there's a million people dead or 2.2 million or 10 million, those are the figures that you hear from experts, then he'll have to do it. But I, but on the other hand, if, if there's a million people dead, he's going to have to be one of them, li- likely. I mean, he's not uh, practicing uh, hygiene. Right. Although it's not a death sentence when you get the coronavirus. It's not, but he's, you know, the, the, you know he's of the right age to die, and he's obese. And obesity, I think I told you last week, is the number one comorbidity factor, even more than age. Right, right. Medicare for all. We're going to end up with Medicare for all the hard way. Um, well, I don't know. I mean, they're, they're going to spend so much money now uh, that uh, I don't know if they'll, you know, they'll have an excuse for not doing anything for the, for the next three decades. And fascism. What we'll be doing is like paying back debt. <laughs> fascism. What about fascism? What about it? Well, we seem to be handing our civil liberties to Donald Trump on a silver platter. We're saying... Please. I mean, they want it. I don't see us. I don't. Who's giving it up? Who's giving it up so fast? I mean, obviously there'll be you know half the Republicans and some number of Democrats, but I don't think that they're going to be able to get away with it. I don't. I mean, we'll see, but I doubt it. I mean, I think Pelosi played this thing wrong. Uh, she should have been going for remote voting long ago. Now members of Congress are going to be sick and in in. Uh, are not capable of, of working. I'm, uh, that's what I'm afraid of. Um, you know, they, they better get this together. This, uh, you know, uh, there's not, there's not a reason, you know, when, when we were young, I don't know if you remember this or not. And, and I'm not a hundred percent sure it was in the house, but I know it was in the Senate. It might've been in the house too. If you were going to vote no on something, but you couldn't be there. And you and you say you're a Democrat and you were going to vote no. And, and there was a Republican who was going to vote yes. 
you could you, you could do a thing together where 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 you where the two counted or something. Right. It, it was just it was something that they used to do and they they don't do it anymore. And they, and they but I, I mean that isn't the way to go anyway. The way to go is to especially in the Senate where it'd be easy is is to do. Um, uh, remote voting, and, and, and you know we're not like it, you know we're not talking about sending smoke signals. I mean this this is not something that shouldn't that is going to be too hard to do. They should do it. Well, we had a pandemic in 1920. The Spanish flu. We held elections. There were conventions. Now there's talk of uh, there may not be an election. Well, no, I, I, I mean there may not be a convention. I'm sure there'll be an election. Uh, again, they they it's again they've got to do vote by mail, or you know I mean there are states that already do that. It's it's not you know I don't understand why this should be considered a problem. I mean I, I understand why the Republicans oppose it because they oppose anything that expands the franchise, but um, but you know technologically there's no reason not to be able to vote by mail, as several states have shown. Right. When does Bernie drop out, or does he? Is there any chance he can rise from the ashes? Yeah. Other, other than Joe Biden coming down with the coronavirus. Well, I don't think it has to be that. I, I think that there's a number of things that can happen that would make people understand that what a mistake uh, we'd be making if we nominated Joe Biden. Okay. It is March 24th, a month ago. When was Super Tuesday? I don't know. I, uh, uh, you, you're in front of your computer. I'm, I'm in front of my loaf. <laughs> All right, hang on. Super Tuesday was March 3rd. All right. Is that possible? Super yeah, Tuesday was right. March 3rd. Yeah. So that was uh, 20 days ago, 21 days ago. Three weeks ago. Three mm -hmm. weeks ago, on a Tuesday morning, Super Tuesday was about to start, and Bernie might have had a chance. He was sort of... They had rallied the troops, put their thumbs on the scale for Biden, but it, it looked like Bernie might win Super Tuesday. Three weeks later, Bernie's supposedly done the economy has come to a grinding halt the stock market has crashed people are dying our hospitals can't accommodate all the the victims things happen very quickly they yes. also get better very quickly don't they i mean i'm trying to be optimistic here Three weeks. Yeah, you are trying to be optimistic, and I don't see things getting better very quickly. They could get somewhat better, but I, I think it's, it, it doesn't take a long time to break something, and it takes a lot longer to rebuild something. There will be an election in November? Yes. Okay. I think so, yes. All right. Howie Klein is the founder and treasurer of the Blue America PAC. They raise money for progressive candidates around America, some socialists. Uh, thank you for the uh, the conversation about the mung beans. And are you going to post a recipe for your loaf? 
I never I never post recipes because I do it by feel. So I don't, uh, you know, I, I don't, I can't say, I can't tell people. I used to, sh- I used to teach cooking, uh, and I could, I could do that well because I show people. But, I, but I can't say use three quarters of a cup of this or, right. you know, I just do it by. Great. All right. Thank you, sir. Can you stand on the line for one quick second? Yes. You're listening to the David Feldman Show. You happy, self-actualized hump. Let us now go to Toronto, where Mark Breslin is standing by. He is the founder and president of Yuck Yucks, the largest comedy chain in all of North America, perhaps the world. You were supposed to be in Palm Springs, but you... I was. Were you in Palm Springs? I was. I was ordered by my prime minister to get home. They needed you. No, he said, get home. He said this to Canadians. Get home and stay home. And then I noticed he lives with a supermodel. And I thought, well, you know, maybe it's not that much of a, of a, of a, of a difficulty for him. And then they did a little tour of his house where he did this from, where he's been sequestered and has uh, 86 rooms. And I thought, maybe it's not so hard for him. A little harder for all of us. Now, see- so I was in Palm Springs. I was in Palm Springs. We were doing a three-week vacation. Um, we left just as this COVID thing was starting to really blow up, but we felt, eh, you know, who knows what's going to happen. We're not going to give up on our vacation. Everything was fine for the first week, and I have to tell you that the transmission rates in California are not good, but in, Cal- in Palm Springs, um, it's quite safe. There was only one recorded uh, case in the entire Coachella Valley. Maybe, maybe but, because of the heat. Maybe they say maybe because of the heat. I don't, I don't, I don't think so. I think it's because it's kind of um, removed from from people. People had canceled vacations to to go there. It was kind of desolate, and it became more and more and more desolate. And there was they were starting to close things for no, no real reason. The last night we were there, um, we actually had to like find a hotel to be able to find a restaurant because that was the only place the restaurants were allowed to be open. Even takeout had been closed, and we thought, what's the point? We're coming home. Right. Right. So now I'm in I'm in isolation. I'm in um, imposed self quarantine for 14 days with my family because you think you might have contracted it from the flight. It's it's the law. If you're coming from another country, you have to um, self quarantine for 14 days with your family. And the last time I heard about that was a movie called The Shining. And um, you know, mm-hmm. I'm not sure it's going to work out so well. <laughs> red rum, red rum, red rum. You know what? It rum. is. It is. And I you, like a clearer rum. Yeah. Well, I hang don't on. Really like a red rum. You have a young son and a wife. Yep. Yep. I. That's right. It is. Uh, here's Johnny. Here's Johnny. Well, you run the world's largest comedy chain, and I was. No, think- I don't. No, I don't. Not today. I don't. All my clubs are closed. When did you close them? Uh, over a period of about a week, about a week ago. Some of them we were able to hold on to a little longer than others. 
but they're all closed now. Again, that's government decree now. What would happen if you said the hell with it? We're open for business. Um, well, first of all, I don't know how many customers would come because everybody's so freaked out. Yesterday, um, we I have an idea. I have an idea. Yes. Yes. What about doing a show for people with the coronavirus? If everybody has it, they can mingle. Well, that's like a leper colony. Isn't it? <laughs> but what that's about the theory saying- of a leper colony? You, you it's show- also the theory of taking pedophiles and putting them all on an island. <laughs> um, you know, they'll, they'll all be together. Nothing bad can happen to the outside population. I think Jeffrey um, Epstein had one of those islands. I believe he did, and it was a nice island. <laughs> to say. Those lepers really did well. Those social lepers did extremely well. What would happen if you opened your club? Um, the police would come and shut it down. I'd get a huge fine. And do you feel that's a violation of your civil liberties? Yep, but I don't care because uh, if I'm not alive, I, my civil liberties don't mean much. Right. So it's okay. I understand why all of this has to be done. But, of course, if you extrapolate over time, how long can a small business survive not open? Right. So I can't tell you what's going to happen with my with my company. Um, if this is two weeks, as they say, we'll survive that. If it's a month, oh, we can survive that. Six weeks, we can survive that. But after it starts to get longer than that, I mean, um, are we paying rent? Are we, you know, paying for things that we can't? We have no cash flow. Uh, all these things will start to to become a big issue. It's not just comedy clubs; it's music clubs; it's everything. I knew there was going to be a problem when they closed down Broadway. They never closed down Broadway because the show must go on. Or the gays must go on. (laughs) West End, I understood a week ago there was still theater. I wonder, I don't know if they've finally succumbed. I don't know if they finally su- well the gays they do succumb. Um, <laughs> I'm sorry, I had to. All right, now I have a theory about comedy, and you. you oh, I keep... thought you were going to say you had a theory about gays. That too. Uh, you may have well, one. Of yeah, you you teach comedy at, at Humbert College, is that correct? Yes, yes, yeah. Well, I I put the program together. I don't teach it as much as as others. I pick the teachers, but yes. I, Let's go go ahead with this. Sure. It's called Humbert College. Humbert. That's right. Not Humbert like the guy in Lolita. Oh, that's where it's I was Humbert. going. Okay, that's where I was going. Uh-huh. Uh, by Sorry the way. Stealing your, your joke. All right. By the way, speaking yeah. of, I was telling somebody the, the, the funniest line in literature, according to a teacher I once had is from Lolita where he says I believe he says my first wife died lightning comma picnic period and the older I get the funnier that becomes yes it's that's that's quite brilliant isn't it (laughs) my first wife died lightning comma picnic yeah yeah that's great and I remember my teacher saying this is the funniest line in Western literature when I was a kid. 
he told me this. And with time, I've come to see how truly brilliant. How brilliant it is. Yeah. Yeah, Nabokov was, Nabokov was a brilliant writer, not just with um, Lolita, but Pale Fire is brilliant. Um, Ada is brilliant. They're brilliant books. So... We're always yeah. told when, you know, 9-11 happened, sea change in comedy, can irony ever exist? I remember that. Uh, I, I, must have, I must have done 25, 30 interviews just on that subject. Right. Will we ever laugh again? Yeah. And I would say, I'm laughing now at all those <laughs> people who died. <laughs> and, then, and then the offers to, to comment stopped. Interestingly enough. Uh huh. Yeah. So uh, here's what I was going to do. I was going to call you and read the scores, you know, uh, Canada versus the United States in terms of COVID scores. Sure. And maybe a week ago, I would have thought that would be acceptable. But now I'm in Manhattan, which is, you know, Wuhan on the Hudson, as I call it. Uh, yes. Not so funny. Not so funny. Is it funny? You can make anything funny if the joke is good enough. It just stings afterwards, um, but like ripping off a Band-Aid. But, um, but give me the joke. Yeah. I'll be the judge of it. Right. You know, give me the joke. I'll be the judge of it. But, um, of course, people people have to get through things uh, whatever way they can, using humor to um, talk about what we're terrified about. Mm -hmm. That's as old as... Ireland. Yeah. Yeah. And so there are no comedy clubs. The the sense of community is disappearing. Do you get um, it's Go ahead. Go ahead. No, you, you go ahead. No, you, you go idea. ahead. No, you, you. No, you. I, I No, I was I was snorting and grunting. No, you you have an actual thing to say. Say it, please. Well, I mean are you terrified that they're going to shut down this economy for a year? Like, what do you see as I don't see it. I'm in denial. So I don't see this lasting as long as people say it is. In fact, there's a, a Nobel laureate who's claiming that, you know, in a couple of weeks, everything will come back to life. We, we on today's show, we have, a, a correspondent from global Chinese television who says, you know, things are coming back to life in Wuhan and in Beijing. This thing has. And, you know, you can trust a Chinese person right now um, to tell you the truth. So that's great. See that when you talk that way. Yeah, I I think you're, you're talking about not being able to trust communist China and their government. Why should we trust Donald Trump? Uh, do we? Who said we do? I trust one man right now. And you know who it is. It's Andrew Cuomo. Very good. Yeah. That's interesting. That's, I, that's, the, one interesting. Man I, that's the one man I trust. That is the man who should be running for president right now. I'm not his brother, but um, that you know, is fascinating. I, he, he's been amazing. He's been amazing through this stuff. I, I hope you agree. Yeah, but I'm surprised. I live in New York, and I assumed that you would be turning to somebody else in Toronto. No, we all watch CNN. It's where it's happening. Let's face it. 
So what Andrew Cuomo says to the people of New York, the rest of the world listens to. That's interesting. Yeah. Yeah. Who is the steady hand? Sorry. 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 I meant Chris Cuomo. <laughs> I mean, the, I mean, the, the broadcaster, oh. not the politician. Oh, oh. But who do you turn to for for, you know, Giuliani was America's mayor after 9-11. This is an international attack. So who does Canada turn to for for calm and, and guidance? We like our prime minister. He's doing a good job. He's saying the right things. Um, it can't get too much better than that. We have good scientists here that tell more or less the truth. But the truth is a is mercurial. It's difficult. It changes all the time. It changes every day. I mean, I have my theories. Uh, my theories, of course, you know, being a little offbeat mm-hmm. that this virus was created in Iran as part of a, a bioterrorism. They launched it in uh, um, China. It's a good staging ground be- for various social reasons. They knew it would expand um, magnificently, and everything that the uh, but they wanted to do for 9/11 has been has been accomplished. Um, the entire world has been brought to its knees. I only don't understand why they haven't taken credit for it yet. So is so, the, the Belt and Road Initiative. Do I really believe this? Do I really believe this? I don't know. Maybe. It seems really weird that the entire world could stop because some guy went to a restaurant and said, "You know." I had the rat last night. I had the cat the night before. That was the bat. And somebody said, the bat, very good. Very good. Do you want it two ways? Wings, like breaded wings and the rest? Yeah, yeah, that'll be great. Thank you. And and this whole thing has happened because of that. It does strain a bit of credulity to believe that that's what it's all about. Well, the, the first rule with bat is you never eat bat on a Sunday because the bat gets delivered on a Friday. We know this, and there are no yeah. deliveries on Saturday. So by Sunday, right. by Sunday, the bat is not fresh. Don't order bat for lunch on Monday because there's no guarantee that the del- I mean, that's the most dangerous time to order bat. By Monday night, it, the bat should be fresh. That's a general rule of thumb when it comes to well. Obviously, somebody was hoodwinked and got the bad bat and ate it and then said, I don't feel so good. I don't know. I don't know why I wouldn't feel so good. I've eaten this. I've eaten these bats for years. Right. In fact, my grandmother used to make it's an old grandma recipe. Right. Right. Well, the bat stew, it's okay to have a bat stew on a Sunday night. Maybe. I don't know. But not not. Yeah, by that it, they can cook most of it out. You know, it's been stewing for hours. But yeah, well, that's one theory. I've heard that. Uh, I've heard that Wuhan is a uh, there are weapons plants in Wuhan, and that they've and that they've weaponized germs. And here, here's. You know, one of the gifts of getting older is you begin to think, well, it's never as good, it's never as bad as we think it's going to be. Right? Is that a fair 
Is, is that the wisdom yeah. of old age that things are never yes, as I bad? So. Or, right? Yes, some of the old people in Auschwitz said that from time to time. Uh-huh. But go on, yes. <laughs> and by the way, if I can just interject, can I interject something sure. here? Anytime you say Auschwitz, well, I interject away. Well, just saying that the world is very concerned about the people who are dying, and it could be that as many as like 500,000 people in the world will die. And that's a terrible thing. But I don't remember anybody saying anything about the 6 million Jews in the 40s. Just saying. Yeah. Well, we've heard 2 million Americans could end up dying from this. Yes, but they're just Americans. What are you eating? A bagel. Are you really? I had a comic friend of mine, since I can't go out, we gave him a uh, a list of stuff, and he went and he did a shopping thing for us and then left it on the porch. And, and the bagel was a hostile gesture, wasn't it? He hates Jews, but he did this anyway, because <laughs> he likes to work. <laughs> and he figures eventually we'll be back in business. Right, right. Are you using this time productively? Well, we just got back here, you know, three, four days ago, so we're still kind of in shock. Um, everybody wants to use it productively. Everybody wants to walk away from this thing. I wrote a novel. Uh-huh. Um, I solved the, the issues in cold fusion. Realistically, I'm just trying to get through the day, do some reading, um, make phone calls, see how everybody is, play with my child. Um, you know, I, I don't think I'm going to wind up coming up with any genius idea here. Uh, we're all too freaked out to come up with genius ideas. What are you freaked out about? Well, the fact that um, I may not have a company in two months is kind of something I'm worried about. I had to lay off all my employees. I'm worried about that. Right. The comics don't have any um, social net. I'm worried about that. We paid them for two weeks um, for their gigs that were coming up, and everybody thought I was a hero. And thank you, but that's only two weeks. What happens after that? And what are they talking about in terms of... Let me ask you this, because we have Dr. Harriet Fraud on this show, and she's a, a a psychotherapist, and she helps people through a Marxist perspective, which is very important. In the United States, we talk about... Psychotherapist? Psychotherapist? You mean psycho the rapist? <laughs> Read it. You know, punctuation is so important. It really is. Each shoots and leaves. <laughs> She's a, a, a Marxist psychotherapist who teaches her clients to filter a lot of their neuroses through the prism of the 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 systems of control we find ourselves under. I mean, so often we're taught to blame ourselves when, in fact, we're being traumatized by either an economic or political system. And if we can recognize that, it, it helps us deal with our anxieties and our depressions. And I happen to agree that that it, I that was the that was the serious point of the book I wrote in, in two thousand uh, control freaked. And um, it was everybody had always called me a control freak. And I always said, no, I am controlling what I can control to protect myself from the true elements of control in our society. And so living in Canada. 
do you feel you're controlled by an economic system, a value system, a culture? Do you, you know, here in the of United course. States, it's calm the markets, free market solutions that don't exist. So it's the government providing money so the free market can claim that there are free market solutions. What what's going on in Canada in terms of where no, you're we looking? Are, we are, where are you looking are for controlled. solace? I don't look for solace. There really isn't anywhere to look for solace. It, we don't have all this obsessive free market stuff. But listen, man, it's all about public public opinion. And, uh, you know, I got married. What can I say? Um, this wasn't my idea. <laughs> what is the, hang on. What, 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 what does marriage have to do? You've, you've, you've been trapped in the cabin too long. Do they have cottage no, fe- been- Do you get cottage fever? In Ontario or cabin fever? What do they call it? Cabin fever. Even though we'd go to the cottage. I don't go to the cottage because I don't like cottages. Um, I'm not a big fan of the outdoors. Uh, I'm more comfortable indoors. I like indoor things. Um, which is why I'm not a staunch... Uh, you can't be a staunch environmentalist, you know, if you never go out, <laughs> I think. Um, well, yeah, so you and I are basically problem. shut-ins for all intents and purposes. Well, why would this be bothering you? I'm not a shut-in. I go from one closed environment to another closed oh. environment to another closed environment to another closed environment. I see. But rarely do I go for a walk in nature. Right. Just not my thing. But you're a boulevard air, aren't you? Yeah. Yes. It's not nature. It's concrete. Right. I feel very, very... Um, I feel very comfortable being a flaneur in a flaneur, uh, yes. Paris cafe. Yes. In a Paris cafe. But that's hardly what I would call getting back to nature. Do you, do you wear a, a that's rose? Getting, that's, getting back to, that's getting back to Sarge. Right. Let me ask you a question about boulevardiers. Yes. That sounds like it could be a Yiddish word, doesn't it? Boulevardier, boulevardier, yeah, sure. A flaneur. Not as much as. Not as much as the word, say, far-fetched. That's right. Far-fetched sounds far-fetched like... Far-fetched really sounds like a Jewish word. You know what? Now, all of a sudden, flaneur sounds like it could be a Yiddish word. Flaneur does sound like it could be, but it sounds like something that, um, you know, it's a bad bowel movement. <laughs> um, I had a flaneur. Um, as, a pow- no, a, as opposed to a good one? There are good bowel movements, said Danny Thomas. Okay, St. Jude's Hospital. St. Jude's, yes. give money to... I have a, a rule. Anytime I make a Danny Thomas glass coffee table joke, I plug St. Jude's because St. Jude's is the best. So that was... Well, you know that Danny, you know that Danny Thomas almost drowned one in a, in a lake uh, uh, at some point, but it was okay for him because uh, it was... He looked up and he saw a glass-bottom boat. Um, <laughs> so, um, I don't know if you know that. It gave him the strength to swim. <laughs> it was the light. At the, and then uh, it turned out, and then it turned out the guy was transporting sausages. <laughs> um, so it was a great day for, for Danny Thomas. Can you change how you're hardwired sexually? In other words, yes, it's called prison. <laughs> See, I've always believed, you know, look, gay people always say, um, you know, hey, we were made this way. We didn't choose it. 
right. as if if they did choose it, it would somehow be a lesser um, it would be morally a, le- a lesser thing to do if people choose if people are, are made that way. I don't think it matters actually, but um, think of uh, situational homosexuality in a thing like a prison. Yeah, let's discuss this because it's really important. You never, you've never. Do been... you? Because you're going. Yeah, because you're going to prison, pal. Okay, you go to prison. Now you're sharing a cell with another man. Yeah. Yeah. At, at our age. At our age, and having been married, you can share a communal space with another person for long stretches of time and not have sex with them. That's called marriage, right? Correct. It's it's called marriage. That's right. Right. And uh, sometimes it becomes a chore. You go through the. Yeah. So so the idea of uh, prison sex. or let me state up front, because we're going to get letters, and rightfully so. It's rape. Most of it is rape. Is that a fair statement? Well, you know, I prefer um, <laughs> what I saw on Oz. Do you remember Oz? I didn't watch Oz. The, Dr. Oz? Oh, Oz is... No. Oz, the, the HBO show. Right. It's amazing. I, I never missed an episode. I don't know how many seasons it ran. But in it, there's a very good depiction of a what I'll call a, a marriage of convenience between two people who really do truly fall in love. Neither of them have any background in homosexuality before, and it's situational. It works for them. Um, it's some kind of trust and love, and it spills over into into the physical. So it's not always rape. Right, but that's Oz. Yeah, but I, I, I can understand how that could happen. I could understand how how loneliness could really rewire your 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 sexuality. You know, look, Lenny Bruce once said, guys are so sexed up that if you put them on a desert island, they'll do it to mud. And I say, um, guys are so sexed up, if you put them on a desert island, they'll do it to Lenny Bruce. <laughs> So it is, other than Oz, I've never heard of a romance between two prisoners. That it's always been well, sexual, ha- but not an actual romance. Um, I had a uh, girlfriend who uh, was <clears throat> caught dealing drugs. They sent her to um, jail in, in the States. And um, when she got out, she told me a story about her girlfriend there and she said it was a real girlfriend and um they had a sexual relationship and it was very meaningful for her and frankly it got her through all the bad times in in her real life in her non-prison life it was never an option that she ever explored but uh, again that's i i think that's i think women we're gonna get letters don't worry about that Aren't women built differently? Maybe. And that may be as well. But um, I don't think you can rule out the idea that um, people um, change their sexuality according to their to their social situation. It's entirely possible. You know, I was an incel all through high school. <laughs> that guy came from Toronto, didn't he? Yes, he did. Yes, he did. 
All right. How's the bagel? We're, we're we'll... doing some. We're doing. Look, we're doing some very uh, advanced work here in Canada on not having sex. <laughs> when the research project is over, I'll let you know. Well, how how much does the coronavirus dominate the news before you go? Are, are people hanging on? The, the every single word it's pushed absolutely everything off the off the map i mean you know this it turned on to uh, cnn you might be want to know what's going on with biden and sanders they're a footnote now they barely matter it's just you know non-stop um this person's dying we're all dying we're all going to die uh, lock yourself in your room uh you know it's 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 all over it's no different here than it is there i'm sure and the new normal is not pandemics, but just to be terrified at all times. It, it, there is something suspicious about this. All right. All right. So, uh, it's very suspicious, of course. Um, and you can extrapolate. And other people have um, uh, people who are. And, you know, I miss Alex Jones now because yeah. he would have had some really interesting things to say, most of which would have been bullshit. But he would have had some interesting things to say about this. But you got to admit. Um, that America is really ripe for canceling elections, martial law, um, all uh, complete, uh, uh, what do you call it, when you, you don't let people out anymore, uh, curfew, complete curfews. Um, They're begging the orders, president. The, we are begging the president. He, yeah. He's like, so, he's like, you know, Julius Caesar refusing the crown, pretending... He's oh you don't really want me to do all this stuff do you yeah you ha declare Marshall we're begging him to shut the country well, down no, well it's not well it's not much different here except we've got a kinder guy with a nice beard mm -hmm. um, you know in charge and so you know there's a bit more trust in, involved and um, you don't suspect that he's somehow involved in going to turn this into some financial gain for himself, which I don't know how Trump will do that, but somehow it strikes me that he will or he might or he he, he will. You know, so we don't get that with with Trudeau. But there's there's a feeling that this is um, this is a long term problem that's going to exist for a long, long time. I'm hoping three weeks and they'll just say, you know what, we don't need these old people all that much. Go to the nightclubs. Right. Right. Before you go. And don't, and don't, and don't think that there isn't, I, that was a flip thing to say, but don't think that that isn't a possibility where they know that the numbers are going to be high. And what they're trying to do is they're trying to flatten the curve only to buy time so we can get better um, equipment, maybe work on a vaccine. But eventually they're not going to allow this world to degenerate into a, an economic dark age that we cannot recover from ever. So at some point, they're going to say, okay, uh, all, all clear, be careful, wash your hands, and the numbers will run up again, and it will, it will end. Hundreds of thousands of people will die, and the economy will continue. Right. I think that's what's going to happen. And healthy cynicism during the time of a pandemic gets you what? How many years in prison? A book deal. A book deal. I mean, what, is, deal. what yeah. is healthy cynicism right now? Well, healthy cynicism is not to take everything that you read on C 
CNN, uh, everything you hear on CNN exactly as is, as true. You have to look at people's, um, you know, hit, there are hidden agendas within hidden agendas within hidden agendas. And I'm not, um, a COVID denier, although I would like to make a musical out of it. It's a little early. <laughs> COVID-19, COVID-19, COVID-19. Poor old Johnny Ray, he just <laughs> passed away. Uh, I was thinking of COVID's metamorphosis, but it would have to be pronounced. Yes, COVID. I like that. Thank you for going. Thank you for going there. I was trying to figure out a, a pun on that myself, but I couldn't come up with one. So good for you. But it's COVID. It would have to be COVID, not COVID. COVID, which is, yeah. It doesn't COVID. work. It doesn't work. It doesn't work quite it as well, work. does it? No. But I think a musical is, I think there's a fringe show coming. Yeah. Yeah. Um, there are competing forces in the world, not just between good and evil, but there are financial forces that are competing there are nations who are competing there's no grand unifying theory to explain the trajectory of an economy a global economy there are four but there are forces at work and everybody therefore is filtering the news through their own agenda and so when you watch msnbc it's all donald trump's fault right but if you watch CBC, they're reporting, I would assume, they're, they're not blaming it on Trump, right? They're not reporting about, I mean, what what is the story when you turn on the CBC? What, how do they report it? The CBC, it's more of, um, there's more blame on uh, countries that got this originally that did not take it seriously enough. Right. That didn't give us the the lead time to do something. But I'm not sure what that something could have been. The only thing that seems the only strategy is to stay indoors yeah. and wash your hands. Let me tell you how the wash your hands thing has gotten so crazy. Today, I got in the mail. I got my new health card, Canadian health card. I open it up and the envelope up and I look at the health card and my wife immediately runs over with um, a, a, a Lysol wipes. She said, wipe the card, wipe the envelope, wipe yourself. Mm-hmm. Well, what do you think the chances really of me catching something from a, an envelope might be limited? Yeah. And what are the chances yeah. that your wife doesn't want you to catch it? Uh, large, I think, because I don't think she wants to catch it or oh, my I son will yeah. catch it. Um, but, um, yeah, that's. I mean, that's how extreme it's it's going to be. It's uh, you know people screwing in hazmat suits with a little hole. <laughs> you mean orthodox? Okay, Mark Breslin. Yes, they knew what they were doing. Hey, yeah. they look ahead of their time. So does Howie Mandel. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Mark Breslin is the founder and president of North America's largest comedy chain. I think I'm an optimist. I think everything will be back and running in a month. I just am. I, you know, it's not like I don't believe in. Cons- I'm just saying. I think at some point, it's never as bad as we think. I have to believe that. I have to believe that things are never as good or as bad as you think they are. It depends on what level of triage. Governments can accept and societies can accept. 
Right. Denial. How much denial we can accept. No, how, how many people can die and you can still feel that that was the right decision that you made to continue society as we know it? Because right. that will that will make people people die. Um, how many how many will it be? Uh, I made that crack about, you know, uh, six million Jews. But there is something to this because, um, you know, it's by far not the biggest killer of, of, of things and it won't ever be. You know that 12,000 people die of tuberculosis around the world every week? I didn't even know tuberculosis was a thing anymore. I thought it had been eradicated. Well, I'm wrong. It's a and peasant. you are not going to have 12,000. It's a peasant's Sorry? dish. Uh, tuberculosis is a peasant's dish. It's making a comeback. Oh, so it's a pasta. Yeah, it's kind of like that. But now the rich oh, have discovered okay. it. Yeah. Oh, okay. Um, there's a lot of other things out there that are, you know, far more deadly. Um, this is new. And I guess that's why it's scary. And everybody thinks that um, there's a geometric curve that's going to continue. But geometric curves in these kinds of things don't necessarily continue. They taper off because of things like natural immunity. Right. Um, and it's only a question of how many people we're willing to let to let go. To, to go back to, to normal. Yeah, yeah. So that's the big question. Mark Breslin, stay on the line for one quick second. Okay. You're listening to the David Feldman Radio Program, you sad, pathetic hump. For more on the pandemic, we go to the irritable immunologist who joins us once again from the La Jolla Medical Research Complex, UC San Diego Medical Center. I should mention that the irritable immunologist is an expert. Welcome, sir. No, I, I I will not accept the charges, operator. I don't know anyone who's in the New Jersey facility for the criminal. In- oh, <laughs> wow! Hey, 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 David, that was that was really weird. That yeah. was really really weird. But yeah, hey, hey, how's it going, David? Everything everything going going good in New York City, right? Yeah, wow. I'm, I'm in the epicenter. I'm in Manhattan. This is <laughs> I call it pandemic on the. On the Hudson. So, wow, that, uh, I'm sure some real estate developers will do some good work with that in about 20 years. Yes, yes. So about 367,000 people around the world have now been diagnosed with the coronavirus. The World Health Organization says it's accelerating. But we've gone five to six days in Wuhan without any new cases. Are you... Mm-hmm. Would you like to respond to that, the optimism about Wuhan? I mean, that's great. They had to to put in place very rapid, very stringent restrictions on essentially everybody who was in that region at that time and completely locked it down, not in a voluntary, I'm not going to leave my house unless I need to take a jog kind of a way, but more along the lines of, yeah, we're going to weld the door shut on your apartment building if you don't (laughs) stay in there. Which is 
which is a bit different situation. So that's good, yes. Let, let me push back think... on that. Let me push back yeah, on yeah. that, because we have a correspondent, an American correspondent in Beijing, Timothy Ulrich. He works with Global Chinese Television Network. and he I said, remember him fondly, yes. yes. Yes, yes. And we should mention that you're the same guy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I'm, uh, I'm, I'm trying to play both sides here. I'm, I'm both trying to reassure people that the number of people who've been killed by a transnational pandemic is, is far less than would happen on an average flu season and simultaneously covering all my bases by saying, no, that's totally insane. And you're Jackie <laughs> and the you Joke Man be... Martling. And you're also Jackie well, the Joke Man. Right. This is, I, one... you know, I'm, I'm really not getting paid enough to have three roles on the show now, David. Right. I, I okay. just thought I'd put that out there. By the way, just, just take a little, you know, in whitewater rafting, they talk about editing. Phil Hendry, who everybody should download, they should listen to Phil Hendry. He does an entire radio call-in show where he does all the voices. So, but this Oof. isn't, this isn't Phil Hendry. If you want real entertainment, listen to Phil Hendry, who we have to have back on the show. <laughs> okay. So my correspondent in Beijing tells us that it wasn't martial law in china that this is okay and i say this is what i say and then you respond we have more prisoners per capita than any country on the planet including china we lock people yeah. up we're mm -hmm. we're just as much an authoritarian regime as china if you go outside in Manhattan, it's lockdown. The restaurants are shut. It's pretty much essential services. Yes, people are gathering in the park, and Governor Cuomo is yelling at us to stay indoors. But for the most part, the the lunatic commander-in-chief, Donald Trump notwithstanding, we have the governor of Massachusetts. We have the governor of California. We have the governor of New York. Lockdown. I mean, we are locked down. So you don't think this is strict enough? It's not. It's not the entire country. It's. It's not enough. I mean, it, yeah, we've got some of the biggest states, the coastal states. I think Inslee was probably first. Then maybe Newsom. Then Cuomo. In terms of. In terms of the. When when they implemented these things, but these things need to be implemented nationwide. Right. I mean, we we need to finally belly up to the table and says it's us at the big belly and realize hey we have this thing is out we have i believe you talked about it with dr boney on, on your last program and yes. good on you keep getting that guy on the show right. that guy is the best source of information on epidemics and how you should approach them that you could possibly find and i don't give a fuck who thomas friedman knows at yale leading him to write these cockamamie columns about, oh, hey, it, it might not have to be that bad. There might be. Yeah, sure, whatever. Whatever, right. buddy. Go back to sleep and start agitating for another war in the Middle East that will kill a million civilians. You know, right. stop telling people how to deal with a pandemic. Listen to Dr. Boney. Go to the CDC if you have specific technical questions. But, yeah, I'm not. Uh, Can I tell you what I, Dr. I Boney? Can I tell you what Dr. Boney said to me? And he said, feel free to sure. quote me. If you listen to my interview Friday with Dr. Macek Boney. He's an epidemiologist who writes on pandemics. At the very end of the interview, he says, David, are we recording? And, and I said, let me, let me wrap it up because he thought the interview was over. So I said, thank you for doing the show. Stay on the line. And then he says, are we recording? I said, no, let me hit the, the pause button. And he said, mm -hmm. feel free to quote me on this. 
but I'm just telling you what I'm looking at right now is yeah. the greatest generation redux that that this country, the American people, have been lulled to sleep and yep. that this is the moment when they they will have to deal with again i uh, don't like saying this but they are going to see loved ones who will perish from this virus this will be the yep. the watermark of their life yep. uh, do you, do you, let me yeah go ahead go ahead no you go ahead. Uh, well i, I was i was just going to say if i could tee off of that point that dr boney made and and make this really brutally absolutely clear if you're 19 and you're saying to yourself oh i'm fine i'm gonna be great i'm gonna get out there i'm gonna do whatever the fuck i want i'm gonna i'm gonna take keg stands at a beach in florida and and hang out with a bunch of other people of similar ages because we're all gonna be fine yeah yeah and then you're gonna go home Mm -hmm. And you're going to take it to your parents. You know who else you're going to take it to? You're going to take it to your little sister who's got asthma, who has a pre-existing respiratory disease. And you, you know who they're going to take it to? Whoever's around. And mm -hmm. this, this really pisses me off. This makes me, I am irate. I'm no longer irritable. I'm irate at this point <laughs> with this level of behavior, particularly at the top. And that, God, that's an execrable excuse for a human being. But on this very topic, you're not gonna, just going to take it to your parents. Say you hate your parents. You're not just going to take it to your grandparents. Say you hate your grandparents. Sure, granted all that. Sure, say you're glad to watch all of these people die in front of you from respiratory distress, choking on their own fucking phlegm. Say you're okay with that. Well, you know who else is going to get it? Little kids with cancer. Five-year-olds. Up until about a month ago, we had at least five major leads that I had just demonstrated in a wide variety of different myeloid leukemia cell lines that I had chosen for their specific mutations, their gender, and their ethnicity, we had at least five nice leads on compounds that will fuck up acute myeloid leukemia, just fuck it up where it stands. And you know what's not going to happen now to that? You know what's happening now? We're not researching that at this moment, David. No, we're putting everything to bed. I was taking all of those cells that I counter-screened, showed this, these compounds fuck up myeloid leukemia. You know what they don't do? They don't hurt normal cells very much. And this is the ideal case. I counter-screened against multiple different cell types of regular tissue. Didn't do a thing, statistically speaking. You throw them at three different super aggressive myeloid leukemia lines in culture, those guys are dead. Dead in three days. So we have leads like this going. We have things that could help people. There is a ton of active well, research. You, you make you make being an immunologist sound like a Liam Neeson movie. Like you're, you're a super <laughs> superhero here. What, what's good? Uh, well, I'm 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 only one link in the chain. So in the in the lab that I'm in, we're doing small molecule development discovery. And in all the way through clinical. So we're going from a structural biochemist that I work with who designs these compounds based on the features of the biochemical, oh, let's just say enzymes that we're trying to inhibit, that cancer or Zika virus or now COVID-19 causing virus, SARS-CoV-2. We, we we're designing these based on the best available knowledge. We're synthesizing them in-house because we've got super hot shots, synthetic organic chemists in here. Then they're handing them off to me. I'm putting them in solutions and throwing them at cells, trying to kill them, ideally, if they're cancer, or trying to make them survive if I'm also infecting them with a virus. 
mm-hmm. uh, doing lots of really interesting stuff there. But what, once I've demonstrated this, which I've done for a number of compounds for both, well, we have colon cancer, myeloid leukemia, possibly even pancreatic cancer, which is essentially untreatable. Right. No matter what age you fucking get it at. Glioblastoma? Maybe. We'll see. But once I'm done with them and, and I've proven to everyone's satisfaction that they're just nuking cancer cells in the case of cancer and not doing much to normal cells, then we have to go into an animal model. Then we're going to go into some mice. There's going to be some poor, unfortunate mice who are going to be sacrificed so we can save some kids with cancer's acid, ideally. Mm-hmm. And so all of this work, all of this work, and I'm, I'm in a building with seven floors of people doing things like that. I mean, I mean, there's a people down right down on the same floor from me have a $10 million grant to treat a rare disease that afflicts children that has no treatment. They have a patient in clinic right now with amazing results. Right now. You know what they're not going to do? Expand that. Because we're fucking locked down. We have to deal with this shit because the, the politicians and their friends and the people who were so very concerned about their stock values couldn't get their goddamn shit together and listen to the actual people who were telling them there's a red fucking light flashing. There's a red light. Shit, there was a red light flashing in China three years ago. A research group went to a cave, found some bats, swabbed them, pulled out a coronavirus and said, oh, shit, this looks a whole lot like SARS. This could probably infect the entirety of the human race. We need to pay more attention to that. Instead of doing that, well, we fucking cut those teams. We cut the fucking epidemiology training we were doing for Chinese Chinese scientists and Indian scientists and Bangladeshi scientists and African scientists of many different countries. We cut all that. And you know what we've got? We've got a rampaging epidemic. And if you if you look at the curve and even assuming we're testing everybody who's got it, which we definitely aren't, you talked to Dr. Boney about that, and that was a great conversation. Good on you for having him on again. That's because of you. That's because of you. Well, regardless of why, he's on now. Keep bringing him on. This is important shit. So you're you're saying don't listen to Jackie the Joke Man Martling when it comes to pandemics. Is that what you're saying? I mean, let me write that down. I mean, maybe, maybe. I mean, again, I I haven't heard his entire. He knows so many jokes mm-hmm. that it's possible he knows a joke from 1917 that was super applicable and very helpful to people during the so-called Spanish flu pandemic that killed tens of millions of people in the 1917 and 1919 window. Okay, so Maybe. so let me ask you about your work and when you yeah. say you're being locked down, is that because your resources are being diverted to find a cure for COVID-19, or you're just locked down because everything is stopping? I mean, for for me in particular, we're uh, considered medically necessary, our lab, because we are, do, we are doing active research on ways to potentially block the entrance of SARS-CoV-2 into cells, um, which as I've talked about before, involves the ACE2 receptor. There's, there's a lot of complexities involved there. You don't want to directly inhibit the enzymatic activity of ACE2 because that's actually probably helpful for, for lung and in heart inflammation. Um, but no, no, I'm, I'm just talking for the other six floors of medical scientists who are working on cures for rare diseases. So has cancers. that work stopped or slowed down? Dramatic halt, I would say. There, Why? There, people, Why? I mean, 
because it's not a central medical function. This is this is long term research, right? So, so some of this stuff is miles away from a clinical setting. Some of this okay. stuff is basic research to figure out, hey, how does this pathogen function? What does it do in the body? To even to lay the groundwork to even begin to generate something like a like a small molecule or an antibody. Okay, drug. so are they switching gears? Or are they and focusing on the coronavirus? Or I mean, no. There's I wouldn't say there's a good overriding executive action being put into place by the the regents of the University of California or the other major biomedical facilities. I can say that a lot of uh, the genetics professors, the high-throughput screening folks, the microbiome folks, they're all on a Slack channel, and they're all trying to figure out if we can leverage any of the available equipment we have uh, a fair amount of which is our real-time PCR or quantitative PCR machines, which are very similar to the type of machine you use to test patients in a clinical setting. Uh, there's there's lots of impediments between testing patient samples in an academic research setting, but there's a ton of equipment. And so I've personally, and I, I believe other people, have put together proposals to hey, say, hey, you can you can get all of these graduate students who are who are basically just hovering around, circulating, mm-hmm. just not you know not going out. That's not what I mean. But they don't they can't be on their projects. They can't be in. They can't be doing anything productive. But they have training that could be potentially beneficial. And so what, what I've suggested, I believe other people have suggested, and, and hopefully we can get some motion on this, is to dramatically ramp up testing on the basis of real-time polymerase chain reaction tests. And if you can do the viral RNA extraction and and or the cDNA synthesis in a clinical setting or in a laboratory setting where they have what's called BSL-3, biosafety level 3 containment, you can feed those cDNA, ideally, or RNA samples to thousands of labs across this state and many, many more across your state and other states that could provide some kind of information, even if you don't trust the data as much because it's not from clinically certified machines, it's not using clinically certified tests, and it's not run by clinically certified scientists. Even then, having data sets that are in some way reproducible would be really beneficial to county, city, and state health officials so that they can focus their efforts. They can focus the clinical laboratories on hotspots that they see that are being found by broad, broad-scale surveilling of the population, and, and they can focus the actual medical personnel. So there's definitely people are people are trying to do things, but no, we don't have we don't have a mandate from anywhere at this point, as far as I can tell. All right. I got a, a call from a loved one. Yes, I have a couple who was freaking out. And I said, turn CNN off. Turn MSNBC. Good advice. I'm sorry. Good advice. Good advice there. Because they don't understand science, nor are they willing to report on science. All they know how to do is listen to Donald Trump run his press conference and create panic. We're unprepared. He's now talking about at the end of the 15-day quarantine that has been imposed by the brilliant Mike Pence. We will then try to restart businesses because he says the, the cure can't be 
more deadly than than the the virus and some people are freaking out is donald trump really in charge and by that i mean we're in a states rights paradigm right now we're individual states we do obviously we need a president who can control the the commanding heights of this pandemic but we don't have that so we're depending on andrew cuomo we're depending on gavin newsom yep uh do you see that's a bad situation that's a real bad situation that is a bad situation that is a bad situation i mean i mean to, to, to just go back to your you know greatest generation metaphor there in you know uh, many of your your fabulous comedy bits, I think maybe with Michael Brooks or, or Sam Cedar, where you know you're talking about oh hey we we just sort of voluntarily everybody voluntarily drafted themselves and went to war they voluntarily pressed businesses into service no no that's not what happened you had almost a command and control state right <laughs> in right. the in this country which was necessary to do the industrial development necessary to build the tools required to win that war same deal goes right now we we need to be ramping up we need to be ramping up reagents we need to be ramping up prep kits we need to be ramping up test kits we need to be ramping up absolutely everything involved in ppe personal protective equipment as people are now people are now finally using that acronym in public because it's so important so yeah we we need a we need a major escalation in order to to get things done here, and the person in charge doesn't know squat about this. If I could say an additional word about this, because I mentioned it last time I was on, in in dumbass, orange face, anyway, that particular person goes on national television and mentions chloroquine, which I did. That's in, those are in clinical studies. There are some preliminary results with this compound. Compound is incredibly toxic. There's a reason why it's on prescription. You could kill yourself with chloroquine. So if you're, you know, like, oh, Liam McEnany on a Tuesday night and, and you're wearing a ski mask and you're, you're trying to break into the back of a pharmacy to get the pills that you need because <laughs> you don't have real health care, don't fucking pick up chloroquine because that's going to fucking kill your ass. Mm-hmm. I mean, it, it's cardiotoxic. It has an incredibly tight, what we call therapeutic index. The difference between it as an effective therapy and it laying you out on the floor with major organ failure or death isn't a big difference. <laughs> right. Okay? So, right. yeah, the President of the United States saying shit like that on television when when the best data we have is from cell culture or some really perfunctory, not perfectly designed clinical trials experiments that are in the middle of an ongoing pandemic, the French one with in conjunction with azithromycin being, being fairly famous on social media at this point. Again, this is not a super tight standardized clinical trial you had experimental groups in a different city from the control groups you had 10 of the of the 16 people who started out on the regimen that worked the best dropping out in the process this is these are not approved drugs for these conditions yet we don't really know how well they work there was some hotness about a particular a pair of drugs associated with i believe those are protease inhibitors with hiv treatment Turns out, once the disease is really going, doesn't seem to work that well. Might benefit in some prophylactic fashion. Nobody can say so for sure at this point because nothing is approved. The only things that are approved for fighting coronavirus is, at the current moment, are, are vaccines in pigs or, you know, disinfecting 
equipment, like they have on the EPA list N, which I believe I mentioned to you folks before. Like, this is, this is not something that we have a big arsenal for. Like, we're doing projects screening natural products, FDA-approved compounds, just in the hope that we can find something that's in a family of molecules that might interact between the receptor, the spike protein, a surface, this is a trimer, there's three identical proteins that come together to form the spike on the outside of the coronavirus that disrupts its interaction between its cognate receptor, ACE2, angiotensin 20 enzyme 2, in that spike trimer. If we can get something in there that blocks infection, hey, that'd be ideal. This would be ideal. Nothing like that is currently approved. Nothing like that appears to be in the pipeline. The current drugs that are, you know, that the popular media and certainly social media, which isn't, isn't much better these days, uh, are propping up have not been approved for this. They have not been well studied for this. And many of them are going to be quite toxic. <laughs> yeah. So again, don't listen to the orange faced buffoon throwing feces on television every morning. Listen to Dr. M- Bodie. L- listen to actual people who know what the fuck they're talking about. Well, and that certainly isn't the president. Right. So uh, you, Boney, and where else? Wh- who else should we be listening to? I mean, I, I think he, Dr. Boney, gave a lot of links to different institutions that have good social media feeds going. I I would second that. I would second whatever that man says. You should probably listen to Okay. Um, so but yeah, the, in, in terms of clinical advice, you go to the CDC. If if you don't, if you can't find what you're looking for on the CDC, go to the WHO. Well, they have big sections devoted to specifically this type of thing. Well, the Centers for Disease Control out of Atlanta is a United States organization. I would assume there are other. There's the World Health Organization, which is international. Yeah, WHO. Yeah. I, I would mm-hmm. assume that maybe. France, Germany, Canada, Spain, Italy might know some things that we don't know. China? Is it possible China is on the forefront? Certainly. Yeah, no, they've had, they've, they had the first problem here. They, they have as long as anybody else. I mean, there's like information sharing in, in journals and, and even ad hoc channels between researchers is pretty good. And yeah, yeah, I, I know there's, some clinicians in France who are saying, "Hey, we're gonna we're gonna throw this combo, uh, ZPAC and chloroquine, at anybody who we think is gonna die of this infection, and that's compassionate use, totally legit." Uh, does that mean you should run out and knock over a pharmacy and, and get some pills? No, no, that's a terrible idea. That's a terrible idea, and that will probably drive drug resistance by the virus. And that's a, that's another bit here. Anytime. A, a talking tangerine stuffed with garbage <laughs> mentions a drug on national television that may or may not have an effect against this virus. That's a bad deal because, frankly, the more people who aren't clinicians who are taking the initiative to pick up these compounds and dose themselves with them to, to biohack themselves, if you will, if, if you want to use some garbage Silicon Valley verbiage for it, you're going to drive drug resistance by this virus. So the people who need to be taking these off-label remedies are under immediate physician's care and are being given these compounds because they're probably going to die if they don't get them. So you might as well throw whatever you can at them because they're dead anyway, and you might be able to save their ass 
if you use these compounds. Right. So, yeah, if, if, if you're going out there and being like, oh, it's fine, I'm going to take 100 milligrams of chloroquine every couple of days. No, that's, an, that's a terrible idea. And if you're using a sub, if you're using a dose that doesn't eradicate your infection, you can drive resistance by the, that very virus that you're trying to kill. This is a single-stranded positive sense RNA virus. It's a big one. It's got error correction capabilities, and one of its enzymes is how it holds itself together. But these suckers mutate faster than anything. HIV is an amateur. Influenza, pfft, nothing. Nothing. Not compared to positive sense single-stranded RNA viruses. These suckers mutate faster than any pathogen that infects humans. The, the coronavirus, we, we are seeing evidence that the coronavirus is mutating. Yeah, yeah, certainly. There's, there's good epidemiological, basically they're sequencing the genome of viruses from different people in different places. And yeah, yeah, you do see these guys accruing mutations. And the problem is, is you're going to drive the direction that those mutations go if you start using in really broad ways compounds that inhibit them now. Because you're going to be selecting for their their descendants who have mutated in the right way to avoid your remedy that works maybe now. So d don't do that. Don't okay. do that at all. But, so, but, yeah, there's, but, but there's I don't want the headline. On. Hang on for one second, because you're yeah. you know you're brilliant and you have great performative attributes, which makes for a good guest on my show. But I don't want the headline to be that um, the that the virus is mutating. Because that's not so. It, it sure no. So it's happily as positive sense single stranded RNA Baltimore Group Four uh, viruses go. Coronaviruses are really big, and so they need to be able to correct errors that happen. So their mutation rate is a lot lower than a, a, a number of other viruses, typically much smaller viruses like like rhinoviruses. Um, that a rhinovirus would be in your nose. Yes, sir. Okay. Or maybe yours. I mean. I yep. wouldn't go pointing fingers. I mean, I don't know where that finger's been. Felton, okay. So. All right. All right. So to yourself. Okay. All right. Uh, Jeet here, who we've had on this show, brilliant writer, has a piece over at The Nation about therapeutic mm. nihilism. How is nihilism pronounced? Is it nihilism or nihilism? I. Anyway. I, you'd go either way. I he, mean, Nietzsche's dead, so I don't, I don't think he'll be mad. Okay. And God's... When, Nietzsche died. God said, who's dead now? So uh, <laughs> out of Austria, there uh, in the 1850s, there was this medical treatment called what they called therapeutic nihilism. And the idea is mm. first do no harm when there's an epidemic or an illness, stand back and let nature take its course that mm. that nature is much more effective at ending diseases than the doctors are. And from that, according to Jeet here, you had uh, Hayek, who also is from Austria. He applied that to economics, that if you just leave, oh, the, good. leave the economy alone, it will sure. heal itself. That's sure, who, yeah, no, all the, all the poor people will starve and then everything will be great. Yeah, no, I'm right. familiar with Hayek. Yeah. Yeah. So it's therapeutic nihilism. According to Jeet here, we have people mm -hmm. like Steve Mnuchin and Mitch McConnell and Rand Paul, Donald Trump, who believe in therapeutic nihilism. That is hands off 
and the economy will flourish. Get government restrictions off our back and the economy will heal all by itself. And they apply that. That's what they're thinking, according to Jeet here, Mm. with the virus, that if you try to cure the virus, fix the virus, you will end up making it worse. This is what people are going to be saying. Trump's followers are going to be saying things along the lines of the cure is going to end up being worse than the disease. They rewrote, you know, Republicans have ended up rewriting the New Deal and saying that was worse than the Great Depression, that that because FDR tried to fix the economy, he made it worse. There are a lot of people in the White House who believe let the pandemic run its course. Is there any... Sure, legi- I, I bet there's a lot in there who believe that Jesus is going to come any day now and lift them up bodily and take them away from the, the screaming hordes who are, who are baying even now for their blood due to their own incompetence. Right. Yeah, I'm sure they believe a lot of garbage, Dave. <laughs> so Ugh. talk to me about the the pandemic. There, We're going to be hearing... Alex Jones types who are saying the medical community is making this worse. Well, I mean, Alex Jones would know, right? I mean, he wasn't, he selling a colloidal silver toothpaste that he claimed would, would would cure SARS and SARS, SARS two here that we're experiencing. Right. And yeah, yeah, no, I mean, uh, you've really got to pay close attention to, to what these people say. I mean, they're going to sell you a toothpaste that'll turn your, lips blue and you know maybe fry your kidney i mean why wouldn't you trust these people they're right. they know what's best for you right and it definitely involves buying a bucket of dehydrated food for 80 bucks a pop you know yeah and, and sitting in your bunker waiting for the for the lord to arrive yeah no i i don't i i don't know what to say to your question david other than to sort of scream invective and i, I don't know if it's really beneficial for your all audience. right but before you go before you go, and thank you for changing the direction of this show, because I did start interviewing epidemiologists after you lambasted me for... You did, and, and good on you. you yeah. You, you, picked a, you picked a real good guy to talk to, too. He wasn't putting up with any of your, like, say I'm the mayor of that town in Jaws, and, and say I just had my arm bitten off by an enormous <laughs> shark, and say I'm standing there waving my bleeding stump in the air trying to reassure everyone that everything's going to be just fine and they should take a dip. Yeah, no, that, that was a good conversation. Good on you. Yeah, I play the part of Larry Vaughn, Mayor Larry Vaughn from Jaws, who wants to open the beaches. <laughs> and unfortunately, uh, Donald Trump seems to uh, identify with Mayor Larry Vaughn. He wants to open the beaches. Well, I mean, that's, that's that's who this guy is, right? That's who these people are, right? Yeah. I mean, they're they're against bailouts until Jamie Dimon's, you know, five thousand watt grin goes down a millimeter and a half, and then they're waiting in line at the door of his bank to pour as much money down his throat as he could possibly handle. Yeah. Whereas, yeah, Lloyd Blankfein, the homeless people who are going to be, you're going to be cut down like fucking grass. A lot of these people by this epidemic, unless they have some place to go where they can be remotely safe a lot of these people are old a lot of these people are fucking vietnam veterans do not have it together psychologically because they went through the most obscene psychological trauma you could ever possibly imagine and they're out on the street waiting to die that's this country 
So, yeah, everybody who's not a complete piece of garbage really needs to come together right now <laughs> and actually do things themselves. And I'm, I'm glad you've been on this, on social distancing, staying at home unless you're absolutely essential, and, yeah, trying to remain sane amidst the, you know, the obvious insanity at the top. Okay, talk to me about the homeless before you go. I mean, at Newsom, who's the governor out here, to his credit, they had some thought about that. And so they they put together a, a big chunk of money and, and tried to reserve a whole ton of otherwise idling hotel rooms, right? Like, who's going to go on vacation into a hot spot of COVID-19? Who's going to go on any vacation at this point who's not a psychopath? Not many people. So we have a lot of capacity all over this state, and I'd imagine all over that state and all over most states, of housing units that are unfilled, that you could put people in. You could put those people in there, and it would not be, just be better for them. Say you don't care about them. Say you're a stockbroker, and all you care about is the bottom line, important things in life, money. Say that's all you care about. Well, the faster you get these people off the street, the faster you get them away from each other and out of squalor and filth, the lower the number of people who are going to be easy targets for a rampaging, rip-roaring COVID-19 infection. And therefore, the more room there's going to be for your sainted mother in the emergency room when she comes down. So, yeah, we, we've got to mobilize everything. We've got to pull out the stops. We need N95 masks, bad. We need personal protective equipment, bad. I mean, we've got, you know, I'm, I'm at a major research medical institution, and we've got internal emails. I'm, I can't share them with you, but they're alarming. And as a lot of the, the reports and generally the more responsible press, which is typically not on television, of very similar things in hospitals. I know a large number of clinical people, clinical scientists, as well as nurses, people that I taught and hopefully remembered what I told them about washing their hands. Because if I go into the ER and I see one of the people I taught not washing their goddamn hands sufficiently, I'm going to yell at them and I don't care if I'm on a respirator. Right. So, yeah, we, we need we need literally all hands on deck. This this is what we should be spending our money on rather than voluntary wars of aggression that destabilize large chunks of the Eurasian landmass and or North African landmass and kill a million plus people. Right. That was that was a big fucking waste of time. All that money we blew invading Iraq, all that money we blew blowing up Libya and killing Gaddafi and turning that place into a failed state where they're selling slaves on the street. That was under Obama. It's an all-Republican fault. The more all of this money we've blown on the military, all of this money on these science fiction weapons to use against no one, well, you know, we could have been doing with it. We could have been building up extra, extra intubation equipment, extra PPE stockpiles, N95s for every medical personnel in the country. We could have done all of this, and it would have been a lot less money. But we didn't because we don't care because we'd rather blow up people in foreign countries than take care of the person down the street here. And hopefully there will be some time here now that people are confined, non-essential people, non-essential people will be able to think to themselves, gee, I'm, you know, I'm a manager of a hedge fund. I've got three yachts and yet somehow, somehow I'm not essential to the society. I had always felt that I was very, very, very important. And my stock tips were really pressing news. Turns out the janitor who works 
for the subcontractor who works for the subcontractor who's contracted to deal with my second catamaran yacht in Hawaii, that person is essential. Because they're cleaning up fucking potentially deadly infectious virus off the goddamn street, out of the hallway. Those people are essential. Not somebody writing a goddamn app. No, no, no. Not unless that app specifically helps tracking. Sorry. Sorry, people. Sorry, hedge fund managers. Sorry, software engineers. You're not essential to the society. In order for a society to operate, it has to look out. For everyone, all the time. And we've failed on that for years and years. You have Harvey J.K. on all the time. You can talk about that at length for days, I'm sure. We have failed so many people in the population. And it turns out we've been doing it to enrich people who are not essential to the operation of our society. I, th- I think that's something for people to digest, think about. Anyway, sorry about you, you that. You know what? You get know a little, what? Get a little irate. No, no, no. You know what? Uh, you know. You know what uh, occurred to me while you were talking about this? That evolution is the conspiracy theory. This is evolution at work here, and and the weak are not the homeless people. The weak are the hedge fund managers. I mean, they're. It's, you know, that's, that's more of a social Darwinist thing than, than evolution proper. Once you start getting self-interested, sentient organisms in on evolution, then things start to get a little wonky. But yeah, yeah, you could, I suppose you could sort of make that comparison. Sure. Yeah. But, I mean, and so a, if you're looking for, if you're process, looking for exactly a, what you're saying. Yeah. If you're looking for a grand unifying theory, you're, if you're looking for puppet masters who are creating this virus and trying to control society, it's, Evolution. It's not somebody from Davos trying to pull this off to no. Right? No, and, and in fact, on this very specific point, there's been a bunch of half-assed, stupid, cockamamie, like, oh, somebody engineered this virus. No. No, they didn't. We know where this virus came from, or we have a really, really good idea. And it came from a virus that infects bats. Probably doesn't kill bats. They're probably just fine with this respiratory virus. But it came from bats. And the reason we got it is because we have so much money and so many resources in the world that we could share none of them with the people who lived near the caves that those bats dwell in. Mm -hmm. And Mm -hmm. so, as a consequence, because they're poor, incredibly poor people, probably in China, possibly somewhere else, they had to sell whatever they could find on hand to the masters of the universe, the Wall Street folks, and their journalist friends, and and the people who are in the middle, like Tom Friedman, who I believe married into a family of billionaires and is now pontificating for some reason on the pages of the New York Times about, oh, hey, we shouldn't get so freaked out. There's a light at the end of the tunnel. Not yet. There's fucking not. <laughs> we haven't even defined the scope of the tunnel yet. We don't have enough testing to do that. Right. So, yeah. 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 Sorry. I got, By the way, climate change, if you're looking for conspiracy theories, climate change yep. is a conspiracy. Yep. yep. That's an absolute conspiracy. By the way, the pro- before you go, the, the problem with people like Friedman and Bill Crystal, who's pontificating, is they are like Tom and Daisy Buchanan in The Great Gatsby. They create death, they create a mess, and then they get on their boat and go back to East Egg, and it never happened. Yep. That That's the yep. problem. 
with these people. Yeah. That Tom Friedman said we need heads on a stick to show the world America's boss. And if Iraq is that country, sorry, your number's up. You're the one. And and so millions of people, millions of people have died because of the invasion yep. of Iraq. And Bill Crystal and and Thomas Friedman go, well, you know, that's the price of doing business. That's and that's how they look at this pandemic, unfortunately. Hey, you touched- and, you'd, and you'd expect them to just just for a quick side point, David, you'd expect them to say that because they're not going to lose their job. Just right. like Jim Cramer on CNBC who was telling people to buy Bear Stearns minutes before they went bankrupt because it was such a good deal. Right. There is no, absolutely no accountability. The more powerful you are, powerful you are in this country, the less accountability there appears to be. Say that Particularly again. If Ray, that's Ray, say in, that again. Say that again. The more powerful you are in this country, the less accountability there appears to be for your actions. So the lowest fry cook at a McDonald's, the, the you know, the most poorly paid person in Doing your landscaping out front of your palatial estate in the Hamptons, they have far more accountability. There's consequences if they fuck up their job. Tom Friedman, Trumpet and Bill Crystal, Trumpet optional wars of aggression in the Middle East over and over again, destabilizing whole countries, resulting in the deaths of millions, they've still got a column. They've still got a place to go. They're still going to show up on MSNBC because they're so intelligent, right? They're so on it, right? They're just such great successes that the American public should be forced to see and hear their stupid, horseshit, murderous, insane, sociopathic opinions about every given subject they have no expertise in. That's what we need. That's who we are. But we don't have to do that anymore. We have an inflection point. We're in it. It's going to kill a lot of people. It's going to kill kids. It's going to kill a lot of old people. It's going to kill kids, too. Kids with cancer, for God's sake. So we are at a a point. We can make a decision as a society. Hey, do we want to put up with this crap anymore? Do we want to pretend? Do we want to go around pretending that there's some reasonable argument not to provide every person in the country, not just American citizens, everyone in the borders, access to at least basic health care? No, there's no good argument to make that, to make there. There never was. And now, now you can see why. <laughs> right. Anyway, I, uh, I'm, uh, I'm in danger of falling off my high horse here. No, David, no, no, so, no, no, uh, no, no. I, I, uh, want to tell my listeners that the irritable immunologist is a listener. He contacted me. He berated me for not having the proper guests on uh, the show. He really laid into me and I took it like a man and I apologized to you. And <laughs> I and, mean, there was a, there was a fair bit of squealing equivocation. No, and I called you. In and, no, 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 no. I, <laughs> I, you berated me. You're a listener. No, it's true. You're a cust- I, I view you as a customer. Fair. And Fair. and you wrote me a, a very convincing note, shaming me, yelling at me. And I read the email and I contacted you and uh, I took it. I took the beating because I deserved it. So but but because, you know, the boss kicks you, you go home, you got to kick the dog. You know about that? That. 
that's, that's what I've heard, yeah. 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 So let me just berate my listeners. This is a listener. How come you're not as good <laughs> listener as the irritable immunologist? I have to take it out on somebody, right? Ouch. Yeah. Ouch. They should be as good as... No. Uh, thank you. You, you want to come back for Friday's show? <laughs> sure, man. Yeah, I, uh, yeah, I'll be. Yeah, I'll be working for sure, trying to keep these, trying to keep these negative eighty freezers from blowing up and keeping, uh, yeah, the appropriate cells and culture going, so All we right. can hopefully Bef- get a beat on something. But yeah, man. Yeah, okay. Give, give me a Be- ring. Before you go, before you go, I say this. I asked Ralph Nader this on the Ralph Nader Radio Hour, and maybe you'll have a more coherent. Uh, thought on this for Friday's show, but give my listeners marching orders. They are citizens. They, as you pointed out, have a lot of free time now to either turn on MSNBC and panic or do something. Give them marching orders. Concrete, concrete marching orders. All right. If you are living in a state that is not yet put in a self-isolation uh, at least suggestion, you need to be contacting all of your legislators. You need to be contacting all of your legislators anyway, if you've got the time and telling them, hey, we need a full court press. We need medical supplies. We need medical personnel. Anybody who can be trained to do basic tasks like nasal swabbing, maybe cops, maybe other people who are in, who are in sort of civil positions who could be pressed into service provided they have protective equipment. We need to have full court press to test, test, test everybody we can possibly test. None of this bullshit, you don't get tested if you're not about to die on a fucking ventilator in a hospital. No, 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 no. We have the resources. We even have the companies in this country able to do it. But what they will actually need is executives at the state level and mostly at the federal level. All right, hang on, hang on, hang on, hang on. It's Bert Ross. Hang on for one second. Bert, are you there? Yeah, you're on the air. Bert, you're on with the irritable immunologist. Hey, Bert. Okay. I'm on the air. With the the irritable. Not in the air. Okay, hang on for one second, Bert. Just hang on. Stay stay on the. Well. Can I ask you what we're, we're, we're recording? So just stay, stay, just be, I know it's hard for you, Bert. This is Bert <laughs> Ross, the, the mayor Herb, of Fort Lee, minute, New whoa, Jersey. Whoa, whoa. It's not Herb. It's not Herb Ross. It's Bert Ross. I wish it were Herb Ross. I wish I, it. I, I think the virus, I think the virus may have hit you already. Okay. So, you know, the word Herb in terms of bitter herbs. The H is silent. So it's herbs. Can Bert be silent like the H in bitter herbs? Just for one second. One Mm. second. Mm. (laughs) Irritable immunologist. We're talking. Irritable immunologist. We're talking to my childhood hero. There are two people growing up who I worshipped. Ralph Nader and Bert Ross. And that my father picked my heroes for me. And they were Ralph Nader <laughs> and Bert Ross. I'm being serious. Bert Ross is an American hero. And I've told his about once a year we tell his story. And I think it's important to tell his story because it's one of courage. And uh the the only thing you have to fear is Donald Trump. So 
Before we go, I'm going to wrap it up with the irritable immunologist, and then we'll talk to Bert Ross in a second. When you come back Friday, I want mm-hmm. I want concrete marching orders for my listeners because on today's show we're we're covering the detention centers, the ice camps. We got that covered, but ah, we good. haven't we haven't talked about our prison population, and we haven't talked about the homeless. Yep. And we yep. we need to marshal our resources as a podcast to get my listeners to be either citizen journalists or just citizens. And they until they pull the kill switch on the Internet, we can affect change. You're not working. You have time. Let's mobilize people to make the calls, to send the emails, to get our government more responsive to the needs of the least among us because right now all they're worried about is calming the markets yeah and that's and that's what's important so so when you come back friday let's discuss where the soft entry points are for the coronavirus and and what we need to do uh and the problem before you go is we're begging the the wrong person for martial law. We're begging Donald yeah. Trump. This is like we're handing him the end of democracy on a silver platter. We're we're actually talking about suspending November's elections. So we we have hey. to fi- we're this is the wrong president. That's for sure. Yeah. Irritable immunologist, thank you for your time. Still pissed off, David. Still pissed off. I'm sorry? Look, look, I'm still pissed off, David, and I seem likely to remain so for the duration. Okay, and let me just say to my listeners, why can't you be like the irritable immunologist? Why can't you be like him? I just, I just <laughs> want, to be an, I want to be an abusive father, so that's <laughs> clearly, to my listeners. Clearly. You, did, you didn't get enough practice? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> But um, bump. But um, bump. Yeah, I, I wouldn't berate your your listeners for not being a research scientist with an obvious personality disorder, but I, I take your meaning. <laughs> okay. So, thank yeah. you. We'll, thank we'll talk to you soon, buddy. Stay safe. Aye, aye. That's what I'm going to call you. Aye, aye. The irritable immunologist will be back Friday. Great job. Please welcome to these microphones from somewhere on the West Coast. I believe it's Malibu, although his house burned down last time we <laughs> talked. Please welcome. Why, why is the immunologist laughing? Because you're funny. You're naturally funny, Bert. Yes. Ha ha, funny. I'm always laughing. Anyway, who is, let me uh, let, let me get off the phone here. Okay, thank you. I I irritable immunologist. Oh, let me give you let me give you your theme song. Hang on. Ooh. Hang on. Let me give it to you again. <laughs> Ah, uh, yes. That's that how, does uh, sound like me. That's a crown that Stay I give. Stay safe, folks. Take it Listen easy. to the CDC. Listen to Dr. Bodie. Keep yourself safe. Thank you. Thank all you. Right. Thank you. Talk for, to you soon. In all seriousness, and, in all seriousness, we'll, we'll talk to you later when you play the role of Jackie the Joke Man Martling. Most definitely. My, <laughs> I mean, uh, cut that. <laughs> Cut that! Cut that! Cut that! What, what did you say? I didn't hear what you said. Cut that! What, what did you say? 
<laughs> what did you say? Uh, oh, I, oh, I, I, oh, I get it. I get it. I get it. Okay. Thank you, Irritable. I deny responsibility. Okay, Irritable. Thank you. All right. Take care of yourself. Thank people. you. Bye-bye. Bert Ross joins us. Are you there, Bert? That was a long second. That was a long second. Bert Ross joins us. He For is... me to be silent. Yeah. I know. I know. Forget, I'm sorry, forget, Bert. I, 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 we're forgetting. I'm not interested. First of all, when you say an American hero, yes, I don't know why you have to qualify it. But, but you could just say a hero so that I could be like a hero in Brazil. But it doesn't matter. All right. Forget he... all of that. I, 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 I waited now for five minutes to hear the irritable immunologist. Yes. And now it's my turn. I want to be introduced as the humorist for the Malibu Times. Okay. I Can as you the, talk the for 30? You have to talk for 30 seconds. Okay. I, I think I, I'm capable of doing I that. Talk for 30 I seconds. The president, I'm, I am. I don't have it. I'm, I'm by myself. I have to turn something off. So hang on for one second. All right. Should so I talk? You, you talk. talk. You talk about anything you want. You Why don't you introduce yourself while I go turn it off? Okay. That would be very nice. Okay. I'd be happy to do that. Okay. Uh, Talk. Keep talking. Well, I, I am the humorist for the Malibu Times. I write a weekly blog slash column in print. It's a column, and you can get it online by going to the Malibu Times. And under opinion, there is a link for blogs, and you'll see hundreds of my uh, blog or columns. Yes, and I don't get paid for that, so I don't care if you listen to it or not. Anyway, uh, I, I think that if Donald Trump can give himself a title, wartime president, then I can give myself a title, humorist for the Malibu Times. Okay. Let me, let me, I don't know what you, here, here, let me be honest with the audience right now. I am making cabbage soup. That is what I'm doing, and I thought I had to turn it down. But I don't. I'm making cabbage soup. Cabbage is good for you. It's high in vitamin C. And soup is always good for you. Psychologically, I don't know if it's good for you in terms of fighting off any virus. Let me introduce Bert Ross. Let me give you a proper cabbage. Cabbage soup. Cabbage soup would not be good for my spirits at any time. Go ahead. Okay. Bert Ross, when I was growing up, my father ordered me first to... Excuse me. When you're Jewish, David, when you say your father, you're always supposed to say, may he rest in peace. Okay. Just trying to fill you in on, uh, on the traditions. The man molested me, Bert. <laughs> Do you still think he should rest in peace? Uh, well, by the way, that explains everything. Okay. My father, who uh, who has passed away but certainly lives on, uh, he's with me all the time. And uh, anyway, he told me, uh, Ralph Nader was on the news and I was eating ice cream. And I said, who's this guy? And my father blew up. He goes, who's this guy? That's your hero. And I'm eating ice cream. I'm like, I don't know, eight he said, well, if he's so great, how come I never heard of him? And he goes, that's your hero right there. Ralph Nader is your hero. And he bought me unsafe at any speed. Imagine an eight-year-old kid trying to read unsafe at any speed. And then a couple of years later, the mayor of Fort Lee named 
Bert Ross had to go into hiding because he turned in. Because the, I didn't pay my bills. Because no, the mafia. I, I was trying to escape the creditors. Yeah, sure. The mafia offered him a bribe, and he wore a wire and took. I could have used that money now. I know. I told you. I, what a schmuck. Well, I'm reintroducing you. We have new listeners, Bert. So a lot of people. Oh, for the past wait, 10 years. Wait, whoa, whoa. That's not a good sign. <laughs> That's, you, have good, you have that much turnover? <laughs> I mean, if they were listening a year ago, they said, I've had enough of this crap. <laughs> Bert Ross took on the mafia. He was the mayor of Fort Lee. Fort Lee is right over the George Washington Bridge, and there are no sales tax or very little sales tax in New Jersey. And the mafia said, hey, we have an idea. Why don't we build this mall where people from New York can come over the George Washington Bridge, pay pay no taxes? And they sat down and said to Bert, here's 500 grand, make it happen. And you said, hang on, let me call the FBI. And he took the money and then turned it over to the FBI, and then the, the mafia tried to kill him. You are one of the bravest men I've ever met. And growing up, my father would be reading about you in the New York Times and in the Bergen Record, and he'd say, this is a man. Bert Ross, this is a man. So uh, a lot of my listeners have since, uh, since they made... turned off turned off the podcast. Wait, why didn't he say... This is your hero. He, he, he didn't say. He said that about Nader. He didn't say that about. No, Nader. he said this is your hero. This is oh, your hero. And then oh, another hero. Yeah. And, and, David, and I need to interrupt, David. I have to interrupt. Nobody. If I, I, these are tough times. Nobody cares if your guest turned down a bribe by the mafia a hundred years ago. If you say he's a humorist, somebody says, you know, we're in tough times. I could use a little humor. So it's like when I, at night, I am a, I'm in solitary confinement plus one, meaning I'm with my wife. And that, I love her. She's beautiful, but I'm almost 77. And oh, I wish I were 20 again so I could take full advantage of the situation. I'm locked in there. That's a joke, uh, but yes. uh, I obviously didn't deliver it right. No, no, so I, 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 I hope I, it goes better in my column. Okay. And so that people, when I turn on Netflix at night, I go to the comedians. I don't want, I don't want to hear about the plague in 1918. I'm not interested in the mafia and what they did and didn't do years ago. I, I'm turning on and saying, am I going to be able to smile today? Because my stock went down another two and a half or three percent. I'm getting clobbered. I lost my job. My wife's leaving me. My dog won't talk to me. You know? Okay. All right. Fair so, enough. Yeah. So let, let's let's talk about what you've experienced in life and the advice that you could give people. Okay. Uh. Well. You 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 I you, lost, you. I lost a lot of my. I, okay. I. I Trying to answer your question. First of all, I have had a streak of not such good luck. First of all, I lost. That... Why don't we start how with can, what? Let's, how let's, can somebody, wait a minute. How can somebody? How can somebody laugh 
at another's misfortune. I I am known for two things: for turning down a half million dollar bribe, and for losing five million dollars with Bernie Madoff. And I would like a third bite at the apple because <laughs> that's not so. Now, oh, after that, yeah, my house burns down in Malibu. <laughs> Slobbing, burnt to the ground, ashes, ashes to ashes, and now, and now a pandemic. <laughs> and, and you know what I'm thinking? I'm thinking this is almost Passover, and yeah. I feel like God doesn't deal in two or three plagues. He he likes the Dewey Decimal System. He goes for ten. <laughs> so I have like seven more plagues. <laughs> If, if I break, if I break out in boils, I'm throwing you in the towel. <laughs> well, but you know, you gotta laugh. These are bad times. I, I, okay, you are yeah. a brilliant man. You're a lawyer. Is that correct? Is that a question? Are you Which a lawyer? Part of that is are Are you asking me if I'm brilliant, or or am I a lawyer? Are Which you a lawyer? Rich? Are you a lawyer? I passed the bar and never practiced law. Where did so, you go to law school? Uh, NYU. Did I you? was in Giuliani's class, or he was in my class. He, he, never met him. He doesn't have any class. I didn't know that. No, he certainly he he certainly does not. Uh, but actually, the only good thing about the impeachment and the uh, pandemic because you have to look at the bright side, is that we, we haven't seen Giuliani for a couple of months. Yes. And that's, that's, that's good. That's a know? good thing. Yes, I think it's a very good thing. And did you interview for NYU Law School? Did you do recommendations for people? No. Oh, you can't talk about that. And, and, and I didn't. And what you're thinking of is Jared and Harvard, but that's all right. Oh, oh, was it you got Jared into Harvard? Is that correct? No, that's not correct. I interviewed him. I didn't get him into Harvard. So, by the I, way, I should mention... You know, the irony, the irony of people, most people probably don't know this. Um, Jared Kushner's father, Charles, in Good the man. 1990s... Good man. Good man. ...was the major donor for Democrats when Bill Clinton ran... Uh, for president in and he he came to New Jersey he stayed at the, the Kushner home and it was only later in life that he became a Republican and his son married Ivanka didn't Bibi Netanyahu stay at that house too yes I think that's absolutely true yes. okay so uh, maybe I'm confusing maybe I'm confusing my stories that's okay so Netanyahu stayed there but Clinton would go there yeah and take take Charles Kushner's money. The Kushner money was major league. So in order to get into Harvard, young Jared Kushner had a meet with Bert Ross, and Bert did the interview. Now, the question is, did you go to Harvard? Did we lose you? We lost him. Just when I wrote a good question. Hang on for one second. Let's get Bert back. We're talking to Bert Ross. I, we lost you. I have no idea how that happened. Uh, 
But I'm not going to tell you anything as I've told you in the past about that interview because it's uh, it's like a priest. <laughs> it, it, uh, those interviews are private. I can just tell you. Wait, you, you took your clothes off with them? <laughs> that that's funny. See, Kat, that when that, you are in the midst it's easy. of a pandemic, I know it is. But that's what people need. Yeah, but you see, you went to that's Harvard. What we need. You went to Harvard, so you're not as bright as you think you were, and you think you understand comedy. This is the problem. You've lived many <laughs> lives. Obviously not. Based, not obviously not the way I told that joke about being alone alone with my wife. Yeah, like, I mean, this really, is this is the problem. Yeah. You're part of the you're problem. You're a pro. You're a pro. I can't. I don't think I'm brilliant because actually we. We were about to go to our Harvard 55th reunion, and uh, I was going to give a TED Talk uh, for about 10 minutes, and the subject was uh, the dumbest person who ever went to Harvard. <laughs> and I, well, I had, I had entertained the troops at the 50th reunion, and I started off by saying that uh, before I went to Harvard, I had never met anybody who went to Harvard who wasn't bright as an art. And I was going to open the, my talk at the 55th reunion by saying that I had only told you uh, half a truth, but not the whole truth. And the whole truth is that since I graduated Harvard, I haven't met anybody who wasn't brighter than I am. And I have a, I, I prove it. I prove it beyond a shadow of a doubt. But it's been canceled, postponed, I guess. Good. They should postpone Harvard. They should postpone and break up Harvard. Break, break it up. Break it up. Break it up, and and what would the purpose of that be? Disperse it into 100 community colleges throughout America. Break up all of Harvard and just spread it out across this great land of ours because it's too much concentrated wealth and power in Cambridge, Massachusetts. And they well, are I just... Think the wealth, I think the wealth um, is probably not as true today as it was. There's no question that the endowment is enormous, but the, the student body, even when I went there, was a tremendous number of students on partial or full scholarship. And today, I think that figure is probably well over 50%. So what the endowment does is it allows people um, from minority groups, uh uh, people have come to this country recently uh, to go there. Yeah, here, here, they, that, you know. that's partly true. Two things have... What pulled, part is not true? The fact that Harvard doesn't gravitate towards wealthy students. They, uh, the Varsity Blues scandal, as well as the lawsuit, uh, there was a conservative who sued Harvard's admissions for an Asian... App applicant, and they kind of pulled back who gets into Harvard. And we've discovered that, yes, they they do take people, a lot of scholarship students, a lot of, uh, a lot of uh, children from, uh, let's say, upper-middle-class families, no longer the, the WASPy aristocracy getting into Harvard. But if you're a graduate of Harvard, your children get special... There's special places for the children of well, Harvard. My graduate. daughter, my daughter, my daughter. Uh, if you're a professor, you get your kids in. 
they, they that, those kind of things. So, well, but that's not, but that has nothing, that has nothing to do with wealth per se. My name isn't um, per se; it's David. Stop calling me okay. per se. Per se, per se. Um, Go ahead. That reminds me, the president, the president of Harvard, when I went there, was not per se, but Pusey. And I, when Kennedy got assassinated, uh, somebody raced up to me and said, they killed the president, they killed the president. And I said, why would anybody try to kill Pusey? And the guy looked at me and said, not Pusey, Kennedy. <laughs> it, that, that's how, that's how solipsistic Harvard people are. They think when you say president, you're thinking Larry Summers or whomever. How's the Harvard endowment doing, by the way? All the geniuses. Overall. Oh, I would imagine. I would imagine that uh, that every endowment, but generally speaking, generally speaking, not, has the Harvard endowment. Uh, I don't even know what the when you say generally. If you're talking about recently, I'm sure sure it got cremated. Yeah, but I'm talking about like a year ago. Does the does the Harvard? I'm the, sure a year. I, I assume. I I really have nothing to do with the endowment. But I want to get back. To, no, 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 uh, no, 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 no. Hang on for one second. Hang on. Hang on. No, you hang say on. things. You say things, and you need to be challenged. The fact that a professor's kid, and by the way, if you if you're a professor at Harvard, the odds are that you are a genius. Because I mean, Harvard those, says you those, are. Because Harvard says no. you are. No. I know some of them. They are beyond experts in their field. Some of the some of the Nobel Prize winners and some of the the top top experts in their field are professors at Harvard. And it wouldn't be surprising if they had children who were more than capable of doing the work there. Uh, and most organizations give some preference to uh, children from from other ranks. I don't. I don't. Find what about that, Jeffrey uh, Epstein's kids? He he seemed to have, have no, agency yeah. at Harvard. He had offices at Harvard. Was he able to get his kids into Harvard? He didn't I graduate from Harvard. He didn't even graduate from college. But he, I'm sure, Alan uh, Dershowitz must have written a, a letter of recommendation for one of Jeffrey Epstein's children. And by children, I mean sex slaves. I, uh, yes. I. Uh, Alan Dershowitz, I, brilliant. Uh, Alan Dershowitz, brilliant man, right? Uh, somebody can be brilliant and be obnoxious and arrogant and um, and unlikable. Uh, I don't think somebody would question that he has a good mind. I said I don't like the way he's used it. Okay. So that's a that that's a different animal. The question is, can he teach uh, a law class? Um, probably yes. Would the world be I'm, better I'm a, off? I'm not a fan. Would the world be would the world be better off without Harvard? And the answer is yes. I, I don't I don't agree with that at all. It, uh, name one I, good well, thing think, that has I come out of Harvard. Name one uh, good well, thing that came out of and don't say the Simpsons. Okay, don't say the Simpsons because the Simpsons was created that? by Matt Groening and and James Brooks and Harvard had nothing to do with it. Pe Harvard just creates people who follow the rules. David, you don't listen. You ask the question. And then you answer your own question. It's it's uh, it's an amazing capacity. Bill Gates. Bill Gates stole MS DOS. He bought MS DOS. Mark Zuckerberg stole Facebook. Granted, from another <laughs> Harvard student, the twins. But still, Bill Gates, by the way, is my is my hero. Bill Gates. If you listen on YouTube to his TED talk in two thousand and fifteen. 
and it's extraordinary. Let me see. Yeah, I have it here. This is unbelievable. The this man is, is a predatory is capitalist. The Justice Department 20 years ago was trying to break up Microsoft. He he's like, he was like John D. Rockefeller with better lawyers. You need to open your mind and learn. I'm going to quote two paragraphs from his opening statement in a TED Talk in 2015. When I was a kid, the disaster we worried about most was a nuclear war. That's why we had a barrel like this down in our basement filled with cans of food and water. When the nuclear attack came, we were supposed to go downstairs, hunker down, and eat out of that barrel. Today, this is 2015. The greatest risk of global catastrophe doesn't look like this. Instead, it looks like this. If anything kills over 10 million people in the next few decades, it's most likely to be a highly infectious virus rather than a war. Not missiles, but microbes. Now, part of the reason for this is that we've invested a huge amount in nuclear deterrent, but we've actually invested very little in a system to stop an epidemic. We're not ready for the next epidemic. Okay. I had no. Let me let me go on. When I was seven years old, I had polio. Is I it, spent five years. Well, this is you talking, I'm not Bill Gates. I'm, yeah, I'm sorry. I, I'm done quoting Bill Gates. Okay. I wanted, but this is about Bill Gates. In 1950, when I was seven years old, I had polio and spent the worst part of my life five months in the Sister Kenny Institute in Jersey City. Uh, Bill Gates and his wife, Melinda, have done far more than anybody else or any group to eradicate polio in our lifetime. If they did nothing else, they should be glorified for that. So if he stole something when he was a kid, I don't give a rat's ass. That man is a genius, and he is fabulous. As far as I'm concerned, I'd vote for him for president in New York. Okay. Okay. But and this is not the humor. This is not no, the no, humor. No, no, let, let me push back there. The, the great Burt Ross. Okay. You're my hero, my childhood hero. Mm-hmm. Here, here is, I have two childhood heroes that, that were left to me by I'll my father. Burt Ross. Yeah. My yeah. father left to me two heroes. Okay? Mm-hmm. Ralph Nader Correct. and Burt Ross. Okay? Mm-hmm. Here is something I've never said to Ralph Nader. Bullshit. Bullshit. There. Oh, okay, so you're talking about Bill Gates did not do a great deal to eradicate polio. That's bullshit. Here's, here is the mistake you're making. Can you answer a question without making a speech? Uh, Has he and his wife done more to eradicate polio in the world, including in places of extraordinary poverty? Has anybody done more than he and his wife? Okay. Here, that's the question. Yes or no? Don't make it complicated. I would suggest, I would oh. suggest that he has created, and I'm being serious here. Polio. He's created polio. I would say he has hindered our ability to fight the spread of COVID-19 because of the following. So can I say this now without... I'm- but you never answered. You never answered the question that I asked. You said that's one of your tactics. You asked the question, and rather than answering it, 
you say bullshit, and then he asks the question. You're claiming, question you're claiming that Bill Gates has wiped out polio. There are, I think, in the world, something like 20 cases left. Well, actually, a, a, it, few, a handful in a handful. Listen, you may learn something. A handful in Pakistan and a handful in Nigeria, right. and they are trying to wipe it out there. Okay, and it's also making a comeback, polio. That That's news to me. Yeah, and there are also cases, but of, not because of Bill Gates. But not because of Bill Gates. Well, yes, it is because comeback. of Bill Gates. It okay, is because okay. of Bill Gates. And and there are now cases of polio in the United States. There are even cases of bubonic plague in the United States. Okay, and here is why Bill Gates, Bert Ross, is bubonic plague. Yeah, that was yeah. a margarine. That's blue bonnet. That's what I said. No, I said bubonic. Do you know why it's called bubonic? Do you know why it's called bubonic? Do you know the origin of the word bubonic? Would you like to learn something, Mr. Harvard? Now you're calling it, now you're calling it bubonic. That's right. That's right. Would you like it, an etymology lesson? It affected, it affected the breast. No, no, no. Nope. The original bubonic plague created mm-hmm. growths on people's bodies. And in Old English, if you look up the word bubonic, it can be traced to boob, which was a protrusion on the body. So the bubonic plague is characterized by what were called boobs. You know what's great? Hang on for one when, second. When I'm thinking, when I... I'm thinking, which I never do, about old English. I think of David Feldman. Yes. And, yes. and so a protrusion on the body mm. in mm. old English is a boob. And mm. so from that, we also get boobs, as in what you so are, you a Mickey boob. boob. You're you a boob. Mickey the boob. When you say Mickey the boob, you're talking about Nikki's protrusion. What I'm saying, like what I'm saying to you, with all due respect, Bert Ross, who is my hero, I have no choice. Who is or was? Who I'm, I'm or was? stuck with you. You're my hero. I have no yeah, choice. Okay. I'm going to get a call uh, from my mother who listens to this show, and she's going to say, "How dare you talk to Bert Ross this way? If your father Mrs. were alive, Mrs. Mrs. Feldman." I'm with you. It's a shanda. It's an absolute shanda. And, and it is, uh, in this day approaching Pesach, what he is doing to somebody whom your husband respected. The son. Idolized. A shanda. Idolized. My father idolized you. So, mm. okay. So. The, the problem with Bill Gates is the following. Yes. Microsoft does not pay its fair share of taxes. Microsoft has to repatriate repatriate money that it owes the United States government. Bill Gates does not believe in a strong federal government. Okay, Bill Gates, instead of paying taxes, set up the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation, and he unilaterally decided that he was going to spend his fortune the way he saw fit 
with no transparency, and he decided he was going to save the world. So instead of paying his taxes and allowing the CDC and the World Health Organization, which he works with, I know, and the FDA, instead of being a good American citizen and paying his fair share of taxes, he decided he was smarter than democracy. He doesn't believe in democracy. He doesn't believe Washington can spend that money better than he can. He doesn't believe in government. He believes in in heroes like Bill ba- Bill Gates saying, I know what's best. Well, guess what? He warned of a global pandemic. Good for him. And boy, he's the first one to see that. There haven't been any movies Michael Crichton never wrote a book called The Andromeda Strain. They've never, ever warned us about a global pandemic because there's never been a global pandemic before for us to, to know about. He's the, the wise sage. So, He's so Cassandra think, so, who warned us about a pandemic. Well, who's equipped to fight the pandemic? Is it the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation or the United States government? It's the United States government. That has to take on this pandemic. And he denuded it of its strength by by pushing this false theology of of free markets, laissez-faire capitalism. So, no, he's responsible for this. the old English, the Greek mythology of Cassandra to denuded, I am so impressed. But there's only one problem with your argument. I would rather have Bill Gates spend the money than Donald Trump and Mitch McConnell. So, so much for the democracy, and that's what we got. No, it didn't. I'm voting for Bernie. How about Bernie Sanders? Bernie Sanders is too young for the job. No. Too young for the job. Okay. Um, well, and let's talk about your polio because you were you had you contracted polio. Sabin and Salk came up with a mm-hmm. the cure for polio, and you're going to criticize them now? Well, they hated each other, by the way. That's not the point. Did you know that? Okay, here's the point I'm making. FDR they didn't pay enough taxes. They didn't pay enough taxes. They donated, by the way, they donated the royalties from the vaccine. They they never they don't they didn't get a penny from it. Well they are my heroes. Yeah. FDR is the one, March of Dimes, the federal government yeah. working and yeah. funding the federal government working and funding a cure for polio. The federal government gave us the cure for polio. It wasn't the free market. It wasn't the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation. It wasn't John D. Rockefeller. It wasn't the Ford Foundation that cured polio. It so was, basically what you're saying is that, is that most of the charitable foundations really uh, should give their money to the federal government so they can buy bombs and, and, and bomb Yemen. Good, good thought. Okay. Better government. We need better government. Yeah, really. Well, in the meantime, since that doesn't seem to be happening. That's because of Harvard. 
That's because of people who graduate no, no, from it's, Harvard it's because, and push. It's because it's, oh, that's ridiculous. With John Adams went to Harvard. The guy you just idolized, FDR, went to Harvard. Well, first of all, John Adams gave us the Harvard. Alien and Sedition Act. He was a fascist, John Adams. You know, you can take almost everybody except for yourself and find in, in esteemed careers that they did something that they shouldn't have done, including FDR with the, with the camps. In, I just visited right near Death Valley. There is a museum where there was a Japanese internment camp. Just one of the, the, the worst things done under his administration. And yet, he was a great president and did many, many things that he should be praised for. Life is complicated. There are two sides to a coin. But our system, our democracy, is suffering because we have an electoral system where California, with 40 million people, has two senators, and North Dakota and South Dakota have four. We have a Senate today which is filling the appellate ventures with conservatives who do not represent the majority of this country, and yet the Senate, which represents 40 million people fewer than the, than the liberal senators, controls the Senate, again, because of the, elect, because of the system that was created. And, we, and it is almost impossible to amend that system. That's our problem. Not, not the, that uh, very uh, generous, wealthy people uh, are giving their money the way they want. We should have a tax. Look, if you want to talk about how somebody achieves that massive wealth, I, I agree with Bill Gates. I, I agree with Warren Buffett. It's ridiculous for him to be paying 17% tax on his secretary 25. Completely agree with that. You were the mayor of Fort Lee, is that correct? Why do you ask questions that you know the answers to? I want to make sure you know the answer. You ask questions that you know the answer to. That's what I learned in law school. Didn't you? Did you go to law school? The first rule in law school is never ask a question you don't know the answer to. That is, I that did is, not go to law uh, school. I am not a lawyer, but my last name is Feldman, and I pay many prices for having the. La- I'm being serious. I pay many prices for having a last name Feldman. One of them is people assume if I take a certain tone that I'm a lawyer, and mm-hmm. that sometimes helps me and sometimes hurts me. Sometimes people may not want to rent to me for fear that I'm litigious, but I can intimidate. Idiots, when they hear the name Feldman, they automatically assume that I could be a high-powered attorney. It's a mixed bag, having a last name Feldman. To whom much power is given, much is expected. That's what Mm. my father said when he bequeathed me the name Feldman. He said, much power comes with this. And and you have sure fritted that away. (laughs) You're still my hero. You're still my hero. Well... You're still I, my I, hero. Do you believe in democracy? Do you, as the former mayor of Fort Lee, New Jersey, do you believe that the only thing that can save this great country is democracy? 
Ah, that you have to think I, about that, that you, I, an officer I, of the court, are you or are you not a lawyer? That an officer of the court should pause and consider whether or not democracy should be the, the foremost concern of American citizens, that you have to think about that. Well, the problem, the problem is how you define democracy. We, if we got the money out of politics, then a democracy could work the way it was intended. But we don't have that. Because people from Harvard have created an elite upper strata of technocrats who have pushed citizens away from their Where did democracy. you go to college? I went to the school of hard knocks. Princeton. So you, no, you, did you go to Princeton? <laughs> that would be... That would be very funny. <laughs> the school of hard. Did you go to college at all? I, I went to college. Of course, I did. Where? I don't think it matters where I went to college. What does that mean? So you Excuse can me. pigeonhole me. So you, you can, huh? You, which is what you've just done for half an hour. That yeah. you would pigeonhole you me. Where you went? Are you ashamed of where you? Yes, went to I college? am. Yes, I am. I'd rather not and talk is about. That... It. <laughs> I didn't change did my last name, Bert Ross. Did you graduate? Yes, I did. I changed my last name. You, I know you didn't, but I, I, I've revealed enough about me by having the last name Feldman. I don't have to talk about where I went to college. It's irrelevant. It's immaterial. Were you arrested? Were you were you uh, were you left back a year or two? Oh yeah, yeah. <laughs> I wasn't a good student. It's immaterial where I went to school. And you could have been. You're a bright guy. But you don't listen much. You come with very well-formed opinions about things sometimes you don't know that much about. And so that restricts what you can learn. Uh, you know, there's a, there's a move with Harvard people where they, they kind of, they, they kind of commandeer the conversation, steer it towards what <laughs> they think is their expertise. And they, they take on this tone like, I'm going to teach you something that you don't know. And then they just, it always reverts back to something that they learned at Harvard. And I'm supposed to go, oh, you're smart. Here's all my money. Here's my vote. Here's my security. Here's my democracy. Because you're smarter than I am. What people from Harvard learn to do is intimidate ordinary Americans you are you you well that's people's problem uh just as if somebody thinks because you're Feldman you could be a a lawyer that somebody who went to Harvard is necessarily brilliant you it is an extraordinarily diverse population so you have everybody from uh Tommy Lee Jones to Yo-Yo Ma to Jack Lemon uh to uh what's that guy uh, tall guy uh comedian Red hair. Conan? Um, yes, Conan O'Brien, and on and on. Um, there are a lot of people who went to Harvard who are, look, the, the Unabomber went to Harvard. There Theodore are Kaczynski. Who, Theodore Kaczynski yeah. went to Harvard, yeah. There are people who uh, commit crimes who went to Harvard. There are people who uh, 
go into the clergy. There are people who work with the poor. I, uh, Harvard had a program called Phillips Brooks House. And for two years, I taught, I volunteered, uh, in, in two different, uh, uh, prisons, uh, in, in Massachusetts. And it was a wonderful service. Uh, they, they have volunteers doing all kinds of work. Yeah, but you I were teaching you birth would, control in prisons, Bert. What, I mean, Bert, yeah. if you knew more about Harvard, I think you would come off your soapbox a bit. I really do. I'm not saying that there is a, there is a, uh, a kernel of truth in what you're saying, but you, you magnify it so out of proportion. They were, they were one of the few academic institutions that stood up to Joe McCarthy. Uh, I, they were, they they have been very, very major league in, uh, diversity of opinion. I just uh, saw a documentary about, I just saw the documentary about McCarthy on PBS and there was actually a Harvard professor who lost his job because of Joe McCarthy. Let, Let me recommend encyclical deuterium by uh, Pope Leo, and he issued it in June of 1881, Leo XII. And I, and I recommend that you read Pope Leo's encyclical about the concentration of power and how he talks about what St. Augustine taught mm. the Catholic Church, and that any time power is concentrated or money is concentrated in the hands of the few, you must break it up. And, and so I, I, I recommend well, you read... Well, actually, I read that, and, and what Pope Leo said is, is down with Harvard. That was how he led. Well, you, he, you, he you led know... Okay, uh, you, you said... Down... You, I read... I don't think the Harvard, the Harvard that I went to, and, the, and even truer today, uh, the Harvard of today... Uh, is not simply a gathering of the wealthy. You, I know waiters who have kids who are going to Harvard. You, you don't know how many kids are there with scholarship. They, and that's not just through Harvard, but Harvard does it big time. And I think you're just generalizing. I think there's no question that if you go back to when John Kennedy went to Harvard, yes. It was a gentleman's club. It was exclusive. Hello? Lost. Yeah. You're you're breaking up. And I want to break up power. And we're breaking up this call. (laughs) Uh, Let let me, let let me pull, let me do a Harvard move. Okay. Mm -hmm. Let me bring up something that I read and you didn't. Therefore, you should give me all your money and, uh, power of attorney because I know something you don't and you know that's what Harvard people do I read something you didn't read so I'm putting you in your place you're less than I am because I know something that you don't and it has the Harvard imprimatur on it so but uh, although you went to Harvard but let me recommend Pope Leo the 13th's encyclical on the origin of civil power I read it in the original Yiddish and I read it, so therefore I know something. Read Pope Leo's encyclical on the origin of is he related? Is he related to Leo de Rocha? <laughs> 
He used to walk into the Vatican and say, can't anybody play this game? Uh, exactly. All right. Anytime now, there's a concentration able, you, of power, it should be broken up, Bert Ross. I agree. I agree unless I have the I have the power. If I have the power, I'm totally against that. But here's a more important question. Are you able to turn this off for a minute? No. I, hang on for one second. Anytime well, there's then, a concentration there's of power, a- the, the Justice Department, the antitrust division of the Justice Department should break up big Harvard the way they should have broken up Microsoft. I want to take a pause because I'm going to the men's room. So no, we, we got to wrap you- it up anyway. We come back next oh, week okay. to continue this. I don't know. I, let me know then. Bert you know, Ross, how do people how do people read your column for the Malibu Times? They go to the the website Malibu Times. They go under opinion. There is a category called blogs, and they push it, and there'll be hundreds of my columns. Okay, stay on the line, Bert Ross. You're listening to the David Feldman Radio Program, you sad, pathetic hump. Well, we're going to introduce a brand new segment to this show because everybody is suffering from cabin fever. Some of you are living completely alone and you're feeling isolated. You're the lucky ones. But even though you're immune from a wife, a lover, children, or parents... You, at times, need the company of another human being. Well, I don't have other human beings to give to you. I have Liam McEnany and Fred Stoller. Hello, Fred. Hello, Liam McEnany. Hey, man. Hi, David and and Liam. Hi. Fred Stoller is an old friend of the show. He goes back, I think, 11 years we've been doing this. I think you were in like... Oh, my God. I know. Well, how long ago was it that time before Lyft and Uber where you took me to some studio and I felt like I was kidnapped because I was was anxiety because comedians were like playing guitars and juggling and they were loud and annoying. Remember that place? Yeah, we... When I was living in L.A., we taped out of the KPFK studios and we did this kind of variety show and... You, I picked you up. I waited hours in, in a room with aggressive comedians, like in a, the worst green room. And, <laughs> Who were the and comedians? Then you finally, what? Who were the comedians? I'd rather not say, but loud people, people doing shtick, um, you know. Um, and then, and then you finally, all right, I can name one person. You finally brought me in, and I read a sketch. Cold read a sketch by Dylan Brody, and he was getting annoyed that I was mispronouncing words about fine wine. <laughs> mm-hmm. And then he goes, "Okay, you're doing good now." I go, "Well, who cares? I, I'm not a sketch artist that does stuff about wine." <clears throat> Sorry. All right. Now, David. Post-cut. David, why would why would you mistreat uh, an actor like uh, what's your name? Fred. 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 Why would you Why would you mistreat an actor of Fred's caliber? Well. 
this is not why I brought the two of you together. There is okay. a there's an uh, international pandemic. People are isolated. They're alone. You know, I I interviewed Fred once for my podcast. I've interviewed Fred twice for my podcast, both times at the Grove. And both both times I've walked up on him uh, doing a picture with someone who was really excited to meet him. Yeah. A selfie. Well, yes. They're not really selfies well, if you're taking it with somebody else. No, well, but you know what? You, uh, well, well, I was going to do a joke, but now reminiscing about the time all these always-on comedians were gathered around a lunch table makes me feel pretty good about being isolated. <laughs> Okay, <laughs> Fred. Fred, this is God not the, Fred. I'm trying to perform a public service to the American people, to our international listeners, who are isolated and alone. And I know that you're isolated. Liam's isolated. I'm isolated. And I thought this could be. I try. You know what it reminded me of? I tried going back to stand up a few times. Then I would drive an hour and a half. In rush hour traffic to get to either the Ice House or Hermosa, <laughs> and all these comedians around the table. And one guy, maybe I'll name his name, he tells stories about always taking his shirt off in a parking lot and getting into fist fights. And I'll take Who's you all person? on. Uh, Eddie Eft, he's like aggressive, and, and he <laughs> all stories of boasting about beating people up, punching them in the head. And then there's Horny Adams, who I have to say, I. I was unfair too, and but oh, he's he gotten better. Stories. He's he's a better yes. human being than yes. he was. Yes, he, he he learned. Yes, he much so. But yeah, people like that that love. Uh, oh, and yeah. So the isolation sounds good when I think of the experience with David and Eddie F beating up people. Okay, why don't what, we just talk about our? Like, can we talk about our day? Let me ask Liam. Sure. Because we're all, you know, we're not. There's no human contact. So right. I could use some friendship. <laughs> but isn't your girlfriend staying with you? I could use some friendship. I could I use. Mean, are you? You're not making her like live, stay alone wherever she lives, are you? I could use some companionship. Wait, and now I'm getting more work? upset. You you have a girlfriend? What she like? I don't, I'm not talking about my. David part. has a girlfriend, and he won't talk about her on the podcast. What do you guys? I'm. Who would I, that be? Jesus. I'm isolated. Right now, and okay. I'll send you her Facebook profile later, Fred. Okay. So I'm curious. Yeah. yeah. Oh, sorry. William, can well, we... what, kind of, what kind of woman do you think would end up with David? And end up, they ended up. Yeah. yeah well, you don't go seeking or, David Feldman. I, can, I can't up. picture it ending up, but maybe someone who got confused. No, this is not what I wanted. Thought he was Eddie kind of, Feldman. <laughs> well, let me let me rephrase that. What kind of woman do you think would settle for David Feldman? Oh wow! <laughs> I, I am forcefully isolating women at times for their own safety. I see. I, I've called some coronavirus red alerts in the elevator and said, "You better get in here." <laughs> Can't we? no. I, this is not what I wanted. This is not. I, I, I you guys are, are piling up on me. I want to. I need companionship. I need friendship. So, okay. How was your day, Liam? What did you do today? Well, I woke up. Good. Uh, I got a Costco grocery delivery today. 
Okay, and they pay their employees very well. Costco's a Did good company. Yeah, they're a good company to support. Yes. Well, that's good. That's good to know because they're looking for delivery people, and if the economy <laughs> gets any worse, I may be working for them. Okay. Wouldn't it be the worst thing? Okay. Uh, and you woke up, Fred. What did you do this morning? What time did you wake up, Fred? This is good. I'm getting friend. This this is what I need because you know I get wrapped in my own head, and this is what I need. Just companionship. Fred, what time did you wake up? Well, you- I, I woke up too late. Someone told me that at my age, if I go to Whole Foods, people 60 and older are allowed in first. Hmm. So I was flattered that I'm part of that, but I, I got, <laughs> I think I woke up at 10 and um, I, uh, I, I, I uh, you have a cat, don't you? I do. She's sitting right by me. I uh, I go on Facebook. It was my birthday the other day, so I'm still looking for people to give me likes and and count them. And um, I, you know what I'm doing these days. Speaking of not liking to do stand up, but I really enjoy. And it, it, before the pandemic, I'm on Cameo. Do you know what Cameo sure. is? Sure. Yeah. Yeah. And I was enjoying it. You know, because but I lowered my price to only five dollars to get more requests, and I felt guilty. People were saying, "Give us a pep talk." We work in a hospital. We work eighty-eight hours, a, you know, a day. So I, five dollars gives me something to do. I feel like I'm Tokyo Rose. Eddie, uh, David would know that reference. Yeah, she was and, a, you know, a courageous. Uh, she, she, no, she was a female pioneer in Japan. A lot of people weren't hiring women to do radio back in the forties. Out to the, the hang on for one second. Simple. Hang on for one second, Fred. Fred, hang on for one yeah. second. I'm explaining to my audience who Tokyo Rose was. She was a, a champion of the feminist movement. Tokyo Rose. She, so maybe I'm not like her. She, she was one of the first female radio broadcasters in Japan. During World War Didn't, II, Tokyo and Rose. show reminds me a lot of her show, actually. Now that you come to think of it, what? But I she, thought I, I thought I. She reminds me a lot of her show. There's also anti-American propaganda. I'm I'm keeping the morale of the country up. I mean, did people do that? Like entertaining people? Yeah, but Tokyo Rose. Uh, t- my father served <laughs> in World War II. Tokyo Rose would come on the radio and tell the American GIs to give up. That was. She was oh, like, okay. Then I'm, I guess I'm. Hopefully, I'm not like that. No, you're I'm not. someone who uh, is <laughs> keeping morale up. <laughs> I'm, 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 I'm trying to. I feel like I'm. Wait, wait, Fred. Do you know the reference that you just made? <laughs> I thought Tokyo Rose. That's in a song. Oh, there's a Sammy Davis Jr. song. Um, I think it is got Rose. Well, oh, hang on, everybody. Hang on, no, Liam. 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 Laugh. Laugh. What and we don't friend. have. We, hang on. We ain't one. got James. We get uh, da, 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 and advice from Tokyo Rose. I thought Tokyo Rose was like Good Morning Vietnam. Like Good Morning, oh. everyone. I'm keeping you happy. Um, no, no, Tokyo. You're, that's a song from South Pacific, I believe, right? <laughs> right. There ain't nothing but a dame. There no, ain't nothing uh, but a dame. Yeah. Yeah, we get da 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 an advice from Tokyo Rose. <laughs> right. Um, so I thought that, I thought she was helping the Americans. Okay, I don't know what I'm talking about, but I'm. Well, I'm you like could a, say no, no. You're my guest, and I don't want to make you feel stupid. In a well, way, they give her shout-outs for free. That's the difference. 
in a way, she was helping the Americans if they were rooting against themselves. <laughs> well, I'm I'm trying to. I feel like I'm sitting here in like in a war zone and and reaching out, going, Fred Stoller, get off the phone, doing my expressions for only five dollars. Because no people go, can you give us pep talks? People in hospitals, people quarantined, people. I'm giving people pep talks, and usually I would charge twenty five dollars. Now I'm only charging five because then I I have something to do if it's that cheap. Mm -hmm. And I get more requests. So people should go to cameo.com forward slash Fred Stoller for $5. Do you know what Cameo is? Of course I know what Cameo is. Right. It's an app. All these these people in this time, I can't believe they're still charging 100 or I wonder what Nick DiPaolo, he's on it. Yeah, yeah, you know, probably curses people out for being minorities. (laughs) I mean, they pay $90 for that. But uh, why? But yeah, he yells at you, you know. Yeah. If you're, but but I'm five dollars, and I I feel I don't feel right taking money from people in these hard times. I mean, more Wait, than five dollars. I will give a plug for Fred. Uh, I bought my friend a cameo uh, from Fred for his uh, birthday, and he, he was did? ecstatic. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. And before it was five dollars. No, I'm sorry, not for his birthday. No, it was twenty-five. It was for Valentine's Day. That was it. Because oh. my buddy is uh, divorced, and so I bought him a Fred Stoller Valentine cameo, and he texted me all caps, "You are a hero." Hmm. So people are happy to get uh, Fred Stoller cameos. And will you read yeah. anything for five dollars? Well, there there were some that one guy <laughs> before Bernie Ho Baby up. Cat. Hang on for one second. Bernie Ho Baby Cat, if you're listening, you've got $5. Make Fred Stoller read something of yours, then send it to me, and we'll play it next week. Go ahead. Well, you're not supposed to do ads, but some, you know, I'll say, hey, check this out. You know, Um, there's one guy, he wanted me to do a Disney character I used to do, like, that would fix things, like fixing his wife's breast. I, I didn't do that. And but then there was one guy I, I didn't want to do. He was a fireman in uh, uh, North Carolina, and I wanted to say hi to the people in the fire department. And one of them was called the Coon Killer. Oh my god! And, and you're, talking said, about, you're, you're talking about raccoons. Well, but then they said, "Oh no, it's it's a character in a movie." I don't want movie. So so I kind of don't want to say no. I won't say means. No, I'll do mean. I, I race this stuff. I, 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 I but you, yeah, I'll, five dollars. I, I do anything. What, now, Liam, what if what are you willing to do for five dollars? Uh, I will. You know, if you if anyone wants to send me five dollars, I will hire Fred Stoller to say something mean to David. Oh, that's a funny idea. So, uh, so send me five bucks. I'll if you you know what if you uh, if you email me at Liam at heyitsliam.com. I'll give you my Venmo address, and then you can Venmo me five dollars, and I'll pay Fred to say something horrible to Feldman. Now, Fred, for five dollars, would you endorse Donald Trump? If I wanted to hear you say you think Donald Trump is a great man, would you do that? You mean where it would be out in the public? Yeah, for five bucks, would you do a cameo saying? Not really, but I'd like, maybe if I did it in the sense of humor, like how 
you know, what's that guy that Rena loves? Uh, um, Rena, uh, wait, wait, explain to people who Rena is. Rena is someone I'm, I can't talk. I don't. I'm not in on the podcast like you are. I shouldn't say her name, um, but they forgot by now. But she she has paranoia, and she listens to Jimmy Dore, and it's really making her and your 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 uh, Ralph Nader one. But it's I guess rational people can listen to Jimmy Dore. I don't know much about his podcast, but he makes people paranoid, or maybe her. Mm-hmm. Or, you know what I'm saying? What does Ralph Nader and Jimmy Dore say? So I can't speak to her during this because. She thinks, I don't know, there's a conspiracy. She wouldn't say it over the phone. Well, Ralph doesn't traffic. Ralph doesn't traffic in conspiracy. Conspiracy. Well, Jimmy Dore, does he? I don't. Jimmy doesn't talk to me. So Okay, really? He doesn't talk to me, so I don't listen to him. That's that's sad. And Liam, what do you... I want to pull uh, Frank Sinatra and bring you and Jimmy Dore together, like he brought Martin and Lewis together on the telephone. Oh, me. I thought me. Um... Then he it, was once mad at me, but uh, Jimmy's mad at everybody. <laughs> hey, uh, Fred, do you know? Uh, yes. Do you know who Donald Trump is? Well, After I was going to say sure. she likes she likes uh, what's that? Tom Sharpling, Sharpling, mm-hmm. and and he'll make tweets like Mr. Trump. You know, like uh, you have three strikes. You know, you're or you know, like. Uh, say things like you could say one thing about Donald Trump he is handsome you know so so I would I would do an endorsement if it would where they get that I'm not serious now are you writing any books you've written several books you know I have to be honest I I I did uh, an edible last night and I thought I had a great idea for a book but then um Oh, for edible.com. So it would be, you would just smoke the book for people. And if they no, wanted edible, to, they'd eat, have to smoke it eat. as well. Uh, I don't want to smoke during these times. I want my lungs to be good. So I did an edible, but it made me, uh, it was crazy to uh, be stoned during a pandemic. It's crazy. When did you but start I, smoking or eating dope? Uh, maybe when I was 56 ish. You know, I think uh, I, uh, you know, during the 80s, being a comedian, you know, I, I did it once or twice, had a sore throat and was paranoid. I thought weed was like Cheech and John. Hey, dude, hey, will you put the refrigerator on? I forgot. You know, that's what I thought weed was. Right. But then, you know, people like your hero, Joe Rogan, took the stigma out of it. And and then uh, there was a stigma to pot. <laughs> well, that you're just like a guy like like, you know, some comedian hey dudes let's let's watch robo chicken and uh you know just you're an idiot but but it i heard it opens your mind and it got you know all medicinal stuff so it started me uh you know we're not separate and it, it's all that artsy hippie 101 stuff you really feel it so i uh, so that only about five six years ago then i saw joe rogan at a comedy store and I, I i wanted to thank him well i tried and he's looking who is a schmuck you know um for taking the stigma away and he goes whatever dude and like you know so they had a night where there was porn stars at the comedy store and it was sponsored by uh this wait, wait, wait. Uh, are you saying there were porn place? stars at the comedy store and yes. joe rogan wasn't interested in talking to you 
Well, no, I think what happened how, was it was sponsored by a weed place, and and they had all these joints on this table in the green room, and there were all these stragglers hanging out there hoping to talk to a porn person or get free weed. So I guess Rogan thought I was just a straggler, which I was, because I was putting uh, joints in my pocket. So he was right. Hmm. Well, yeah, why wasn't I just a straggler? But so he I didn't know kinda... I was Fred Stoller. He thought I was... But maybe he did know, but he said, yeah, whatever, dude. I just, uh, I just, Fred, I just sent you a cameo request. Oh, right. Five. Well, I, 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 I it's a little less than five because cameo gets a little piece, but I, I'm still, they add up. But I'm doing this because people were asking for pep talks who work in hospitals and were quarantined. And this is my way of helping. And, and, I, and, asked and for, getting... I asked for a pep talk for David. Okay. I think the best way to make money right now is to sell prayers. Like if people send us money, yeah, we'll pray for them. But we do it privately. We're going to pray, pray in private for them. <laughs> I think you All could right. do like a public prayer for like, uh, you know what? For every person that sends in $10 to the show, we could pray for Donald Trump. But not like, specify pray. what we're praying for. No, I mean we get to pick what we're praying for. Right, right. But uh, but yeah, no, no. For every ten dollars, tell you what, you guys uh, email me at liam at liam dot com. I'll send you my Venmo, and then for every ten dollars, I'll split it with you, David. No, you get to keep you, you keep the money. No, no, we'll do it. We'll do a prayer on next week's show for Donald Trump. No, and you, I will split the money with you. No, no. Uh, first of all, I don't want the Secret Service knocking on my door. <laughs> Or what's his name? The guy that served you, uh, served you, uh, I don't want to even say his name. Remember he served you a, uh, what are those called? Those are, uh, a warning label. I forgot. Subpoenas? I, you, you were defending me and, uh, oh, right, right, yes, yes. right. That's all. What right? happened? Oh, yes, yes. It was like seven years ago. David was one of my big supporters when uh, I was being sued for a million dollars because of my book. And and then he and you would say things about him. Then he uh, you've got to cease and desist. Wait, wait, which book? We don't want to talk uh, about it. There was somebody uh, who was suing Fred for something he wrote in one of his books. And. I decided that if the guy was going to sue Fred, he might as well sue me because I couldn't believe <clears throat> that this lawsuit was going through. Well, no, it, it took. It, they did. It, we did it while a motion to dismiss, and they threw it out. But you, you racked so, up legal bills, and I thought, right, this, this was yeah. before I went through my divorce, and I didn't know what being sued <laughs> meant. Oh, now yes, now it's uh, yeah, now you understand. Yeah, yeah, I, yeah. yeah. Well, um, he still contacts me, by the way. Um, he wants to tell his know. side of the story. Sure. And sure. I said, you, you can tell your side of the story when we can do it through a seance. <laughs> Did you say that? Yeah. That's badass. Oh, I'm badass. I'm, <laughs> I'm badass. You're a regular Tokyo Rose. <laughs> Well, this didn't go thought, the way. I thought, I, I thought Tokyo Rose was keeping the morale of people up, so I was wrong. Unless she was doing it ironically. <laughs> All right. What advice do you want to give our listeners who are isolated and alone? Ah. That's right. 
Yeah, I have cats. You know, it's weird. What was now the name of your cat? I, I don't mean to be mean, but you had a cat <laughs> who who passed away, and you gave him a really funny name. Mitchell. 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 <laughs> yeah, Mitchell the cat. Mitchell. How old was Mitchell when he passed away? <laughs> he lived to be eighteen, luckily. Yeah. Um, yeah. Mitchell got uh, <laughs> Did he have a what? Apartments. You know, I'm the old guy in the building now, like like the weird guy and all these millennials. And one said, "Hey, if you need anything, like," and they're afraid, they stand a distance from me. Yeah, and, and, and they knock on the door, like you know, they, you know, like I'm like the Meals on Wheels guy. So I have some people that they're afraid of the old guy will die. So, right. but they and they don't want to kill me. So some Mitchell. neighbors, Mitchell. Yes. Okay. I have a problem with people who name their cats, who give like naming a cat Mitchell. I, I have a, now that enough time has passed, and I don't want to upset you because I know how much you love Mitchell. Right. But you know, you don't give human names to cats <clears throat> unless it's funny, like Lukey or something cute. But in why? Because you, because human names are for humans. You don't name a cat Mitchell. And I didn't want to say that because I knew you were upset when Mitchell left us. Is this like saying don't wear a mask unless you're like a, a worker in the field because they, they're not having enough in hospitals? I'm saying it's demeaning to both humans and cats to get... Would you name a, a human being Wait, fluffy? Wait, why is it demeaning to humans? Because... The name Mitchell is reserved for for humans, and then when you start giving it to cats, it dilutes the power. I, like I said, would you name your cat Spark? Would you name your child Sparky or Fluffy? Why? Why do? Why do you have this authority to decide who gets what names? Because what if I did name my kids. What? What if I name my kid Sparky? That belongs to a cat. What if I had it? Well, first of all, it could be a dog. You name a dog with no no legs and metal balls, Sparky. I, I learned that in the third grade. Yeah, but you got to drag them first. <laughs> well, I got <laughs> Take two new cats. One of them was named already when she gave it to me, Luna, and the other one is Chloe. Oh, wait, wait, wait. You can't change the name of the cat because it's been named already, and it would confuse no, the cat, right? It's Luna. You can but change the name of a cat. No, it's been named. It's, it's set in stone. A cat doesn't have a cat doesn't know it doesn't have a driver's license. You can change whatever name you want. Here's what I really hate in New York it's, City. I mean, you got it as a kitten, right, Fred? Yeah, but no, Luna is still Luna. But then I got her a friend, and Chloe is the other cat. Chloe's a human name. I know, I know, but she's so cute, like a little girl. This is sweet, what drives so. me crazy in New York City. Okay, what's that? I like dogs. I, I think New York City dogs are hysterical because they've never experienced nature. They, they <laughs> just don't know what nature is. And so I'll see a, a, a beautiful Dalmatian. And I'll go, oh, she's beautiful. And they go, it's a he. He's beautiful. <laughs> really? Like, really? But what does that have to do with nature? Like, you know what my favorite thing is? Actually, wait, I don't is understand. When, wait, wait, hold on, what? Fred. Let me just say wait. this. My favorite thing is when 
you're like at someone's house and their dog is there. You know how like people just do a voice for a dog. They're like, hello, my name is Terrence. Right. And then uh, and then the person's like, no, that's not how my dog talks. My talks. My dog talks like this. Hello, my name is Terrence. <laughs> and they get really mad. Like, and I'm serious. They get really mad. I never They're heard like, of this. <laughs> Wait, David, you're, you're talking two different things. Like, first, the premise is that um, – they're offended that you think the dog is a girl, but what right. does that have to do with never being in nature? Well, I'm just saying I, I'm interested in dogs in New York City because I, 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 I think they're funny because they, they're confused. And you go, oh, he's a beautiful, he's a beautiful poodle. It's she's a beautiful poodle. Yeah, you're you're misgendering them. Yeah, but what does that have to do with them never being in nature? I just was that was an aside. We have too many. Okay. We, we, we don't have enough people on microphone right now. <laughs> All right. So what time? OK, so what time are you going to bed tonight, Liam? Uh, you know, that's a good question. Um, I'm probably going to watch a Western before I go to sleep because uh, I've been watching these old John Ford, John oh, Wayne. Oh, on TCM? No, I don't have TCM, dude. I'm 29 years old. <laughs> I don't have cable. I don't. I, I don't have a TV. I watch everything on streaming, like us uh, Gen Z kids do. You don't watch Turner Classic movies. I don't have cable. I don't watch TV. Here's I watch thing, everything oh, on streaming. Boy, I was going to do a commercial, but if I could do it on Cameo, if, if Cameo paid me five dollars, I'd talk about Sling TV on Apple TV. They it's got free. all this. Uh, well, Sling TV. No, that's a subscription, but they no, it's have free right central, now. Sling is TV? It? Yeah, they're 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 It has everything free. on it. There's, oh, it has everything on it. Turner Classic, Comedy Central, CNN. So if someone could pay me five dollars for a cameo to say Sling TV, that would be good. Sling TV is free for all right for the coronavirus. Wow. Yeah. God, this coronavirus is the best. Okay, let, let we'll I wrap don't have it up to leave with my house. I can watch free TV. And everybody's not working, so you don't feel left out. <laughs> I can pretend. This was, this was, uh, I can pretend no, I had first, a lot of things lined up for pilot season. First of oh, all, two man, things. I had a script commitment and it went away. I was going to well, do all these auditions. I know a few people who really have it, so it's not that funny. But they have fevers, so let's hope they're okay. But um, I know a few people will have it too. He's all right. So it's, it's still funny, okay? But um, I. I I had I had this I had that feeling you're talking about during the uh, the riots when there was a curfew. I liked that because then I didn't have the pressure going out. But this is um, I know someone who different. got shot in the riots. It's not funny, Fred. Shot in the riots? Yeah, they weren't going out shooting people. I know you, you got you got shot in the riots. He was carrying a TV out of a store. Mm. Your good friend. Yeah. Uh huh. I I know somebody uh, who lost a cinder block to Reginald Denny's <laughs> head. It's a perfectly fine. Yell at him. You did write for Dennis Miller. What are you, Reginald Denny, <laughs> after going to the Gap and, and Old Navy? <laughs> That's some bad karma. A Reginald Denny <laughs> reference. That's bad karma. Yeah. That's. Uh... I remember is he okay? When, uh, Look him up. Is he okay? I, uh, <laughs> send send him some steak knives if he's... He probably can't do the alphabet. <laughs> send him some steak knives as an apology. I mean, uh, 
<laughs> you, uh, <laughs> you know, you know what would be a good, you know, you know what would be a good, I wish I could come up with reference. No one rationalized more about, no liberal rationalized more about writing for Dennis Miller than, uh, <laughs> David Feldman. Think of it. But if, but if, is there a liberal who's rationalized a lot? That would be the David Feldman reference. Cause I remember the late Warren Thomas used to get on you that you, you know, you wrote for him and you, hey, I have kids. No, you that's know, not true. That, that is, first of all, hang on for one second. Hang on for one second. <laughs> now, now you're, pu- you're pushing, you're pushing the wrong button here, pal. You wrote for him for eight years. I wrote for longer. him for 10 years. And all, it was only the last. What was your rationale? There wasn't a rationale because it wasn't until the last year that he turned to the right. That's and by then right. I, had, you know. You know, yeah. something I remember, I remember watching him before he became what he was. And he'd do these rants. I'm tired of these fat cats. And I go, you're a fat cat. You uh, live in, you know, Santa Barbara. But, you know, yeah, he was railing against, uh, the fat cats. Yeah, I mean, back in the 90s and the early aughts, as we say, uh, he was, you know, he hit his politics. And then when we went into Iraq, that's when I parted ways with him. That's when I couldn't uh, do it. All right. It's good because I don't want to have to come up with a reference. It was no liberal has rationalized more David Feldman since Frank Drucker. I don't know. <laughs> well, um, all right. This you know, was fun. I'm, I'm, I'm reaching when I'm using people who are not alive to insult you. Is Reginald Denny still alive? Yeah, no, he's no, Warren. I'm sorry. He's Warren. 64. Warren Thomas used to get on you about writing for Miller. Hang on. I'm worried about Reginald Denny. He's 64. Okay. And he's okay. Yeah, one thing. I, one thing I gotta say. Well, he probably probably can't. I wouldn't ask him to add anything. I. Uh, one thing I will say. By the way, you know the name of the guy who uh, who hit him with the bricks. Street. Was a guy he named, had a good name, like Street Football Williams. Football. Yeah. Football Williams. And what happened to Football Williams? <laughs> well, he's on. I think he went on uh, to the Apprentice. <laughs> I think he went on Donahue, which means he probably disappeared not so long after. Did he, did he go to prison? I'm looking him up right now. Rodney uh, King passed away. Football yes. Uh, he dreamed of being a professional football player, blah, blah, blah. He was a member of the 71 Hustlers and had a three-month-old son at the time of the incident. Less than an hour before his attack on Denny, he witnessed his older brother being arrested by police and was seen at the intersection assaulting and robbing an Asian man. Williams became one of the more recognized participants of the L.A. riots due to the live news broadcast of his attack on Denny and his somewhat memorable nickname, but doesn't say what happened to him. Hmm. This is like when you have to edit this. This is like when really? writers on sitcoms, you know, they like at the run-throughs, they, they, they give a check to jokes that work. Like, how do you check? How do you edit this? How do you decide what's well, good? Anything that works, I take out. <laughs> I don't know what you'll find in this. Okay. It's you know, I got I to gotta say one thing I respect about you, Fred, and I'm being 100% sincere. Sure. Is that if you're like a comedian, you're not afraid to just say it like on a podcast and, and give their name. Like you don't you don't pussyfoot around. You just 
You just well, I only mentioned Eddie Ift that would tell stories about in parking lots beating, getting into fights after shows. This is the uh, I, this is true about Fred Stoller. He is the only man in the world who has attacked Tom Kenny. Don't don't get me started on this. Well, Tom he does Kenny? this thing. He's a, he's a working man. He he wears a straw hat. There we go. On a mule. Did I work. see you at a show at the Grove a few years ago? Ah, yeah, he's making this up. He, I didn't attack him. No, You've attacked Tom, the great Tom Kenny, SpongeBob. Everybody <laughs> loves Tom Kenny. He's the nicest guy. He's the nicest guy in the world. And only friends. You've attacked him. I said he, 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 he acts like the guy from, uh, what was that movie? Uh, um, A Face in the Crowd. Lonesome Rose. Uh, yes, yes. Yes. Yeah. Yes. So he he pretends to be a man of the people. Well, he walks around on, like I said, on a mule. Yes, with overalls. And, but deep down inside, he's, he's cashing big checks. Yeah, and you resent that. Well, he's not blue collar because I'm just a blue collar guy. <laughs> Got to put well, mashed potatoes on the table. No, I mean, just, don't don't you find though, like people who say that they are speaking for the working class. Or who like are like we have to, you know, give the working class Medicare for all, and then it turns out they're just like wealthy TV writers who like haven't really worked for a living in a very very long time. Well, I speaking mean, that's of wealthy, case. wealthy TV writers, Scrovan has always been on the wrong side of history. I mean, Who's that? Steve Scrovan. He's on the wrong side of history. <laughs> He co-hosts the Ralph Nader radio hour with me. What do you mean? Oh, he follows but me on I Twitter. Mean, huh? I'm just kidding. No, Scrovan, I think, is is nicer than Tom Kenny. As the guy you can't say anything bad about, so that's my joke. Okay. All right. All right. Fellas. Please edit this. Fel no, that's your punishment. Fred Stoller, how do, how do people follow you on Twitter? Fred underscore Stoller. And Liam, how do people follow you? Uh, you can find me at HeyIt'sLiam.com, or you can follow me on Twitter at HeyIt'sLiam, or you can follow me on Instagram at RadioLiam, or you can find me at Patreon at Patreon.com slash radio. Okay, and do either one of you have some gigs uh, that are not coming up? <laughs> I could, you don't want to plug? I could... I got something to plug. How about Cameo? No, I'm just kidding. Yeah, Cameo.com forward slash Fred Stoller. Five I just bucks. paid five bucks to, to give well, David do it. a it shout out. i do I'll order some uh, food delivery, then give David a shout out. All right. And then, and then David can play it on, on a Friday show. When is this going to be on, if it's going to be on? Oh, hang on. I, have, I invited people. Let me play these for you. I invited my listeners to... Uh, send me their hand washing songs. <laughs> Can okay. I tell you this, Liam? We'll, we'll play them. I have oh. to download them. Hang on. So. You know, it was my birthday last Thursday, and that day I got to sing. I sang "Happy Birthday" to myself when washing my hands. What? What? Oh, that's cute. What did you get for your birthday? Coronavirus. Oh, oh come on now. <laughs> Be nice. Someone, you... someone left some cake, uh, a cupcake by my door. That was it. A cupcake? Yeah. All right. Did you did you celebrate alone? Yes. Well, yeah. What am I supposed to do? Don't you understand what's going on? Well, it's a hoax, isn't it? 
I don't have a girlfriend like you. I mean, well, maybe I shouldn't say that. Are um, you in love? I um, I don't know. We'll see. Like, I'm not allowed to talk about things now. I'm being like you, but I am alone. You're alone. You, do you have a girlfriend, yeah. Fred? I don't. You know, we'll I see. I bet you're. I, I bet you're a good lover. I bet you're a very generous lover. I've always maintained that Fred Stoller. Well, look, 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 look hang on for one second. On hang cameo. on, Fred. Isn't Fred, that generous. Fred, hang on. What? I'm sorry. Look at my cameo. I'm generous during lovemaking. I go cameo is just five bucks down from twenty five. <laughs> Liam's Isn't a generous, generous. Liam's a very generous lover. He always tips ten percent. No, I don't. I would never tip. Well, they, he's generous that he leaves. That's nice. <laughs> No, I'm, trying to think it, I'm trying to find. Okay, I got. I would never do the roast things. I don't know how people do that. I think Fred Stoller, and I've said this before. I think if you hired a stylist, mm -hmm. you could be a sex symbol. I do. I think no, that you've got it. No, you've got it you going on. Me. I'm old now. No, you got it going on. I think women would find you very attractive. It's true. You've still got that '80s comic thing going, yeah. like the the clothes and the hair and the posture. You know, like, yeah, I think. You know, I didn't wear like comic. rolled up sleeves like the '80s. I didn't. When I did TV, I never understood if you, at a comedy club you don't wear a suit. Why do you wear it on TV? Because uh, it's TV. It's like you go to a nudist colony. <clears throat> you wear a bow tie. Actually, right, I, I right. do know the answer to that, and it's because originally late night TV was supposed to be like a dinner party, and all the guests on these talk shows were supposed to be like, uh, you know, not a dinner party, but like a casual get together, and so you're supposed to dress like, you know, like casually, but you know, casual in the fifties uh, and forties was, you know, a suit, a blazer maybe, uh, and a shirt, you know, like some a vest maybe, you know, like. Uh, like a like an after dinner cocktail attire. All right, let me play. And so, oh, shut the fuck up! <laughs> I am Fred, so, I, I, I I'm so, you know what? I, now you I have. Know, I never heard you curse before. Well, I mean, you I've been stuck no in this that, house that with Liam. Do you that put you over the edge? All right, so it's let me nonsense. play. Uh, the phone number for our show is two zero two six seven zero twenty seven fifty two. And I invited people to send in their wash your hand songs. Instead of happy birthday, I asked my listeners to phone in their their. So uh, what, wait, what you're saying is people are advised to wash their hands for 20 seconds and to sing happy birthday to count out the time. And what you're saying is you have invited them to substitute their own hand washing songs for happy birthday. You are right, hepatitis C breath. <laughs> Me the bluebird of happiness, and they have dragon your tears. Okay, so I did it on Twitter. I gave the number out. 202-670-2752 is our hotline number, so I'll play the ones that are playable. You know, I am seeing a woman, and she hugs a lot, and I use, when she hugs me, I do the thing where I count to 20 and sing happy birthday in my head, then push her away just to... Now, Fred, do you, does she come visit you? Because I feel like you might be the kind of guy that's a little, like, unsettled by uh, viruses and germs. You know, you know, actually, I'm not as neurotic before this as people would think. I'm Is not it like true you guy. make love through a hole in the mask? <laughs> in the mask? I wasn't like a Howie Mandel, but... Um, 
That's how you get a blowjob if you're orthodox. For a hole in the mask. Wow, I haven't been on this show in so long, and now he curses and these rules. All right, let me play these happy birthday songs. Are you ready? Mm -hmm, I'm ready. Here we go. Here's my uh, hand washing song. It works perfectly. Behind the screen, there's a world of pure imagination. (laughs) Behind the screen, there's a world built for you. And me, take my hand and I'll point you in the right Wait. direction. That's Liam saying. No, it's Paul no. Gold. Oh, the king oh. of TV. The king of TV. Oh, I'm the king of TV. That's me. Is king he still of all TV. Paul Goebel, the king of TV. Right. He sent something in. Let's see if I have another one. It never counts when a friend sends it in. I know, I know. Also, uh, here's my, so uh, you know, Fred, oh, uh, a lot of David Hang on, hang on, hang on. Here, let me, let me play this, this one here. Hang on. And, and they all call in drunk. That's, uh, that's something you need to know before hearing this. All right. This is somebody who called in with a real song. Ready? <laughs> Hello. This is Cal from Los Angeles, California. And this is the 22nd song I sing when washing my hands. Oh, shit. Shit, 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 shit. Oh, shit. Oh, fucking shit. Shit. <laughs> oh, shit. Shit, 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 shit. Fucking shit. Shit, shit. Oh, fuck it. All right, I'm going to play you. Smigel came on the show. Robert Smigel came on and played and played Donald Trump. Now, do you write? Do you write his um, tweets for Triumph? Because there's no. like Fred Stoller jokes, and I would. Think oh no, yeah, that's right. He does to to annoy you. He he told me that he sometimes <laughs> tweets your jokes out. Smigel. Well, no, someone says, "Hey, this not many people have been here since Fred Stoller, or things like that." Yeah. Where? So I thought it was you, but it's him. Yeah, I don't do his tour. Anyway, he can't. Uh, Sorry, that took. So he played Donald Trump last week. Let me just play. It was a seventeen-minute bit, but I'll just play you uh, this part. Here we go. Anyway, here's the song. So this is a song that you're you're, you're telling us t- instead of singing "Happy Birthday," this is a song yep. for our kids takes to sing. Twenty seconds takes twenty seconds. Yeah. Wash your hands, wash your hands, do it all the time. Wash your hands if you want to touch your face or pick your nose. Make sure <laughs> you wash your hands. <laughs> Wash your hands, wash your hands. I love the blacks, but wash your hands. Really safe. Unlike Rosie's heart attack. I love the blacks. I love the blacks. Heart attack. Because she's fat. Rosie's fat. She eats. She eats. Do you like the song so it's, far? It's beautiful. I'm, I'm actually washing my. So in 20 seconds, keep yeah. washing. Yeah, I'm washing. She eats too much food. Rosie's fat and her heart went splat. She eats too much food. Oh, it's a beautiful song. 
Wash your hands. Oh, wash your hands. Oh, there's more. There's more? 20 seconds, I told you. Yeah, okay. Have to take 20 seconds. Uh Otherwise, you're not cleaning properly. I see. Oh, wash your hands if you want to touch your face. Wash your gross, disgusting hands. Wash your hands, Rosie's. <laughs> wash your hands, Rosie's fat, and it's not because of her glands. She eats too much. She eats too much. Don't ever touch your face. Hooray, James, not glandular. She eats too much. She eats too much. Don't ever touch your face. Oh, wash your hands. Wash your hands. Stick them up a stripper's ass and wash your hands. And never touch your face. Never pick your nose. Rosie's too fat to see her disgusting toes. Wow. Thank you, Mr. President. I hope all our kids out there learn to sing that song and and keep themselves clean and safe. Thank you, Mr. President. Rosie's fat. (laughs) You should play that first so people stick with this. Rosie's fat. Okay. Do you know how many times I've listened to that? That's a classic. You should put this first so people continue listening oh, to us. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> they may give up on us. No, it's great. Sometimes I, I'm bored and I do an Instagram live, and then you know I see the numbers, then they I suck so much, then it's down to three, so I don't do it anymore. Yeah, you see people leaving. Yeah. So as long Just as we want to see Just do audio. Hey, guys, thank you. Stay safe. Thank you. Stay safe. Yes, I will. Stay nice. healthy. Stay healthy. Nice interacting. Uh, stand All right. Line. Stand on the line for one second, guys. <laughs>